Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. This is being recorded live and broadcast live on October 17th, 2019. The time right now, 8.43 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. We were on six days ago. We had a very, very long show about Mike Postle. That's, that's all we did was talk about Mike Postle the entire time. It was a very interesting show. If you didn't hear it, go back and take a listen. It was very well received. I got a lot of compliments on that particular episode. We had a an interview, a pretty long interview with Veronica Brill, who was the whistleblower in that whole situation. We had a, a very unusually revealing prank call to Stones, which immediately followed the Veronica call. We had Eric Benzamokin on analyzing the situation from a legal standpoint. Very, very interesting show if you are curious at all about the Mike Possible situation. And a week before that, I did two mini-shows, mini-specials, rebutting what Mike Possible himself had to say on Mike Mattisau's podcast. So we have so much Mike Possible stuff in the last two weeks. I said, you know what? I'm tired of it. I'm possled out. This week's going to be a possible-free zone. Possible-free show. We will not have any Mike Possible discussion unless by some chance some breaking news comes up in the situation while we're doing the program, which is unlikely because this type of thing is more likely to come out during the day because any kind of breaking news would be related to some statement Stones puts out or something we find out from law enforcement or from an attorney. It's not something likely to come out in the evening on a Thursday night. So. We're not going to talk about Mike Postle. If you want to hear Mike Postle content, there's plenty of it in the past two weeks. Check out the last episode and the two specials before that, and you'll have your fill, I promise you. Tonight, we're going to cover all the other topics that we've been neglecting during the Mike Postle stuff that go back a few weeks in the world of poker and gambling. By the way, the reason I opened with the Save by the Bell theme song is because this week the creator of Saved by the Bell, Sam Bobrick, died at age 87. Most people don't know that name. He was the original creator of both Saved by the Bell and its predecessor, Good Morning Miss Bliss. A lot of you don't know this, but Saved by the Bell was actually a retooling of another show. They created a show called Good Morning Miss Bliss, which was about junior high school students and Haley Mills was actually the star of that show. Uh, it had some of the Saved by the Bell cast in it, and it had some similarities to Saved by the Bell, but uh, they changed it around after Good Morning Miss Bliss ran for a year on the Disney Channel, 
and Saved by the Bell was born, which was a much better show, and it was put together with more of a direction and more unique. Uh, it's it's easy to look back on Saved by the Bell with disdain and kind of look down on it and say, oh, it was stupid, it was campy, and, and it was, but that was some of its charm. It was actually a very brilliant idea, and that's why it did so well, and that's why people remember it so well, and in some cases so fondly. Saved by the Bell was very upbeat, very colorful. They made sure there was, it was even the theme song was full of color. Very, very like '80s colorful and upbeat and just kind of fun. They had a few serious episodes, but for the most part, the show was very lighthearted. And even though it was supposed to take place in a wealthy seaside Southern California city, it was a very unpretentious show and very easy for everyone to relate to. Even if you went into Saved by the Bell watching it, expecting to hate it or trying to hate it, it was hard to hate after watching a few episodes. Uh, most people who tried to hate the show simply couldn't, myself included. I saw this thing look stupid. I was a little bit old for Saved by the Bell when it came out. It was aimed at teenagers. It came out in uh, 89. I was 17 then, but it ran for like about th- three, four years. So I was in college for most of Saved by the Bell's run, and I was a few years too old for it, but... You know, I, I watched it, and I, at first I thought, oh, this looks so stupid. And then somehow I, I, I kind of got into it a little bit. It wasn't like my favorite show, but, I, but I, I, I admit I've seen a lot of episodes of Saved by the Bell. Now, this praise is not going to be also applicable to the abomination which followed it, known as Saved by the Bell, the college years, where they pretty much extracted everything that was good about Saved by the Bell and made a much inferior version of the show. And it, it didn't do very well. I, I watched like one or two episodes of that and said, no, <laughs> not watching anymore. Even though it was kind of more aimed at my age group because I, at that point I was in college. Kind of the end of college, but I, I was in college, but that was that was a piece of crap. Sam Bobrick, you have to give him credit because when he created Saved by the Bell, if you think about it, he, he just died at 87. Saved by the Bell is 30 years old. That means he was 57 when he created the show. Which is pretty amazing because it's pretty hard to create something that will appeal to teenagers when you're 57. The farther you get away from your teen years, the harder it is to write for a teen audience. And I know he wasn't the writer uh, of these episodes, but uh, he was the creator of the show. It's just hard to come up with anything which will appear uh, appeal to teenagers the older you get. And there's there's two reasons for that. First of all, you just change yourself and you get more mature and you, the mindset you have you had as a teenager starts to slowly disappear as you get older and second times change so what was cool to teenagers in the 80s is obviously very different today so even if you were to keep the same mindset and transport like your 80s self to today you like your 80s teen self to today you'd have a hard time relating to today's teenagers Again, because the times have simply changed. So for those two reasons, at age 57, it's very hard to create a show that teens will like, but he managed to do that, so you got to give him credit for that. So that's, that's why I played that as our opening song. We're going to have Trey Daruski on tonight. He said he can't be on as long. He said he prefers Friday. Uh, Thursdays can be difficult for him to uh, stay up as late because he has things to do on Friday. But he will be on for as long as he can. If you notice, when we've had our Friday shows, he lasts almost the whole time. 
So let's call them up. And then we, I'll give you the agenda. Then we'll get going. I can't even stay up that late because I have something to do. What's happening, Druff? Trader Ruski. You know what's interesting? Okay, so I was forced into a new update of Skype, and you know what I did not hear? I did not hear that obnoxious ringing. It just, I, I just, it was. I thought maybe something wasn't working. And I just put you on. I, I saw it ringing, but I wasn't hearing it ringing. I thought maybe the volume's messed up, but no, it actually. This is actually an improvement. I don't have to have this obnoxious Skype ringing sound whenever I call someone here. And I was on the other line, so I don't know if that had something to do with it, but possibly. You never know. I guess I'm giving Skype too much credit, or I might be. Okay, so we'll do the agenda. As I said, I have something to do tomorrow morning, and in fact, that's why I I couldn't even consider it a Friday show this week, because I just simply am not going to be able to do it tomorrow, and... uh, Hopefully we can get through everything without me having to stay up too late here because I, I can't – I have a lot of things to do tomorrow. I can't be tired the whole day. So I'm squeezing this thing in. And fortunately we have plenty of topics to talk about because we did the whole Mike Postle thing last week and didn't cover anything else. So most of this show will actually have the agenda of last week with a few things from this week thrown in that have come up since then. If you want to play the free roll tonight, we have one starting at 9.15. For a change, you actually have some time to get in there at the very start. It's now 22 minutes from now. And it's a $60 free roll funded by three people who don't even know they're funding it. Now, how is that possible? How, how could three people be funding this free roll without knowing that they're funding it? Well, your first thought is probably that I stole the money from them. That's one way I could do it, scamming someone and then using the money for the free roll. But I I couldn't do that on Poker Fraud Alert Radio without being a gigantic hypocrite. So that idea is out. But there's another way I can fund this free roll. Because to tell you the truth, we didn't get any donations this week. This is the first week we didn't get any donations. So I'm like, well, what do I got to do? I could either put up my own Jew money. I can reach in my own Jew wallet and, and, and put up $50 or more for this thing. Or... I could find another way to do it. And I said, aha, I haven't used the forfeited prize money in quite some time. Because we have a rule on Poker Fraud Alert. If you don't claim your prize from the free roll within six months, I can take the money and use it for future free rolls. I will never take it and put it in my pocket, but I can take it and repurpose it for free rolls. Uh, this probably won't happen on six months to the day, but once the six-month mark hits... Uh, at any point, I can take it if I feel we need it. Uh, if it's someone I know, uh, I'll usually send them a heads up and go, hey, I'm about to take the money. Do you want it? But uh, these three people I don't know, and it's been over eight months, so I think it's pretty safe to confiscate the funds at this point. This is something I've warned about since last year, so it's not like something I'm just deciding on a whim. People have known this. You have six months to collect the money. If you don't, then it may or may not ever get to you. So make sure you to collect your winnings. So this week, I... Took $15 won by Lampshade on January 24th, $20 won by Jerkar also on January 24th. I don't know why we had two unclaimed prizes that day, but that's the way it happened. And $25 from SJM on February 22nd. I have no idea who any of you are, but uh, if you're still listening, I apologize that you won't be getting your free roll money that you won earlier in the year, but you should have claimed it. So uh, don't try to claim it now. It's too late. It's been spent. (laughs) But... uh, just let that be a lesson for next time. But, hey, it's going to a good cause. It's going to another free roll. So it's a $60 free roll this week sponsored by these three. And the prizes are as follows. $30 for first, 
18 for second and 12 for third. 30, 18, and 12 are the prizes this week. And this takes place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. And make sure to read everything carefully to understand what you need to do to qualify to win this free money, which I can pay you by Zelle, by Cash App, by bank transfer, by Bitcoin, or by other methods. Maybe a service that one can use to pay for things online for the past two decades that you would buy online. Something, a service like that you might be familiar with. I, I can do that too. Any of those methods, I can pay you. But, but you got to claim it. I'm not going to chase after you. Once in a while, I chase after someone. If it's a, as I say, if it's someone I know, and I see that they've been owed money for the last few months, sometimes I'll shoot them a message and say, "Hey, uh, what do you want to do about this?" But if it's if it's someone I really don't know, then you're definitely not going to get a message. I don't even know how to contact you, and, and don't count on it. Don't don't. If if I do know you, don't complain if I take your money after six months and use it for the free roll because it's something I might or might not do. Thank you to these three for not claiming the money so I don't have to use my own Jew money this week to uh, to sponsor this free roll. Thank you, you guys. You've helped me out in some way. Because I, I wasn't going to just let the free roll go on this week and uh, have to suffer through the embarrassment of the prize money being... Zero point zero. I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. So if, if we come up with nothing, I have to put the money in. That's the... Sad reality of the situation. People have asked me before, why, why don't you just put your own money up? Why, why, are you, why are you putting the burden on your listeners to donate the money? And I'm not putting the burden on anybody. It's like whoever wants to, wants to. If you never donate a penny, that's fine. I don't expect any of you to. You don't owe me or the free roll anything. I, I'm, I'm a very big believer that nobody really is expected to do anything for anybody else. So if, if you want to do things that are nice, that's great. If you don't, then... That's also fine. It's, it's very much appreciated if you do, but, but I don't have an expectation that you have to. But, uh, you know, I, I, I put all, all the effort into this show and uh, all the preparation, and uh, there's no sponsors to this, as you've noticed, so we run this thing at a loss. I run this thing at a loss. No, we. I run this thing at a loss. And, you know, it's just, uh, I figure, if other people want to donate then great. But I, but I will cover it if they don't. Now, if we didn't get donations any weeks, like if it just went like zero 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 every week, I, I think at some point I'd get tired of putting forth $50 or more on a site that doesn't uh, generate income. But uh, we don't have that situation. I, I thank all of our generous listeners and uh, especially thank Eric Benzamokan, who's just been so generous with it. He's, he, several weeks in a row he gave $100, including last week. So uh, thank you to him. I was going to meet with him today for lunch, but... Uh, could not happen. He was too busy, so I'm sure I'll see him next week. But uh, so someone posted on the thread about the show last week that they really appreciate when Eric comes on and that they want to thank uh, uh, Rudolph Adam Schwartz, which is his real name, Rudolph Adam Schwartz. They wanted to thank him for mentioning Poker Fraud Alert on the 2 Plus 2 PokerCast, which is what allowed Eric Benzamokin to discover this show. That's exactly what happened, is that uh, he didn't know this thing existed, and then... Rudolph Adam mentioned it, which I appreciate a lot, by the way. He mentioned it, and then Eric's like, hmm, what is this? And looks it up, and he's like, oh, my God, six hours? I'm not going to listen to this. 
And then he tried anyway, and he said, oh, you know what? This is somehow I, I somehow I'm enjoying all six hours. Okay, great. I'll listen again next week. And then he, uh, after listening to a number of episodes, he contacted me. So now he's become uh, a real-life friend of mine, and uh, he's a great guy, and very glad to have him uh, contributing to the show the way he is as well. Okay, so here is the rest of the intro info, and then we will get going. The phone number of the show, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number, as always. You need to show your caller ID when you call, or I think you won't get through it. Who knows with Skype? You, you might be able to get the call ringing, but I'm not going to answer if it's unknown. Unless I'm, like, really feeling adventurous, but probably not. The Mount Charleston line is another number you can call. It's an old 70s rotary phone sitting on top of Mount Charleston, which is a mountain near Las Vegas. And it's a, it forwards to me wherever I go. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the phone number. The call to listen line is the number you can call to listen to the show at any time. During the live show, when we're not live, it just streams reruns of our shows from the past seven and a half years. Picks one randomly, just streams it, and just goes to the next one, next one, next one. Just picks things randomly, goes goes on and on and on until we come back live again. That phone number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736, or the alternate number. Someone told me last week, oh, it's not working. I said, well, try the alternate number, which is 641-741-1095. That's why we have two numbers in case one of them's down. 641-741-1095. You can call either of these and you just listen to the show. Does not require a smartphone, does not require a computer, does not require a data plan or the internet, doesn't use up any data if you have a data plan. It's just very simple. You just call up and you'll listen, and it absolutely never buffers. I promise you that. It's, uh, trust me, when you use it, you're going to start to like it. it. It sounds stupid to some people, but then they try it. They go, oh, you know what? This is actually kind of cool. Been about uh, a, million mis- a, a million minutes have been listened to on the call to listen line in its four-year lifetime. We're getting about 250,000 minutes of listening time on that thing per year. It's a very active line. Fortunately, it's uh, it falls within this show's very low budget. Because if uh, if I was paying any kind of uh, per minute charge, it would be pretty difficult on me. I would have to shut it down. Okay, if you want to listen to the show in the archives, you can find it on iTunes, Google Play, the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app. The Bullhorn app. You can listen on Amazon Alexa. If you want to hear the live show, say Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And if you want to hear the last show in the archive, say Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast. Just throw a podcast at the end and it'll play the last show. You can listen to the live show also on the TuneIn app. A lot of ways to listen. You can go to the Poker Fraud Alert server or the radio forum and just play or download the mp3 of our last show or any of our shows since going back to 2012 directly in fact that's what i do it's very simple iphones and most smartphones can just play mp3s directly if you just click on them so that's a very simple way to listen if you there's some other way you want me to provide for you to listen to the show please let me know by texting me 775-372-8355 our main phone number also receives texts if you don't want me to read it on the air make sure to say so at the very beginning of your text otherwise i may or may not read it and I will respond to you, and you can text me any time of the day or night, during the show, before the show, after the show. It's totally fine. 
Okay. I get some weird texts on that number too. I'll just say that. <laughs> I got some I got some weird texts this week. First about someone who was once on the show and then from that person who was once on the show. It's it's, it's very weird. I'm not going to go into it, but just you'd be surprised all the weird stuff I get on the number. I even get spam texts sometimes. You know, you know what's kind of disturbing is I got a spam text from like a ghostwriting service, which I definitely don't need because I'm like writing all the time on the forum. But uh, th- it actually called me Todd. So somehow it associated my name with that phone number, which you may think, okay, well, that's easy. I, I give my name out and that's my number. But it's not really that easy to get by a bot for reasons I want to get, go into. So that's kind of disturbing that like it's actually saying, Todd, here's, you know, check out our service here. So, okay, uh, here's the agenda tonight. There's a chat room you can go into, by the way, if you're listening live. You need a flash-enabled device, meaning no iPhones or iPads. But here's the agenda, then we'll get going. America's card room is reportedly in crisis. It's filled with bots, it's not paying rake back correctly, and it's full of crashes and freezes. That'll be our lead topic tonight. That was meant to be our second topic last week, which we didn't even get to. FanDuel, or more accurately, uh, a company which owns FanDuel, bought PokerStars for a lot of money. Very, very big deal. And I'll tell you what this will mean for the future of PokerStars and FanDuel. Remember Ken Strauss, who exposed his dick at the World Series of Poker and then got kicked out of the World Series of Poker very early on on day one? I'm talking about the main event here. Uh, And then he went through a lot of weird episodes around Las Vegas, including exposing his dick again and threatening to destroy casinos, a lot of bad stuff he did in July. Uh, He's been ruled incompetent to stand for trial. So I will tell you what that means for him and give you a little bit of an update of where he is right now. Vanessa Russo, who is currently in a lesbian marriage with a woman named Melissa Ulay from Canada. That's something that's been known for a few years. That's not news. But what is news is that Vanessa is pregnant with twins. And even more weird is the fact that her wife is also pregnant at the same time. Now, how and why would that happen? Yes, lesbians have kids through in vitro fertilization, but why would they have three babies coming at the same time? Why would both be pregnant at the same time? We'll discuss that odd situation. An appellate court has heard arguments regarding what constitutes cheating in New Jersey in the Phil Ivey edge sorting case. It's an interesting legal matter, which I think you'll find to be kind of fascinating, even if you're not all that into this story. Really, the basic question in New Jersey, in the casino, what is cheating? That may seem obvious, but then think about it. How do you actually define cheating in a casino setting? There's there's obvious cheating, such as like if the if the dealer's in cahoots with you to uh, deal you certain cards so you'll win or things like that. That's obvious cheating. But then, you know, what what about card counting? Is that cheating? No, that's that's clearly not cheating. So, what about kind of in between the two? 
So we'll, I'll talk about what constitutes cheating, what doesn't uh, in the eyes of the New Jersey law, and also in my own opinion, because I have my own opinion about that. And uh, the way I've always conducted myself in casinos is that uh, if it's something I consider an advantage play, then I do it. And I feel that uh, I, I don't feel bad doing so. I don't feel like I'm ripping off the casino or doing anything dishonest. But uh, but I don't cheat in casinos. Even if it's, I would never cheat another individual. But would I cheat a casino, a big, large, cold casino whose purpose is to take your money? Would I cheat? No. I, see, I don't want to cheat casinos, but I will engage in advantage play. And we'll discuss that whole thing when we get to that segment. Speaking of casinos and advantage play and all that stuff like that, Ocean's Casino, the former Revel in Atlantic City, is in some controversy, but it hasn't gotten attention all that much, and it deserves more attention, so I'm going to give some on the show. It's under fire for confiscating rewards points of players. This affected both advantage players and just Casual gamblers. This wasn't even something aimed at screwing the advantage players. It may have been aimed at that too, but uh, it screwed everybody. So we'll tell you about that and how unethical they were acting over there. Nevada Gaming is seeking to revoke Steve Wynn's gaming license due to his well-documented sexual harassment practices, most of which occurred uh, last decade but came out during the whole Me Too movement. We'll discuss what Nevada Gaming's trying to do, and I'll tell you whether I agree if he should have his gaming license completely revoked over that. Virgin Trains USA is going to start work in mid-2020 on their fail train between Las Vegas and Victorville. I'm already calling it a fail train. I'm not going to I'm not going to tease this thing. You know, find out what I think of that train. I, I already told you on a previous episode I think of that train. It's going to be a tremendous fail. There there's a, a small silver lining to where it might be able to become useful in the distant future, but there's the, the story just came out about the starting date and and the plans for viability of this fail train. So I'll tell you about that when we get to that segment. A personal story. I went to the Bicycle Club to try their new 4080 Limit Hold'em game. When I say new, it's kind of like new as of early this year, but I hadn't played it until a few weeks ago, so I've gone twice in the last few weeks. I will tell you my impression of that new game, which was created in an attempt to basically create a second option for mid-to-high-stakes Limit Hold'em, which, believe it or not, is still somewhat active and a good money maker for Southern California card rooms. You may think it's a dead game, but in, in Southern California, it's not. So the bike's trying to get this action, and are they doing it correctly? I'll tell you from my experience in playing that game twice. Three people were killed, and I guess a fourth person was killed. The gunman was killed also, after a shooting at the AAA Aces Underground New York City Poker Club. There are no legal poker rooms in New York City, but there's a lot of underground clubs that have existed for a long time. One of them was a fictitious one, but uh, one that's similar to real ones was uh, depicted in the movie Rounders. And if you're in New York City and play poker, you there's a good chance you've been to one before. I've never been to one. But I've been to, been to an L.A. one once, but uh, those are less essential because there's 
plenty of LA card rooms. So I'll tell you about that shooting. Finally, Vince Van Patten, longtime poker commentator, has released a prop betting movie called Seven Days to Vegas. So we'll tell you about Seven Days to Vegas as our final topic. I believe you can even listen to Vince on uh, Mike Mattishow's podcast. I, I think he's released that one already. I, in fact, he, he recorded it quite some time ago, but then he had to not release it because he it was uh, preempted by the Mike Postle situation, which was much more timely to discuss. So that's our agenda tonight. As you see, we have a lot of topics, like more than 10. And fortunately, I don't think any of them are going to be really long. As I said, this can't be a really long show. But I'll, I'll try to cover everything we need to cover. And the next show, I think, will be on Thursday next week. And maybe one of these days we'll start just early enough to get Cal one on. Because he seems like he's up till about 11 and then we lose him. Tonight I was hoping, but I got going at 11.40 this time, Eastern Time, which a little earlier than usual, but still not early enough. All right. By the way, Trey Risky, did you hear the sound effect I played at one point during the intro? I did. The Law & Order one, I think, yeah, right? Yes, yes. I just wanted to make sure you heard a, a sound effect. I, okay, good. So it's working. Never know when Skype updates something. And I, I, it's not even like I accepted the update. I just I started Skype for tonight's show, and it, it, it was like, okay, now it's installing. I go, oh, crap. <laughs> it updated without my permission, and now I have to live whatever with whatever I have. All right, so I want to talk about the America's card room. By the way, the free roll is starting in three minutes, so get over there. America's card room has faced its share of controversy over the years. And it's too bad because it's really one of two really viable poker networks for U.S. players. So let's face it, if, if, if you're playing online poker in the U.S., aside from those stupid PP poker apps and BS like that, as far as just regular offshore-based card rooms that take U.S. players, there's really only two networks that have appreciable traffic on them. And that would be Bovada Ignition and the Winning Poker Network, also known as America's Card Room, and several other skins. So th- those are the choices for the most part. Yeah, there's some smaller ones, but that's, that's really what the choices are. America's Card Room, on the bright side, is that they have not had payment issues, which, which of course, is the worst thing to happen to a card room. You, you can't have something worse than a card room that won't pay you. Believe it or not, even a cheating card room like UB is better than a non-paying card room. Because you, once in a while you can get lucky and beat the cheater, and if, if it's paying, at least you can get your money off. If, if it's a non-paying card room, no matter how well you do, you've lost. So non-paying is actually the worst. It's even worse than cheating. Uh, America's card room fortunately does not suffer from that. The reports about the payouts from there are pretty positive. Not quite as good as Bovada Ignition. They're just payout masters and always have been. And that's that's why I play on there despite all their idiosyncrasies and problems and customer unfriendly policies in many cases. But America's Card Room also pays well. And that's also part of the reason both of these are, are the two biggest right now is because uh, people know they get paid. But unfortunately beyond the ability to pay you, America's Card Room 
has been plagued with a lot of issues, some of which are their fault, some of which are partially their fault, and some of which aren't their fault. But nevertheless, there's a lot of problems there. Chicago Joey famously called them out in a series of shows he did where he was exposing the prevalence of bots on there and the fact that they weren't doing anything about this. I think it was about a year ago he did this. And it attracted a lot of attention because Joey has a big audience. That's part of the reason the Apostle thing blew up so huge is because Joey jumped on it. And, of course, it was a very interesting topic. So that really reached a wide audience. And then the wide audience started talking. And pretty much soon soon everybody knew about Mike Apostle. So similarly, when Joey jumped on America's Card Room, the CEO, Phil Nagy of America's Card Room, was very upset by this because if you're running a, a... poker room, an online poker room and Chicago Joey does several episodes exposing that there's big problems on your card room and that people should be afraid to play there, then that's very bad for business. Now Joey did the right thing. Nothing he said was untrue from what I could tell. Joey made a few accusations that I felt were unsubstantiated. Like super users, I don't believe there's super users on there. I think think he overstepped a little bit but uh, the bot thing was definitely correct. And that was the main point of what he was trying to put out there, was that it was, it was overrun with bots and that America's card room didn't care. And, then, and both of these seemed to be true. And eventually, America's card room finally responded. But first, Phil Nagy, who, despite detesting Joey for doing this, went on his show. And they had kind of a contentious discussion, but I was surprised to even see he went on there. And, and then they put out a, a claim that they're going to be confiscating, uh, they were closing these bot accounts and confiscating their money and and repaying people who lost to the bots. And they seem to be doing something positive regarding the bots fairly recently. But that seemed to be more posturing than anything that was a realistic effort to rid the bots from the site. Now, there, there is an update I'll give you on that that is a little bit positive. But the problem was it's been reported recently that America's Card Room, among other issues right now, is that it's full of bots again, in fact, perhaps worse than ever. And that's a big problem because bots are very, very difficult to beat. Bots, what's so difficult about beating bots is that, uh, first of all, depending on how good the bot is, they can actually learn from you and your play style. They have perfect memory. Uh, Some of them have a strategy which is very hard to exploit, which these bots learn by playing millions or billions of hands against themselves to come up with this strategy. They never get tired. They never go on tilt. They're never influenced by any emotions that human beings are. And unfortunately, emotions that... Human emotion is a weakness that we have in poker. And it can affect your game. And that's why sometimes it's recommended if you're running very badly, you should quit. Not just so you can control your losses in in a particular session. Uh, Not just because your table image isn't good, but also because you're not going to play as well when you're running really badly because you're going to be constantly paranoid. You're going to run into hands beating you. Basically a big downswing or losing a bunch of consecutive hands in a row, it screws with your head. And it's very, very hard to just shake that off and play your normal A game. Very, very hard. Very few people can do that. I can't do that. 
I, I don't tilt off the way some people do, but I, I can tell you if I'm running very bad, it, it does affect my game. Well, this doesn't happen to bots, obviously. Bots have no feelings. Bots don't get fatigued. The only vulnerability they have is that they can only do what they're programmed to do. So if there's an error in the programming, then that can be exploited. Like there was that infamous situation on America's card room where at the end of a tournament heads up, a bot malfunctioned and was basically folding every hand pre-flop, even when it made zero sense, even when they were just like pretty much pot committed on the blind, they're still folding. Like they, they have a tiny bit of money behind uh, after posting the blind and they still fold. So that uh, the bot flipped out in some way and the person won and that exposed the fact that it was a bot because no human would have played that way. Uh, also, as I said, if, if there's anything else you notice about the bot you can exploit, then you can because the bot can't figure out it's being exploited. For example, uh, one time, I've talked about this before, one time on Bodog I noticed that a bot, a suspected bot, I, I pr- was pretty sure it was a bot, but there was a bug on this in the software to where you can give yourself the button every single time heads up. And to do this to somebody, not only is it unethical, you could say it even be breaking the site's terms of service. There's a lot of bad things. It's something I would never do, even if someone was dumb enough to keep letting me take the button over and over. That's, that's kind of like cheating. However, against the bot... Not only do I think the bot deserves it, because the bot being there in the first place is cheating, but second, I felt that would prove that it was a bot, because I'd been complaining about that, and they claimed I had no proof. I felt that if a, if a very big winning player takes the big blind and gives me the button 80 times in a row, that no sane winning player would ever do that, and obviously that proof it's a bot. So this, I, I really took the the button 80 times in a row before the, the operator of the bot came over and saw it and sat out and then actually typed fuck you to me and then and then left. And then he actually complained to Bodog who called me and actually had the nerve to tell me that, that I was the one at fault and that if I do this again, I'm going to be kicked off the site. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is a bot. I did this to prove it was a bot and the, the guy just didn't care. But anyway, that was, that was many years ago. But that was an example of, of, of an exploit used against a bot because a bot is unable to think, hey, this is putting me at a disadvantage. I don't want to take the big blind 80 times in a row. A bot can't think that way. A bot can't reason these things out because it's not programmed to reason these things out. So these are the rare times you can beat a bot. But usually bots are very, very difficult to beat for the reasons I already named. And usually they don't have these vulnerabilities. So you've got all your human vulnerabilities and the bot does not. And the bot has a much better memory than you. The bot can learn quickly, much better than you can. And and the bot has no emotion and no fatigue. Very, very tough opponent, obviously. So six months ago, the Winning Poker Network, which includes America's Card Room, announced that they were cracking down on a bot ring that played on their site based out of Latvia, including that one that was caught with that ridiculous heads-up tournament where it malfunctioned, which kind of blew up the whole story because someone posted it up on Twitch and everyone got to see the, the way it went down, and it was, it was laughable. So in uh, April 2019, they announced 
that uh, they were going to do what they called the first and only verifiable reimbursement policy. And that they were going to ban bot accounts and return any funds seized from the bots to players that the bots had beaten. They tweeted, we are proud to announce the first and only transparent and verifiable reimbursement policy taking a stand against bots. We have disabled user Fox Rocks. That was the one that was a malfunction in that tournament and refunded 4,001 players for a total of $175,728.80. Check out our new policy here. Now, they, they, they had that much because Fox Rocks finished second in a tournament and probably had an existing bankroll. But And then they posted their new policy about bots, and it, it seemed pretty positive. There were some strange things about it, though, which I'll get to. I mean, we talked about this back in April, but it's important to review all this because it, it applies to today's story. Again, this is all six months old we're talking about here. So their reimbursement policy was that they, first of all, they had a cap of $25,000 reimbursement per bot that was caught on the system, which is already a weird problem, a weird thing. It's a problem because what if the bot has stolen hundreds of thousands and has that still online? Why, why only get 25 back to the players who got cheated? They should, the, the policy should be, we will reimburse everybody every penny that is in the bot accounts. I can understand that they, if the bots have cashed out already, they're not going to reach into their own pockets and pay people. But whatever the bot has left in its account should be distributed, whether it's $10 or whether it's $100,000 or whether it's a million dollars. Whatever it is should be, once it's verified to be a bot, the account should be closed, that money should be seized, and then a fair reimbursement should be done with all of that money to all of the players that bot had played. It's not, it's not that simple to decide who gets what, but you got to come up with something you think is fair and then do it. And that's, that's about all you can do. So they, they had a certain policy on how they do it with tournaments, a certain policy with uh, how they do it with cash games. I won't bother reading it to you. If you want to go hear more discussion of this, you can go back to, uh, you can go to the April, like sometime mid-April, we had an episode about this of this year. They also on this page would list all banned accounts that they were banning. It's supposedly a, a transparent thing that you get to see all the people who were affected by the bot and how much went to each player that was affected and who was banned. So th- this is actually good because here they don't just say, hey, we, we – confiscated this much from this player and gave it back to the players. Here you actually get to see a list of the players who got the money. And they started listing these bands on April 11th. The first one was that Fox Rocks. And they gave back 175K. But then after that, they were only doing 25K. The next one was four days later on April 15th, uh, Glukov, also from Latvia, 25,134. And that was the the last time it was ever over 25K. That was a tiny bit over 25K, but at least it was over 25K. The rest of them were all exactly 25K. Uh, Gallagher, Filibuster, Prophet 777, Arroquette A, Apocalypse. This is all in April 2019. All 25,000. All from Latvia. Uh, Daum's Dick. That's kind of a funny... This is actually from from Germany, Daum's Dick, on uh, April 26th. P-U-Q-Q I-List from Latvia, April 26th. War- Warrior from Latvia, April 26th. Corvus from Latvia, April, uh, May 1st. 
and Bobokul from Germany on May 1st. Well, that's interesting. That's the last one listed. So what's happened since May 1st? Uh, have there been no bots on America's Card Room between May 1st and mid-October 2019? Is, is it, are, are we done? Is the problem corrected? Of course not. In fact, there's more bots than ever. The bots are overrunning the games. What, what happened to this transparent policy? What happened to banning bots and listing them all and listing who the money's going to? This, this great thing they were doing, which they kept up with for about three weeks before quitting. This kind of reminds me of someone who on New Year's Day says, okay, New Year's resolution, I'm going to go to the gym twice a week. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm not going to have late night snacks. I'm going to get in shape. And for the first week they do, the second week they do, the third week they do, then the fourth week they kind of say, well, I'm too busy to go to the gym this week. I don't feel that good anyway. And oh, I guess I can have an extra dessert tonight. Oh, and this looks so good. Let me have this, uh, have this candy here at 2 in the morning that I bought when I was at the supermarket. And they start sliding, and then they just never get back to that gym. And they never, they don't keep to their new healthy eating habits. And all of a sudden, all of these promises they made to themselves about the way they're going to take care of themselves have fallen by the wayside and they're back to their old habits. Pretty much the same thing here. They, they do this for three weeks. <laughs> it's like, nah, we're done. They didn't say so, but they just kind of like someone just breaking a diet or breaking an exercise routine. Just couldn't stick to it for more than a few weeks. So that's it. They didn't explain why they didn't say why we're, this isn't continuing. This is supposed to be indefinite. So unless the bot problem went away, which it did not, then obviously they're just no longer handling the problem. Or maybe this is a thing just for optics at the moment, and then a few weeks into it, they're like, okay, everyone thinks we're taking care, taking care of bots. Let's just forget this. Now, notice that all the accounts I, I read to you that were banned all had 25,000, except for those two at the beginning. It was all exactly 25,000, which means still, even those seizures and closures of those accounts still left America's card room keeping a lot of extra money. Because if they, if it's 25K, 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 that means there was more than that in the account, and they just kept the rest, which which is also wrong. And that's that's never been addressed either. It's never been addressed what they do with the rest of the money, which I think we know what they do with it, which is wrong. They, that That's insane that they can close these accounts and just keep in excess of uh, whatever's twenty over 25K. There's, there's no excuse for that. I, I don't even understand that. Well, let's get back to today. Because we were just talking about to May 1st. Let's get back to today. Um, it looks like they, they aren't... They're either not banning bots anymore since May 1st, or if they are, they're not posting about it. Players are reporting, and this is according to a an article on Poker News. Poker News, they, they actually did an, uh, an article about this whole situation. But there was also a lot of discussion on 2 plus 2 about this. But uh, according to the, the Poker News article, that 
players are reporting that virtually every cash game table at low and mid stakes, especially PLO, have one or more bots at them. And in some cases, as many as four bots are at certain tables. Can you imagine you sit in the game and <laughs> there's four bots there? Which, by the way, may also be colluding. That's another. It's not just four individual bots. It could be, but it also can be four bots that are colluding with each other. So, what's going on here? Why, why did they give up on this? And it really just appears they don't feel like putting the effort in anymore. Also, keep in mind that bots, in some ways, are beneficial to poker sites because bots do. Bots have infinite patience. So bots can sit at tables and wait and wait and wait and wait until someone comes and sits with them. They, they get games started. They keep, keep games going in some cases. Maybe a game won't break because it's got bots in it keeping it going. It's like unpaid prop players they have there. That's the upside for poker sites like American Card Room is that bots can act like props. The downside for these sites aside from the customer base getting pissed off, is that bots are winning players and take money out of the economy of the site, and they are withdrawing players. So that is bad for the poker site in that the bots bust fish, who then don't redeposit, which hurts the economy of the poker site. However, if they are closing these bot accounts and keeping some of the money, then maybe that's worth it to America's Card Room to have these bots there. Actually, let the bots play for a while and accumulate money and then close them and take the money. They could basically be free-rolling the bots where they know they know who they are and they're like, okay, well, let's, let's let them win, say, 75000 close it, give 25000 back, and we'll keep fifty. Pretty good deal for America's Card Room, right? It's even possible they've been closing bot accounts since May 1st but just aren't refunding the players. They could just be keeping it and... Uh, Usually when bots get closed down, the owners of the bots don't go whine about it publicly because they know what they did. And they know if they do, there will be people who come forward and go, hey, wait a minute, I thought that account was a bot. And especially if it's from Latvia or something, it's pretty obvious. Like People know who the bots are on there, so if, if one of them were to appear on 2 plus 2 and whine, but oh, America's card room closed my account and took my money, they'll go, yeah, you're a bot. <laughs> so they don't even bother complaining because they, they know they'll get no sympathy. So it's, it's very possible that America's Card Room could even be closing some of these and just not telling anyone and just keeping the money, and nobody's the wiser. I'm not saying they are or aren't, but it's a possibility. At the very least, the bot problem has gotten very bad there, and at the very least, there are a lot of bots that are not being banned, that are, are continuing to proliferate on the site. And just it seems like at every table that's active at low and mid stakes, as I said, especially at PLO, the bots are just there. So that's a very big issue. And really, if you play on American Card Room and you see these bots there, especially if they're from Latvia, I guess some of them are from Germany too, but if they seem to be there, uh, don't play because it's going to be very hard to beat them. But unfortunately, people are saying, look, I can't play at all then because there's always a bot there and the bot's not going to get tired and leave. The bot's always going to be there. How can you tell what a bot is? Well, there's a few ways to tell. First of all, a bot plays an insane number of hours because it doesn't have to sleep. In some cases, it can be there 24 hours. 
a bot never chats. A bot plays a pretty specific style. Doesn't change around its style very much. Never goes on tilt. Bots tend to call down more often. Because bots... It's it's more difficult for bots to figure out when someone's bluffing them. That's kind of more of a human skill. So what bots have to do in general is just uh, call down more. But do so in a smart way to where they're not... Uh, they play more like a defensive strategy that makes them difficult to bluff. And that means they call down more often, so you'll get more value out of them when, when you're beating them, but but then your bluffs against them will fail, and it's, it's hard to run them off hands, and they can be a pain in the ass. So, the, uh, so that, that's, that's another problem. Uh, bots rarely make really stupid plays. Sometimes they'll make some kind of unorthodox play, but they, they don't do things that are just outright really stupid. They tend to be winning players. They tend to be from countries like Latvia. Latvia is a very big one on there. Uh, I think Estonia is another one. A lot of those Baltics players from there, it's not guaranteed they're bots, but there's a good chance they are. Uh, Whereas a player from the U.S. is not guaranteed to be a human, but a much higher chance. So if you see Latvia, that's already a big red flag. So just watch. There's there's no exact way to tell if it's a bot, but you, you can probably figure it out. I suggest you report all bots to America's Cardroom customer service, even if it's not very useful, because they've definitely been reported a lot and nothing seems to be happening. Now, there is a small silver lining to all of this. Someone found on a forum that was actually a support forum for a certain piece of bot software that on this forum they were claiming that the new version of the of the bot software does not support America's card room and they're not going to support America's card room anymore that they people should stop using the bots on America's card room which is interesting provided this wasn't just for show which I don't think it was then maybe America's Cardroom is finally doing something and just not really being upfront about it. Though, again, this might go back to the possible theory that they're just closing bot accounts down and keeping the money completely. But maybe, and this is just very recently, that it was found on these forum posts. Again, it's like a a support forum for for one of these bot, bot software packages you can buy to run your own bot. That... They're, they're just not supporting America's card room anymore because of some actions. They, they weren't specific, but some actions America's card room has been taking and that they recommend that you don't use their software on America's card room anymore. So it is possible these are starting to get closed down. What's weird is America's card room could easily catch these bots if they wanted to. There's, a, the, there's information they also have that the average player doesn't have that can identify bots, such as the timing and how they act, such as their stats with how much money they voluntarily put into the pot and how much they, how often they raise pre-flop. A lot of times these bots play in a very similar fashion to one another. And if you get a lot of hands in each of these bots, you can tell that their stats are so similar. It's gotta be this. It's gotta be a bot because it's, it's just too similar 
for it to be uh, two people doing the exact same thing, the exact same strategy. And of course, if they're both from Latvia or something, that makes it even more likely. So they, they can add a lot of things together to figure out whether it's a bot or not. And as I've mentioned before on a, on a recent show, they did require somebody who wanted to cash out to take a video of himself playing with it, with uh, also the video pointing to the screen at the same time. And the, they had all these requirements to, to the, the person had to demonstrate themselves playing. And then also they were, they said they were going to analyze that person's strategy playing as themselves on camera compared to when they're not on camera and see if they match. And if they don't, then they're not going to be able to cash out. Now, they should do this not just at cash out. They should do this to anyone suspected of being a bot. And this is – Stars has done the same thing. Like when the person who was told to prove this was very insulted. And as far as I know, like I, I, don't, I don't even know if this person was legit anyway. This person could have been using a bot. But even if they were falsely accused, it's not outrageous because these sites have to do this if they suspect something. So maybe Amer- maybe America's card room is doing something about the botting situation now. Maybe they're just starting to clamp down on this. But but the fact that six months ago they claimed this problem was being taken care of, and they had this whole transparent refund process, and it, it, then they didn't do anything. And then after May first, they just let bots infest the site and weren't banning anyone, from what we could tell. So bots completely were overrunning the site and everyone is very upset about this and it's really something you have to keep in mind before you play there. So that's something that you have to think about. Here's some other things to think about. They give rake back on the winning poker network. I believe it's like 27%. And... Up until recently, that was fine, but some rakeback issue occurred in recent months, I think after they did some kind of system maintenance or changed some servers or something like that, where rakeback started to become calculated incorrectly, and people were getting shortchanged on the rakeback, and they could tell from the number of hands they played, and some of them could even, some of them even, even tracked all their hands, and they could tell how much rake they paid and how much they should be expecting in rake back. And they did not get that. And they were, they were very much shortchanged. And then a lot of people were reporting that. And clearly going back at least a few months that they were not paying out the rake back that they promised they would. Maybe this was intentional. Maybe this was an error. I think probably more likely it was an error, but nevertheless it was happening. What was frustrating was the fact that this just wasn't getting fixed. People kept reporting it, and they were not getting it to work properly. So month after month, this kept happening. Apparently, some of the sites on Winning Poker Network just said, you know what, we're, we're not going to wait for the network to fix it. We're just going to pay you the difference, and they're fixing it. But... It's kind of like a negative checkoff thing where only people who complained were getting this fixed for them. Like if you bitched, hey, my, my rake back was too low. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, here's the rest of the money, which means a lot of people who don't even notice, they're keeping it. And there's a claim that this has to do with a misprogrammed date flag. So that somehow a lot of a lot of rake that was generated 
was just missed in calculating the rate, the rake back, something like that. But uh, this is a mess. And, and as far as I know, this still hasn't been totally fixed. So keep that in mind if you're playing there and getting rake back. Uh, I, I would check this if, I, if you have the ability to. And if you don't have the ability to and you notice your rake back is lower than it was in the recent past and you're playing about the same, if you just like if you got rake back that was disappointing, you go, wait a minute, I, I expected way more than that, definitely speak up about it. Because that's probably the only way you're gonna get you're you're gonna pay get paid back. And that's uh something you need to do because it's money that's that's owed to you. So that's going on at the same time of all the of all the bots, which is a big problem. Uh so that's problem number two that's going on there at the moment at, at America's Card Room. And I, I don't even know if they've done anything to fix that yet. Last I heard, they haven't. Supposedly this problem started on May 20th when they did a software update. That's why I think it was accidental. However, they, they promised that this would be fixed by July and then when it wasn't fixed in July... And they had to say something. They claimed that the date of fixing would be TBD. <laughs> How do you like that? Like, you're getting stiffed on your rake back month after month, and they're like, "Oh, we're working on it." And it'll it, TBD. When we'll stop cheating you? We'll stop ripping you off of your rake back on a date to be determined later. <laughs> How can they not like jump on this and fix it immediately? This shouldn't be that hard. They should be able to compare the software to prior to May 20th and after May 20th and figure out why this is happening and fix it like within a matter of days. This shows you they, they either are happy this is happening or did it intentionally or they just don't care very much. Some people are saying that they got cheated out of more than 50% of their rake back between May 20th and the end of September. So this is really a mess. And if you think about it, you have America's Card Room stiffing people out of rake back and bots are all over the site beating you when they should not be. So there's really a lot of money that should be in the average player's account there that isn't between the rake back and the bots that are winning. And botting is cheating. The bots may play poker normally and they may play a fair poker game, but the fact that they are there, the fact that you are competing against them is unfair. So it is cheating to be botting. Poker, unless unless you are, unless it's something where you go in knowing you're playing against a bot and bots are clearly identified as such and you, you're okay with it, then botting is cheating because bots are playing, representing themselves as humans. And it's not fair. It's not a fair fight. It's not a fair fight. So uh, anyone using a bot is cheating. And if you lose to a bot, you've been cheated out of money. You have. So neither issue has been handled very well, especially over the past several months. But there's one more issue that's going on with America's card room. Let me take a call here. Maybe we have a caller who can tell us more about this. It's an unknown caller, but I'll take a chance. You are on the air. Caller. 
Caller, hello. Last chance. You got to speak or you're going to drop you. Well, that was a very interesting phone call. Thank you. Thank you for your contribution here. Could have been worse. They could have been. That's true. You know, they, actually, sometimes a silent call is better than some of the calls we receive here. That's true. That's that was probably. I mean, is it possible they're broke? Drop. It seems like all these things. You know, is it cash flow? No, they're paying out. They're they're paying. Uh, I, they just they seem to just not care. I think I think because there's only really two options for Americans to play uh, uh, on these card rooms that accept Americans that have any kind of real traffic, and they feel okay. Well, and there's the reason people don't like ignition, such as the anonymous tables and other stuff like that. So they're like, okay, well. We're the only kind of normal card room of any size that's not all anonymous tables that's available to Americans. So, Evan, we'll just do what we want. And uh, I don't fully understand their thinking, but it they've been screwing people in the rake back, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and just not fixing it for five months now. And there's bots all over the place, and they don't seem to care. The only small... Uh, Consolation to this is that there's that one piece of botting software which claims that they're going to stop supporting America's card room because it's become too hard. But even the fact that they were only paying $25,000 of seized money is weird and already makes them look dishonest. So there's a lot of problems. As I said, the only really good thing over there, besides the fact that there's traffic, is the fact that they pay you if you win. If you cash out, they pay you. That's... That's the only reason that network's not a complete disaster. But there's one other thing, as I was saying. Is we're not even done <laughs> with, with all the problems. There's, there's still one other thing going on. They are also having crashes. Tournaments are crashing. And the software itself has been crashing. And that's been happening a lot over the past month for some reason. So there's these tournaments that you'll be playing, and all of a sudden it freezes up, or it just stops, and then you, you end up getting a refund for your buy-in, and a lot of times just it's canceled completely no matter how well or poorly you were doing, so you've just wasted your time. I, I guess if you're busted and you get the money back, that's good, but uh, there's then there's actually some time also that it takes. You don't get the money back immediately. They've got to figure out what to do in each individual tournament and whether they should give some kind of prorated... Uh, payouts there, or if they, if it crashed too early, they have to refund everybody, including people who are busted. It, it, there's some time involved in this where your money is just kind of held up. And also, who wants to waste time playing a tournament and then just it crashes and you get your money back and you go, okay, well, I want those three hours of my life back. The, and this is happening pretty often over there. And then there's client crashes too, where it just you're just playing and the, and the thing crashes. Now, to be fair, Ignition software crashes and freezes for some people. I don't really get crashes that often on Ignition. What I get is it's just the loss of connection when the rest of my connection up to the internet is great. Like I'll, it'll freeze up and I'll, I'll try other sites and everything's fine. And Ignition, I'm just freezing, 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 freezing. And then you, you switch, you have the heartbreak of that occurring when you're in the middle of a hand and actually have a good hand. And uh, I actually try not to get too upset because I see this happening to other players too. And I have had hands I've won on there, which I shouldn't win because others have timed out. Where I've missed the draw, or I just have crap, or they, you know, it's a, uh, 
you know, like someone check raises the flop and I'm just making a flop call ho- hoping for a miracle on the turn and then the person just times out and I win. Like I, I know there I'm probably behind. So I try to think of that money I've won which I didn't deserve to win when I when I lose money where the crash happens to me. I've also had, had it on ignition where like I have the nuts and I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to extract a lot of money out of this guy. And then like, like on the turn, he just freezes up. I go, no! <laughs> that's, that's like the worst. I don't know what's worse on ignition is when you're crashing yourself when you've got a big hand or when your opponent who's been giving you a lot of action and you've got the nuts and you're just dreaming of all the money you're going to extract out of him and then he just times out. I'm not sure which of those is worse. But anyway, back to him. So I, I'm only mentioning ignition to be fair here that there are client issues for Ignition, but but Ignition does not have the the issue with a lot of tournaments getting canceled. Like uh, I don't play tournaments on there, but but you do, right? Uh, Trader Risky, you play on Bovada tournaments. I do. I do. Yeah, and you, you don't notice like very often when the tournament just ends and and you get refunded, right? No, I mean it's happened a couple times, but yeah, hasn't yeah. much at all. Maybe yeah, it doesn't happen twice, right? That's 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 the impression I got that it's just an occasional. But thing. one thing I have been noticing, Jeff, since you bring it up, is the guarantees have all been steadily going down on the nightlies. Uh, on Ignition? Yeah, well, Bovada I play, yeah, yeah. but I'm assuming it's the same back end. Yeah. So, yeah, so I guess action's down, and they've cut tournament, certain tournaments, certain nights. You know, they had a $10 that used to be, you know, 10 k guaranteed every night. Then it went down to 8 Now it's 5 Um. Yeah, so there's several of them have just been progressively going down. Yeah, uh, that's in, that's interesting. I've actually noticed that the cash games on on, uh, on that network it, it seems to have gone down. I've I've had a hard time. I've had a harder time getting action recently in uh, the limit hold'em games compared to like the same time last year. So that's it's interesting. I wonder if there's just uh, a decline in these sites in online poker. But yeah, it's. So there's a lot of issues going on right now with America's card room. The I, I thought maybe I had kind of a, a line to the CEO because he, he started a conversation with me a, about a month ago on Twitter and private. But then I messaged him recently. And he just is ignoring me. And I, I wasn't even sending like offensive messages or, or critical messages. I was just trying to get him to talk to me about anything. And he just isn't responding. So I, and I don't even think it's because like he's bitter. I think he's I think he's just kind of shutting down and doesn't want to talk to anybody because he knows that uh, the thing's a mess right now. So, yeah, America's Card Room's a mess. Anything on the Winning Poker Network is a mess right now. I would watch out, and if you have rake back through there, be very careful. Make sure you're getting what you are expecting you're getting. If not, speak up. Contact the customer service. Go to 2 plus 2 and post in that thread. Don't just accept it. Don't just take it because it, it looks like they still haven't fixed the matter, and it, it's a problem. So that's uh, something to keep in mind. Uh, here's some comments in the chat room because there's a number of people who uh, play on there. Someone pointing out that the part of the reason that the bots are having trouble is something you wouldn't expect. It's that they're actually changing their fonts a lot on there, and the fonts are actually confusing the bots because the way they're reading the screen, they can't do so well anymore. 
So it was actually, I forgot about that. On those forum posts, they were talking about that the rapid font changes they're going through is making it too difficult to support America's card room. That's, uh, that's right. I, f- I forgot about that detail. Thanks for reminding me of that there. Uh, someone else is mentioning that uh, Beer and Poker said the worst problem is the fact that the bots collude together. And he's also pointing out that he really doubts they're broke because they're owned by Betcris, which is a very, very large sports book. Which is true, but as I said, I, I'm not seeing evidence they're broke because they they're, they're paying out. And when when a room is broke, then they are stalling the cash outs, and that's the only problem they don't have over there. So, uh, disposition said, uh, if there's one level left and the site crashes, if you're in the top ten, you get only the refund back. If you're knocked out, I don't think you get your money back. And then beer and poker said they refund everyone claiming people could have had issues before when they busted. Uh, so. Say he's claiming that it has to do with a late registration. That if it's uh, any time before, from what I'm understanding, he's writing any time before the late registration. If it's uh, if they're having issues and they cancel it, then just, you just get a refund. That's it. I see somebody messaged me that they want to call in about this, and I see the phone is ringing. So I wonder if this is them. Call, you're on the air. Hey, how's it going? Uh, this this dandruff. It is. Cool, man. Uh, I messaged you on Twitter. Uh, a few days ago about the situation on WPN. And I was wondering if you'd like to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So basically, I am the um, poster Hand of God 666 on uh, 2 plus 2. Oh, really? Yeah, I know there's, and, really, yeah, there's a, lot, a lot that came from you. Yeah, so basically, I've been playing on ACR for three years now. And I'm one of the higher volume regs on there. And there was a bunch of accounts that I was, I was pretty much, I knew there was something up with these accounts, but I had been like looking at the, like the preflop stats. So I, they were different across different stakes I was playing. So I, I was like, Oh, they're probably, I, I never, it never clicked that they were all the same thoughts because I was looking at preflop and I didn't look at like the post flop stats are all the same. So anyway, I finally realized what was going on. And that this same bot was on every table, go, you know, from like PLO 10 all the way up to, they actually play as high as PLO 3000. And I was just like astonished. So I like started looking to my database, you know, started finding all the accounts had the same um, telltale stats. And I sent a list of all these accounts to ACR security and I didn't get a response, and so I contacted uh, I contacted this guy that was like a sponsored pro, and I asked him if he knew anyone that I could get in touch with at ACR, and he put me in touch with the tournament director, and I sent all the information to him, and he spoke to me on the phone. This was last November, and you know he's like, oh, uh, you know, not a single one of these accounts has a USA location, so. You know, don't you think there would be at least one account that was from USA? Uh, you know, that was running this bot or something. And I was like, no, that doesn't. The location really isn't even relevant. And so it's basically last week. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go to Joe Ingram and I'm going to two plus two, and I'm gonna. So I started posting all that, and Joe Ingram ended up doing. He started trying to get the word out, and then the major catalyst though was end up being the uh are you familiar with the 
Are you familiar with the situation with the Fox Rocks account? Yeah, yeah. I, I talked about that a little bit earlier. Yeah, the, 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 the bot that made it to heads up and then malfunctioned. Right, right. So that was the big, that was the major catalyst. I didn't catch the beginning of your show, by the way. But um, yeah, that 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 was the one that basically was just so like blatantly obvious that anyone with a brain cell could just could see that, and they had to like do something immediately. That's my opinion, at least. That um, Nagy just had to do something because it was a major PR issue, and if he if he didn't like take action, you know, it would just look bad for him. So she went on that huge, and I actually believe that he was going to, he was going to, that he was serious about this. Uh, he seemed genuine. Anyway, he, uh, he's, they banned a few accounts. They banned uh, four of the accounts that work like confirmed PLO bots, but the majority of the accounts that were banned were either tournament bots or, uh, no limit cash game bots, and I believe that a lot of the, a lot of these accounts were bots, but they haven't banned any accounts in the past five months, and it doesn't seem like they have any intention of banning any other bots. And the only thing I've seen them doing is like they had this uh, captcha thing, where like a, a captcha would pop up, and you had to like you know solve it. And if you didn't solve it, it would, they would like make you make a, a video of yourself playing for like, I don't know, 90 minutes or something. So a bunch of people had to do that. But they didn't ban any bots. So you'd think if people were being, you know, flagged as potential bots, maybe one, one account would be banned in five months, months you know. But I don't know. But it's it just. Now here's, here's to, a me, question. to me, I'm sorry. Here's a question I've got for you here. I, I was mentioning this earlier. I, I, know, I know you didn't hear the whole segment before, but I, I'm wondering, how do you know that they didn't ban anybody? Is it possible? I know on their list of bots they've banned, they haven't updated it since May 1st, but is it possible they have banned some of these and are just keeping the money and not refunding anybody? That's definitely possible. It's also possible, uh, it's also possible that they have banned accounts and just haven't um, updated that list and they're planning on refunding in the future that's possible but you know they haven't actually indicated that anywhere on any no not no one from WPEN has indicated that at all so you know if they're not doing if they haven't done that I, I guess like the safest assumption is that they're uh they're just they're just not banning any yeah I mean there's there's something that's that's wrong there and and I it's great that you've called all this out, and I know that it's gotten some attention. And that seems to be what gets things done with America's Card Room is that if there's enough shaming, that CEO right. Phil Nagy finally goes, oh, "Okay, well, I got to, I got to say something now. I, I've got to do something." And I, I agree with you. It seemed like he was serious six months ago about the whole thing with with uh, making it transparent and listing all the the bot bans and, and, and the confiscation and who's getting the money and it seemed like for a few weeks they did this I compared it earlier in the show to someone who makes a New Year's resolution to, to go on a diet and, and to go to the gym and then after a few weeks they just they just kind of lose enthusiasm for it and it just dies but more, so I, I think it's more likely that something like that happened why I, I don't know like I don't know why with people constantly complaining about botting there and this has been going on for so long there why they, they don't just finally say we can't just do this for a few weeks and ignore it we've got to finally take a stand We've got we've got to put some effort into banning these bots. 
Uh, did, did you ever figure out why are they only refunding a, a maximum of 25k to players when they do ban these bots? Why? What are they doing with the rest of the money? Have we ever got an answer on that? Yeah, uh, I listen. I watched most of his interviews on Twitch, and he said that Phil Nagy said that um, that he couldn't afford to refund the full amount. So he was just like picking that as an arbitrary number. But what's interesting is that if you look through all the players that were actually refunded, you can go through those and, you know, for the PLO bots, for, for example, I'm not really too familiar with the uh, Holum and the uh, and the tournaments because I don't play those. But the PLO ones, there was four accounts that were banned, and the lion's share of the refunds actually went to other bots. <laughs> And if you think about it, if you have four bots in a six-mac game, you know, the odds are that not all of the bots are going to be winning in each game, you know? So, yeah. like, you know, if, <laughs> if, if you have, like, bot one and bot two playing against each other in the game, you know, maybe one of them loses to the other one. You know, they can't both win against each other. So, I mean, it's absurd. And, and, and a lot of these – so, you know, it's also very one, – one thing I've never understood is why – um, why they are constantly cycling these accounts. So, like, what's going on? Like, you have, like, a bot. You know, it'll, like, be created. Let's say a bot was created um, in May or something, right? And then it will play for, like, three or four months, and then it will be gone, right? But then you have some bots that, are, that have been playing for over a year, and other bots will show up for, like, a week, and they'll be gone. So I, I don't know what the rationale between that is, my theory is that there's possibly multiple – well, I think it's almost certain that there's multiple operators. Well, yeah, there are because we, we saw these – there's this forum where there, there's this discussion that they, they've changed their fonts so it's harder for the bots to, to, to read things. So, Wait, Which forum? Warbot, Warbot forum? I, I forgot which one it was. I just – I saw a screenshot of it. Uh, but uh, those, those, those botting forums are not the – those aren't discussing this this particular type of bot. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. All right. Uh, yeah. So ATR uh, retweeted something um, this week, and it was some guy saying that. Uh, oh, he he actually posted a screenshot of the of a of a forum. Yeah, that's what I they saw. Were saying, oh, we we gave up. And I believe that's true, but that bot probably was not very profitable because that's just like a they call it like a what are they calling it like a those, those are just like publicly available bots, right? You're saying it's the lower quality ones These, that, that you're saying the the, oh, the high yeah, quali- the, the, the high quality the, ones are not uh, the, those aren't affected here, right? Because when they so they did a uh, update to the, the the pot graphics and the the bet bet size graphics this week, and basically all they did was they put this like little fuzzy dot background behind all the uh, the numbers. And it's supposed to like make it impossible for the for the you know the screen scrapers to like uh, scrape the information effectively. And I I'm not actually sure how this how the bot that I'm familiar with works, but none of those accounts like as soon as that update came out, I was playing at the at the time, and none of the bots disappeared. They were all still there. Interesting. So it must not be it must not be picking it up that way. It must just see. Uh... Well, well I, you know. You know what I've noticed too is that 
it seems like whoever works security there has these ideas about ways to combat bots and they're convinced that their way it's like their way only like there's no um like the screen scraping oh well if we if only we made it impossible for the bots to screen scrape then they wouldn't be able to play or you know we should just have these captures come up more frequently or you know these these, these ideas that are not working at all well so there's I, a possibility that yeah, I can tell you something here that, that that's that's the wrong way to do it, of course. And and I saw the same thing happening. I used to chat on Yahoo Chat many years ago, and they had a big botting problem there. Obviously, it was not a gambling thing, but they they had a problem where where porn bots would be all over Yahoo Chat and would constantly be spamming links to porn sites. And they would be and, and each chat room only had like fifty slots in it, so they would take up like thirty five of the fifty slots of just bots there. It was a big problem, and they kept trying to change things, including captchas including other things that are supposed to be very difficult for bots to get through. And every time they, they added something, which made it more and more difficult on the users to navigate through, right. the bots, it would take about three right. hours and they'd be right back. So like three hours, the bots would be gone and then bang, they're, they're, they're all back. And whoever programmed them found a very quick way to, to get around it. So either, either that's what was found here, that they what they think is impossible for the bots to read actually isn't, or that the bots were determining... Uh, this information in a different way than they thought they were. So, yeah, it's uh, obviously if the bots were just immediately playing right after rolling out these changes, that uh, whatever they did wasn't very effective. Well, well, there was actually a post on 2 Plus 2, like, yesterday. This guy said, I'm trying to pull it up. Um, I, I'm not familiar with how the tech, how technically these bots work, but he told, he was, because someone kept saying, yeah, um, he was basically just repeating what ACR retweeted there that, oh, all the bots are gone. They can't screen scrape anymore. You know, we just did, we're, we're, we're ahead of the curve. We're, you know, we're light years ahead of all the other sites because they have bots and we don't. I mean, poker stars, this is the exact same bot that was on poker stars in 2016 and party. And Poker stars got rid of it immediately because there's a huge thread from 2016. I'm not sure if you're aware of. I mean, you're aware of the the, the Pilo bot thing uh, from 2016, right? Yeah, yeah. They did a massive banning. Yeah. Right. So they, they took care of those, and I was checking stat names for the regular tables on uh, Poker Stars. I don't play there, but I was, you know, I was observing tables. And I was looking up every player at the table to see if they had these same stats. And there was none of these bots there. But they're on BetOnline, they're on Bovada, they're on ACR. But ACR has the, has the most pernicious infestation because on, on these other sites, I'm not sure about Bovada, because like Bovada is anonymous, so it's impossible to really know the scale of it. But on ACR, uh, there's like two to four bots at a six-max table. And that's crazy. That, that, PLO, yeah. you know, 16 cards, it, it's impossible to beat these things. Well, especially if they're sharing, yeah, if they're all cooperating and sharing cards, then that's really a disaster. So, so I think there's multiple operators, and the sharing is only going on amongst the operator, like the specific operator that's operating the bots. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't think that, like, every, every single one of the bots is – it's only, you know, say operator A is 
has two bots at the table. Those are sharing. Maybe Oliver B has his two bots at the table uh, sharing. I'm trying to find this post here. So basically, he said that they pull the information about the cards. All right, he said, no, only the crappy public bots you research use uh, OCR. Real ones read the action straight from the process memory with no regards to table graphics. Mm. So it, they don't screen scrape at all, apparently. Huh. Well, that, and and that mean, makes sense because right. here, if it, if here's it, a really interesting. Yeah, go, go ahead. So here's something very interesting. Um, when they first did this update, May 20th, right, there were no bots out. And everyone thought that that was because the bots had to update to the new software, right? But the tournament director came, came into 2 plus 2. He's like, oh, no, poker, there's no one playing for Poker King right now because Poker King isn't working. Like, uh, Poker King isn't active right now. So all these bots are on the Poker King skin. Oh, interesting. Now, why do you think that? It, why yeah, are so why are they why are they under one skin? Why aren't they spread out? I'm not sure exactly. Uh, I talked to like a pretty big affiliate, and he told me that uh, that skin is doing like some really shady affiliate stuff. And he he said that might have something to do with it, but I I, I don't really know why. But they're all like you could look up um, before the update. You could look up on Sharkscope, and you could look up cash game bots or cash game accounts, and you could see what skin they were playing on. Oh. And a lot of these had, had, had been put into, like, a free roll tournament for the Beast. So you could see it was all po- – every single one was poker. poker king. Now, why did why wouldn't uh, Winning Poker Network just kick, kick off Poker King for this? That would solve the problem for the moment. I think there's a lot of legitimate players on Poker King. It's probably more legitimate players than bots. I know that Israel – um and like a lot of I think Poker King is a lot of like Asia, actually. Okay, well maybe, I mean if they got rid of Poker King, they would probably get rid of all the bots. Well, the problem is that bots might move over though. Yeah, I mean, you know what's interesting is there's one account that I'm I haven't seen any bots with a USA location yet, but I'm watching one new account that just showed up, um and the stats so far are lining up with how these PLO bots play, and it actually does have USA location. And there's a new one uh, that just popped up from Thailand, too. So, like, I mean, it's probably it's probably just easier for them to get, like, uh, fake IDs and stuff for Russia and all these, you know, second-world countries. Yeah. Well, uh, this is a, it's a disturbing situation here. Do you – so has there been – so I, I guess since this whole thing about the changing the graphics that didn't really do very much, it sounds like they're just trying some lame things to get rid of them, and it hasn't been effective. So it sounds like nothing's really improved. Has the rakeback thing improved at all? Have you heard? I, you've probably heard about that. Has that matter been fixed, or is that still? Oh, that that is just that that situation is rapidly deteriorating. Um, so there was never. I, I'll say this: in my in my career playing on WPN, they've always been very good about anything. Uh, funds related. They've never, you know, payouts have always been very fast. Um, you know, the, if there was ever an issue, they would always clear it up if there was any sort of, you know, uh, refund due or anything like that. And the reward system was always great until May 20th. And they said that, they've been saying that, oh, yeah, it's just like, you know, we're, we're having some issues, you know, porting over to the new software. 
blah, blah, blah. And they kept making promises of when they were going to be uh, – at first, they weren't even uh, paying out the beast prizes from the, ra- the races prior to the update. And it took them a few weeks to even pay that out. And then they they weren't paying out any of the VIP rate back, which is way more than the the 27% rate back. So let's see what happened. Yeah, so basically uh, they kept saying, oh, it'll be, it'll be July uh, July 8th or something, or July 10th. Maybe it was July 10th. Like, oh, we're going to pay it out on July 10th. And they had, a, they had a, a page on their site where with a – time frame of when they were going to pay this stuff out and july 10th came i believe it was july 10th so july 10th rolls around and then they change it to 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 be determined so they that they they pull a fast one there and then they finally said oh well, we're going to pay it out like a, a month or two later oh yeah we're paying out the vip and then it's just not even they're just not even paying the correct amount and it's way off so like some people some players but I know some heavy volume rags like beast grinders that are getting paid correctly or they said, said they're getting paid correctly. I don't believe it because the hand histories aren't generating 100% correctly. So you'll just have random hands that won't generate a hand history at all. So you won't have that in your, your HUD, in your database. You're not going to have um, an accurate uh, – total how much rake you paid so you you can't you can't know for sure what your correct amount of points should be because you can't even know how much rake you paid unless you like we're only tracking every single hand okay i just paid three dollars here you know paid two dollars there and like writing it down and i don't think anyone's doing that but mine are way off mine are off by like thousands of dollars so last month I took a look at it and I was being shorted over almost 50% of the hands that got generated correctly. And I'd say it'd be, it's around like five to 10% of the hands uh, don't generate hand histories. And it tends to be more likely that it's an all in situation where you're hitting the rate cap when it doesn't do that. Oh, so, so you, so you think it's more than half than you, that you got stiffed out of here. Yeah, I, I would certainly more than half that I got cheated out of and to me this is just large-scale fraud there's just no other way of looking at it i mean they're just not adhering to their contractual agreement to pay out you know they're advertising one thing oh you you know you get a 80 percent rake back but actually you're getting you know 40 percent or something well, whatever so that, they feel like paying so that's 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 what i'm wondering here is why is it since this has been going on since may 20th which is five months ago why is it taking so long, even if this is accidental, why is it taking so long for them to fix this? It's a good question. I mean, I don't think there's any legitimate excuse. I mean, they've been spending most of their their updates. Most of the updates are just – they're just cosmetic changes to the to the UI. There's, there's <laughs> no – they finally fixed the lobby. That was a crazy – the lobby was, like, all fucked up. There was, like – a like you'd click on a table, you'd select a table, and then it would like select another table and show you the information from a, for a different table, and the the information it showed wasn't even correct. So so like trying to multi-table and like add a bunch of tables was like, but they finally fixed that like maybe two or three weeks ago. But other than that, 
I mean, when they, when they first did the upgrade, it was just total chaos. Like, like if you pressed enter, if like you say you were in like another window and you press enter, it would like force you to take an action on one of your tables. <laughs> um, well, that'd be tilting. Yeah, like crazy stuff. I lost a couple of thousand dollars to that. It was like insane. And then uh, they fixed they fixed most of the glitches. I'll, I'd say um, there's another one where you, it will just randomly sit you out. Like after you play a hand, it will just randomly sit you out the next hand, which it, it costs you money because you have to pay blinds. You, so you know what? You know what? Uh, blinds to come uh, you know what? Actually, that just reminded me. Ignition had the Ignition Bovada. They had this exact same bug for a while. I haven't seen it in a while, but the like in the middle of this year, I had so many times that was occurring where I would just abruptly be sat out the next hand, even though I didn't time out and I played the other hand in full. Like it just, it would just sit me out next. That's exactly how I felt. I'm like, this sucks. I lost a free hand here that I, that I paid for. And it, it was, really, yeah, it, it was really it, frustrating. Sometimes it, it's even more tilting. Like the most tilting thing for me when I'm running is like, you know, having a bad beat versus one of the bots. Right. And then I will sit you out after that hand, like instantly sit you out. It's like unbelievable. <laughs> a, it goes on, you know. It's the one-two punch. It's the one-two punch of a, a fail at America's Card Room. I, I'm getting kind of the well, idea well, from, from listening to this. I'm kind of getting the idea that they are—they just don't. They aren't putting many resources into fixing things and getting things done. So they—it it seems like they—they they have very little that they can do because they probably don't have many people on it. And so they've got to decide whether it's fixing their UI and, and bugs in the software or going after bots or, or fixing the rake back. And they probably have this big backlog of all these things to do and everything else just gets put on the back burner. And they prioritize things which don't always meet with what players feel should be prioritized. And, and that's pro- that may be what's happening here. Possibly. But I, I think that they definitely have different departments. So they have like – they have a security department or they have at least one person that does security and that is a well-known pro. Like he's a known pro. Um, Owen, Owen Gaines. I don't know if you've heard of him. So, you know, that guy is not an idiot. He knows what he's doing. And, you know, they banned for these PLO accounts, right? They all have the same statistics. Why are the other accounts not banned? They're still playing these stats. That's that's what I'd like to know. Yeah, I'd love to have a lot, a lot of answers here to this whole situation. And that's what's bothersome here is that it seems like recently, especially there's been a lot of silence about this from America's Card Room, and, and no one's really getting good explanations for for any of this stuff going on. Yeah, and Phil, Phil, Phil's been radio silent on Twitter for since July, I think. Yeah, he, he's not a single post. He, he let me see when the last time he responded. He sent me some private messages. Let me see when. Uh, at, at the very yeah, yeah, it was the July. That's when it was. It was July twenty first. Yeah. The last time I talked to him. Yeah. And I tried to send but him a message been, on. I tried to send him a message on September first. He didn't answer me. He's 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 been the only like public presence he's had is like they make these little. Uh, videos and they're like really professionally done clips like um, like the cage they have these videos they make and like these little clips where they had the clip where he was doing the um, when they did the Guinness record with uh, um, Venom tournament where he paid out the record amount of Bitcoin they, they it was like really professionally filmed right and other than that he hasn't been present at all like you know he just like 
in these videos, like, yeah, like he's like trying to act all cool and he's wearing the, the hockey jersey and all that. So like, it's like, to me, to me, he, I, I personally believe that they that they actually want these spots there because to me that's the only like uh, that's like the Occam's razor explanation because they know what they know for sure what stats these accounts play and they have access to all the the hand histories and the the stats so they know which accounts are bots they're making a deliberate decision not to ban these accounts and to leave them there like I I think that. I think I think it's likely that there that there may there may be a profit sharing agreement with the bot ring because these bots are not making small amounts of money. I mean they're making millions. They're making millions of dollars. Just on a, just on ACR alone they're making millions. Right. That's that's an interesting conspiracy theory that actually could be correct. I'm not saying conspiracy theory to be uh to denigrate what you're saying here. I'm saying that's a, that's actually something that I hadn't thought of, but uh, but could you could understand it could be going on here. And uh, there's some reason that they're keeping them around. I-, I had thought maybe they just like having them as kind of like unpaid props that keep games going, even though they take money out of the economy, that they like having them there. And I had thought that maybe also their their plan to close these bot accounts and then only refund 25000 that uh, it actually can be very profitable for ACR to let these bots build up a lot of profit. And and then shut them down and, and, and keep the remainder over twenty five k. That is, of course, if the bots don't catch out cash out uh, regularly, which which uh, could could be an issue. But they, I, I, I there could be some reasons that they keep them there knowingly for sure, including what you said that maybe what if there is some kind of agreement that the leaders of these bot rings actually pay ACR something per month, maybe a lot of money to exist on there. Yeah, because well. If you look at the Hold'em bots, um, there's a player on there. Vegetables aren't yummy, and he actually got the uh, Supernova equivalent a few a few times, I believe. And he's a Hold'em's only player, and so he sent me some of the data on the Hold'em bots. And there's a couple of threads on people too about the Hold'em bots, and their stats are actually they play kind of similar to the PO bots. Actually, like. They they do a couple things that are unique to the to, to the bots. They do a, a couple things like they they bet really really high frequency multi way. They uh, they float the flop like really aggressively and they're like very aggressive, right? But there was one account in particular I was astonished. This account had been winning the beast, the top tier, for like a two years straight, like almost every week. And this account played, I believe, at least 2 million hands. And it was playing high stakes, too. It was playing like 2-4 and I believe maybe even up to 5-10. And this account, I believe, I believe, like, stat name only gets about 50% of the hands. I believe it was showing a 200K profit on stat name. So if we extrapolate the hands that didn't pick up, that's probably like the win rate was very consistent. It was like a straight line up, right? The graph. If you extrapolate the hands that missed, that's like 400 K, right? And then you take in the rake back, the, the supernova lead rake back, and you take in the, tw- you know, 250 or 2,500 every week, you know, for two years. I mean, this account took over a million dollars out. Just one. Wow. One, yep. I'm, I'm talking about one one account took a million dollars out in two years, <laughs> and then that's not ca- counting the you know probably over a hundred other no limit bots 
And then the PO bots, the same deal. Like they weren't, they weren't for the most part, the PO bots stayed out of the top tier and they even stayed out of the, the second tier. Most of them got the, the $250 prize. But if you, if, if they have like, let's say they have 30 bots getting $250 a week. Yeah. That's not a small amount of money. And then you, then you factor in rake back and they're actually beating the games. I mean, then you got deposit bonuses, you know, they're making crazy money. Like I would say the PO bots probably making at least $3 million a year on WPN. No, no question. That's, that's very interesting. Well, is it possible that ACR just says screw it where they're generating rake? So, uh, just that, that, that is possible. That is possible. And, and like I, the, the Occam's razor would probably suggest that that is the actual reason. Like there's no evidence, you know, it is a conspiracy. There's no evidence that, that ACR is, like they they have a secret backroom deal with with the bot operators. I have no evidence of that. It probably is more likely that they just love the rake, and they also start games and they you know they make the games run. That's definitely possible. But I, I would I would wonder why there's multiple bots at each table because there's no incentive for them to have multiple bots at each table. Yeah. Well, that's all things a mess here. I, I was looking at uh, Phil Nagy's. Twitter and yeah, the very last time he tweeted was August first about uh, Richard Lindiker nuts and ho when he passed away. Yeah, and that was the very yeah. last we heard. And this is two and a half months ago uh, from Phil Nagy, and I, as I said, he didn't respond to me when I messaged him on September first about a totally different matter, something that wasn't even controversial. So it's that's a little bit strange in itself. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to see it, it, what happens. It seems like he's. He's recused himself completely of the of the situation. Like he's washed his hands. Like yeah, that's what no, it looks like. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I just wanted to chime in on that. I, I mean, the situation is bad, and I don't, honestly, after this year, or if they don't get their act together, I'm probably just gonna stop playing there altogether. It's just I, I would not recommend anyone play there unless unless they're prepared to deal with with what's going on there. Well, you know, you know it's, it's funny I you mentioned that... this. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned this because I I actually don't have an account there, but I was just about to sign up and start playing because uh, Bovada's starting to die somewhat, and at least the mm. games I'm playing. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll sign up for ACR. And and just as I was about to do it, I started hearing about this stuff. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> never mind. I'm not. I, I haven't signed up. Yeah, uh, I mean, they never. They never. Well, they basically were always very good about like paying out yeah i knew that you know, yeah you know adhering to all their their programs and everything until may 20th and then it just now it now they're actually stealing now they're actually stealing from people yeah it's it's, it's bad and uh, the whole situation's a mess and that's why i i really think people should kind of just stay away from there and, and see what happens see if they get this together or if this is going to be perpetually the situation on there yeah the, the other thing is that like I believe they have an effective monopoly because yes, there's other sites, there's other co- competing sites, but there isn't really a serious competitor that's offering the, the, the rake back programs they are. So in that area, they basically have established a real monopoly. Yeah. I mentioned that and, too. Right. I, I mentioned that because there's really only two real choices of sites of any size in uh, the U S and the other is Bovada ignition, which is, is all anonymous tables and no rake back. So, so it's not the same thing. Right. So like, I'm a, I guess I, you could call me a rake back grinder, 
So for me, Bovada isn't even a, it's not even a choice, but I, I would not want to play on Bovada because the bots are there, but you have to, these bots take a few hands to, to spot, right? And you might not even play enough hands at the table. The bot might not even be there for a hundred hands. There's no way you even know you're playing against the bot. Cause like when you're playing against, you know, if you're playing against a human, you're going to play one strategy. If you're playing against a bot, you're going to play, you know, you're going to play against the bot strategy, which is completely different. But if you don't know it's a bot, you're going to be playing an inferior strategy. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I would, I would, I would recommend people avoid Bovada too. Bovada, Bovada is just, I would say Bovada is worse actually mm. because of the anonymity. Yeah. And no, I understand that. Okay. Well, that's uh, very interesting. Hey, thank you for calling in here and clarifying all this stuff. Glad to hear from you. Because I know yeah, you, you, were, you were, you were a big, uh, big one who brought all this out to the, to the public and, uh, very, glad you did that and we need more people to do things like this and to make the public aware of when this type of crap's going on and once these discussions get going then that's that's the only time things get changed yeah well i appreciate you taking that call man okay well thank you for calling in all right bye bye well that was an interesting call we got to hear from the guy who brought all this out there in the first place that was interesting Anyway, bottom line is a mess. It is a mess. Watch out. You may want to play on Ignition instead. I know the anonymous tables can be annoying, but America's Card Room is a fiasco right now. now. They aren't approaching this with the seriousness that they should be. Okay, so let's move on to the next topic here. I want to talk about the big purchase that occurred involving poker stars. Now, Poker Stars was started in 2002 by Isai Scheinberg and company. He's based out of Israel. They created Poker Stars. Poker Stars was a very influential and groundbreaking product. Poker Stars was the first major poker site to offer multi table tournaments online, which was a huge game changer. And in fact, they started doing this before the poker boom began. The poker boom began in late 2003. They were offering tournaments, I think, starting late 2002. So those have been going on. In fact, it was through a multi-table tournament that Chris Moneymaker won his way into the World Series of Poker main event in 2003, which he ended up winning. For He bought in for $40 and parlayed that all the way to a, a main event win. So the this was something very innovative they did and multi-table tournaments became a huge driver of traffic of online poker to where even if you were just a cash player having multi-table tournaments on the site was very beneficial because tournament players would then go take money they'd win in the tournaments and go play in the cash games and in many cases they weren't very good cash game players so poker stars Existed for many years. They rapidly became the biggest online poker site. They had, in my opinion, the best software from the very start. They had the best customer service. They did everything very well. They weren't perfect. I've mentioned before various issues I had with them, but most things they did very well. They were very successful. They even had enough money to pay everybody after Black Friday. Eventually, however, PokerStars was sold by the Scheinbergs to Amaya which is a Canadian company, which was kind of shady and had shady beginnings. And under Amaya, things started to change. Amaya 
didn't care as much about the poker community as Eshai Scheinberg did. See, Eshai Scheinberg was interesting in that he actually loved the poker community. He actually had various feelings about things that he's just not going to do no matter what. Like, he didn't want to corrupt the pure poker offered by poker stars by offering casino games or any, anything else like that. All he wanted to do on poker stars was offer poker, and that was it. Even if there were ways he could make more money, all he wanted to do was just offer poker. And he was said to treat his employees very well, and he was said to be yeah, mostly an ethical guy. And that's why some have said that he belongs in the Poker Hall of Fame, because of the great influence he had on the game, and that he just seemed like a pretty good guy and a principled guy. Amaya, you could not describe this way. And they, the first thing they did is they started cutting the, the, the sponsored pros, which I understand that, but like, Ishai didn't want to cut them. They, they, were, they, they would kind of develop a relationship with these sponsored pros, and if these pros weren't really pulling their weight anymore after years, they'd still leave them around. These were like Isai Scheinberg-era things. Amaya said, screw this. If, you're not, if what we're paying you is not translating into that amount of business or more, we're, we're cutting you. Which, that part's fine. You know, that's a business decision. And so they started cutting pros left and right. These are sponsored pros I'm talking about. But then what wasn't very good is when they started making changes that were meant to be hostile to the poker grinder, the worst of which was the Supernova Elite scandal where people who had earned Supernova Elite, they changed the terms retroactively of the benefits you get from it, and everyone was really pissed off, and rightfully so. And I I won't get into all that again, but uh, there were a number of things like that that occurred over the years. CEO David Bezoff also got involved in an insider trading scandal and had to resign as CEO. It's obviously not a salt-of-the-earth character. Obviously, this guy was no Isai Scheinberg. The company of Amaya itself had very weird beginnings. I think they were running like massage parlors in Canada or something like that. They were they were not even a gambling company initially, and the, their ascent to being big enough to even buy poker stars was kind of weird and difficult to explain and it looked like that they got the assets they did not necessarily in very honest fashion well the good news if you hate Amaya is that they are not the owners anymore poker stars has sold and they were acquired by flutter entertainment Flutter Entertainment is something you may not have heard of. But Flutter is actually the former Patty Power Betfair. In 2016, two fairly large and long-standing gambling companies, which were based out of Europe, and I knew of them both for many years, Patty Power and Betfair, they merged and they became Patty Power Betfair. In 2018, they acquired FanDuel because they wanted access to the United States. They saw the United States had uh, a lot of potential for earning them more money because of the change in the law regarding allowing states to legalize sports betting. 
where before it was only Nevada that could have sports betting. There's the change of the law which allowed any state to have sports betting, as we've discussed on this show many times. So at that point, Patty Power Betfair wanted into the U.S. market. And the way to do so is to buy or partner with existing companies that can probably get a license in the U.S. to offer sports betting. Or legalize online poker. Though sports betting is more lucrative. So they bought FanDuel, which by itself was already uh, successful. Because there was a giant uh, daily fantasy sports site. And they changed their name to Flutter. And they, the reason that they did that was that uh, they didn't want to be called Patty Power Betfair FanDuel. Like, <laughs> at some point, they're like, you know what, we have so many brands, we can't just name ourselves after certain brands we have. It'll confuse people, so let's just, let's just pick a name which doesn't have to do with any of that. So they, they call themselves Flutter. Strangely enough, Flutter actually is a brand that they bought a long time ago. They, Betfair bought Flutter, which I'd never heard of before, in 2001. So they, they, there was that name that they actually had bought and had the rights to. I don't even know if Flutter, the, the site itself, exists anymore. It probably doesn't. That's probably why I haven't heard of it. But they bought it 18 years ago. And they say, hey, we'll, we'll use the Flutter name. So it, it's, it was called Flutter. So anyway, Flutter has bought... Poker Stars. This was bought through an all stock deal, and the purchase of Poker Stars. You may wonder how much did it cost to buy Poker Stars? Well, it was a lot. It's obviously not a cheap thing to acquire. How much was it? $100 billion. No, but it was. Billions of dollars. It was about $6.1 billion based upon uh, the stock prices. Uh, the, the Flutter stock closed at uh, 76, around 76 pound, British pounds on October 4th. And that was the... the that was right before they made the announcement of the purchase, and then at that point the stock went up. But we're we're going by the number that that it was worth right before they announced it. And what happened was that uh, there was uh, in this deal there were basically uh, sixty four point eight million shares of Flutter. That went to the Stars Group. So these uh, these new shares was worth at those prices of seventy six pounds, ignoring what shot up after that, uh, would make the deal about six point one billion dollars. Each uh, former shareholder of the Stars Group was going to get zero point two two five three. Flutter shares per share they had of the Stars Group. The Stars Group, therefore, still owns shares there, 
but uh, they own less than 50%, and therefore uh, Flutter is going to control everything. The Stars Group shareholders are going to own uh, 45.36%, whereas the Flutter shareholders will have uh, 54.64%. And the main point of this purchase was not poker stars, really. It, it sounds like it would be, but it's it's actually uh, it was more about sports betting than poker. This is what Peter Jackson, who took a break from producing Lord of the Rings movies to become the CEO of Flutter. No, no, it, it's a different Peter Jackson. But the, this is what Flutter CEO Peter Jackson said: the combination represents a great opportunity to deliver a step change in our presence in the international markets and ensure we are ideally positioned to take advantage of the exciting opportunity in the U.S. through a media relationship with Fox Sports, as well as our development of U.S. sports betting through Flutter's FanDuel and the Stars Group's Fox Bet brands, which I'll explain in a second. We are committed to these two high-quality brands to drive the growth of the combined group in the U.S. So... What's the Fox thing about? Well, Poker Stars had an investment from Fox to create this Fox bet, and this was something that was done in preparation for the legalized sports betting, and it was going to be done through the Fox brand and even possibly promoted through Fox's media to make the brand really big. And now, because FanDuel, because Flutter has bought PokerStars, now they have control of both FanDuel and this Fox bet. So that's that's what the guy's talking about here. That's what the CEO was, was referring to. And FanDuel already has sports betting operations in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And Flutter also has a deal with Boyd Gaming to where they can have access to any Boyd Gaming properties that have a license for sports betting in a number of states. And uh, the Stars Group also has a, an agreement with Penn National for this, and, and that can be used the same way. So this gives them a lot of access instantly to licenses to provide sports betting in the U.S., and they'll get more and more as more states get on board. And that's been the strategy with the, with the sports betting, where a lot of companies, they just uh, they buy into or create partnerships with companies that are likely to get a license in specific states where they'd like to have sports betting because they a new company can't just waltz in and get a license off for sports betting so they, they have to partner with usually an existing brick and mortar casino to do it now what about FanDuel and Foxbet aren't these going to be competing with each other well they've thought of that they're actually going to consolidate and put both FanDuel and Foxbet on a single platform. But uh, they may actually eventually kill Foxbet. 
they're at, at the time they're thinking they're going to keep both of them because both of these are already recognizable to consumers. But at at some point, because FanDuel is, is, is better known, they may just uh, eventually go with FanDuel. But even if they're different brands, they're they're now on one platform and they're really not going to be competing with each other. And this is a problem because for for other companies that are going to compete in the sports betting market because they're going to have such access to so many different states offering sports betting and FanDuel is such a recognized brand and a lot of people have existing FanDuel accounts for fantasy sports purposes and a lot of people who, who do fantasy sports also sports bet so there's a lot of crossover there so it's going to be very difficult to compete in the sports betting market, both uh, especially online, but also somewhat brick and mortar. It's it's it's, it's really going to create a brand that's going to become dominant everywhere. DraftKings will still be a competitor, and they, just like FanDuel, have a big brand that a lot of people know, and of course they're also a, a huge fantasy sports site. And they they have uh, basically the same advantage as FanDuel does, and they, they have their own partnerships. But uh, FanDuel at the moment has the advantage because of this, because now you have the Stars Foxbet partnership and FanDuel's partnerships, all basically Penn National Gaming and Boyd all together now under one roof. What does this mean for poker? Well... Poker is starting to be seen as yesterday's news. There's a general understanding that every year poker is declining in popularity, that the fad is slowly fading, that the game is getting older, which also makes it more difficult for online poker because that's always been a younger person's thing. You just don't have that many young people getting into poker anymore. Before, like, every college student wanted to be a poker pro. Now you don't have that many people in college that are playing anymore. You don't have that many people under 25 playing anymore. You just look, look, go, go to a card room and look around and see how many people you can spy under 25 there. You, you won't see many. So they, they see what's happening here, and it doesn't seem to have that much of a future. I'm not saying it can't make any money. I'm not saying it can't exist, but it's it's something that sports betting in the U.S. is, is a rapidly growing, exploding, high-ceiling market, which could make a fortune. Online poker, they, they can... They, pretty much see what it can make and it's only going to go down from here it's not going to grow anymore so they actually uh, stated the stars group stated in second quarter 2019 that they actually uh, poker had become the third biggest money maker of the group which is pretty shocking, given that Poker Stars. You think of the Stars Group. Oh, that's Poker Stars. Yet Poker Stars was only making a th- less than uh, a third of the money that the Stars Group was taking in, at least through the poker portion of it. They said that sports betting made the Stars Group thirty-six uh, percent. A lot of this because they acquired Skybet. Casino gaming made them 
and poker made them 30%. It's, it's close, all three of them, 36, 31, and 30, but you see poker, it, it's declining in its in it being the main product they're offering. It's becoming more of a side product every year. The Stars Group current CEO, Rafi Ashkenazi, said, the exciting combination will allow us to enhance and accelerate our existing strategy. In recent years, we've transformed the Stars Group from a single product operator in poker to a diverse global leader with multiple product offerings uh, across poker, gambling, and sports betting. The combination with Flutter will further enhance our company's core strengths and position us strongly for the future in this rapidly evolving industry. I'm delighted to be joining the board of combined group of the combined group and to serve as its COO. So he's not going to be CEO anymore because obviously the flutters in control. So he's, he's not being dropped. He's being moved to be COO of this new combined company. And the flutter CEO is the one who's going to be uh, in charge there. That is uh, Peter Jackson. So, Poker is going to be less and less relevant. They're going to be mostly focusing on sports betting, secondarily on casino games, and whatever poker can bring, it will bring. And that's why you saw under Amaya they were doing everything they could to just increase revenue. They, they didn't care about the purity of poker anymore. They, they had their spin and goes. They had all these little gimmicks there. Whatever they felt could make more money and bring more recreational players, and they didn't care how much they were perverting or corrupting the game of poker. Totally different than Isai Scheinberg, who's like, no, we're not putting this crap in here. We just want pure poker. We, I, I, I believe in poker. I, I want this just to be poker just like you play in live card rooms. But not, not under Amaya. Under Amaya, it's all about what can make the most money, and if poker's starting to struggle, they're going to find ways to try to make it more, more into a casino-type game. That's what, basically what they're doing. They're throwing in high-variant elements of chance into it, such as the spin-in goes, where every so often you can win a thousand times what you would normally be winning. And this excites people. Oh, what if you know? What if it gets me this time? What if I win a thousand times spin and go? And of course, there's a cost to that because uh, to pay for that, then they have to charge higher rake, or they, uh, you know, they, they there's always a cost to these things. They're not just giving away free money. So whenever these these little high variance gimmicks thrown in there, then it's, the money's coming from somewhere, and it more and more kills the ability for the poker pro to win, and also lowers the poker pro's overall edge when you have these elements of high chance. Okay, next topic. We're going to talk about World Series of Poker dick exposer Ken Strauss, who was ruled incompetent for trial after a series of just bizarre behaviors that he displayed during the summer of 2019. It all started at the beginning of the main event this year in 2019 at the World Series of Poker, after seemingly having a normal existence there at the World Series, he even cashed in an event in late June without any incident, and that means he played for at least two days and was okay there. But something changed. We don't know what. Something changed and made him freak out and just go absolutely crazy. The first thing he did was uh, near the very beginning of the World Series of Poker main event that he 
put $10,000 down to buy in. He went all in blind with, and then exposed his card, so it was known what he had, too. It was all in blind and then also exposed what he had. And while he was waiting to see what his opponents would do, the, the main event moves very slowly, and a lot of people don't want to take many chances at the very beginning. While his opponents were deciding what to do with his all-in blind where they knew what he had, he took a step or two away from the table, took off his shoes, and then threw one of his shoes at the dealer, which kind of landed between the dealer and the player in seat one, almost hit, almost hitting both of them. And then he pulled down his pants, exposing his penis. Finally, when he did that, they removed him. I, I was surprised how long it took to remove him. I saw the video of it. It took longer than I'd expect, especially because a floor woman was right there. you think at some point she would have just said, you're out. After he did this, he went over to the Luxor and basically did the same thing. He stood up on a closed craps table and did the same thing there while he was shouting. He kept shouting, yeah, yeah, and then the crowd gathered around because he's in the middle of a casino and really creating a spectacle. The security took him away there in handcuffs, but apparently he didn't get arrested because he was still around Vegas. He went to other casinos. He got into a lot of different situations throughout July. Uh, he got arrested a few times. Uh, got released surprisingly quickly. He was actually in a mental institution for about two weeks. But then got released, even though it seemed like he wasn't better. And not surprisingly, he went out and uh, continued his reign of craziness. What really got him in trouble was the uh, tweets he wrote on, I think it was July 27th. Yeah, July 27th. He wrote... Shootings are taking place all over Las Vegas. Please leave me alone, Venetian. I have no place to go currently. And casinos that have me banned will be destroyed effective immediately. And Rio, get my belongings together immediately when the President of the United States declares it's safe, I'm going. Now, obviously, that's a crazy tweet, but the, the part that concerned authorities was the part about the casinos that have been banned, that have him banned, will be destroyed effective immediately. So it's basically a threat against casinos that had banned him. Uh, he He also was harassing this woman who was a former reporter for ESPN and first he was acting as if uh, he had a crush on her then it morphed to him believing that this wasn't a woman he had a crush on but it was it morphed to him believing that this was his 11 year old daughter and this was a grown woman by the way this wasn't someone who resembled being 11 in any way. But but he displayed being obsessed with her before the whole thing about thinking she was his daughter. He was just kind of all over the place. Uh, he also even wrote at one point, I'm, I'm, I'm happy our 13-year-old is dead. Keep killing the children. It was really weird. I, I don't think he really had a 13-year-old daughter who died. He was just writing just really off-the-wall stuff, a lot of it on July 27th, which was already following his odd behavior throughout the entire month. The World Series was at the beginning of July. Uh, he, he was charged also with trespassing violations where he kept going back to casinos where he was banned. And when you get banned with the 
and you're read what's known as the Trespass Act, which is telling you you can't come back without being arrested, then he, he was coming back anyway and kept getting arrested. Then he'd get released and go right back somewhere else. Uh, but finally, on, uh, finally he was arrested after that tweet about the threats to destroy casinos. And there were four charges against him. What shocks me still is that he was even released after those two weeks to go back and do all this. After after everything he had done, going to multiple casinos, causing all the trouble he was, uh, you would think that they would have left him in the mental institution longer until they were sure that he was okay. So either he was good at faking it or they just screwed up by releasing him. But he had four charges against him, trespassing on July 27th, making terrorist threats and extortion on, on July 27th, then uh, before they arrested him, they didn't. I guess they didn't arrest him. Uh, uh, I don't know if they didn't arrest him uh, fast enough because on July 31st, four days after those threats, he had another trespassing and engaging in lewd contact uh, and conduct on a public place. Uh, they did dismiss the trespassing on July 27th, but. Uh, The rest of them were to be heard. He was actually out on bail after the July 31st arrest for 50K with stay-away orders from downtown Vegas and strip casinos, which is really strange because, like, after ignoring these stay, after ignoring these trespasses that he was given over and over and over, why would they just say, okay, we'll stay away from there, just don't go back, like, well. He didn't listen before. I, this is someone I could I couldn't understand why they were releasing him, even if it was just to put him in a mental institution. Also, it turned out that he tried to lure an eight year old boy up to his room. Though it's not clear if this was sexual or not. This may have been just him being crazy. Uh, he apparently was at the pool area at the Red Rock, which is a casino not on the Strip. It's more for locals in the the kind of like northwest Vegas. But he was in the pool area of the Red Rock, and he was trying to get the boy to go up to the room. And he did say that he wanted the boy's parents to meet with him, too. So I don't even think this is about molestation. You always think that when a boy, a man in a pool area tells an eight-year-old boy to come up to his room, you know what, where your mind goes there, and that's usually what that usually means. But I think he's just so nutty, he really thought he was saving the boy and his parents in some way. The, the guy was completely off his rocker. But nevertheless, this was illegal to do. So they, they called it uh, attempted kidnapping. I think he told the boy to come to his room and then the parents will follow or something. That's what he told the boy, which he may have believed. Like, that could have been an excuse, too. Like, oh, come to my room. Your parents will be here, too, eventually. Don't worry. It'll be fine. But it's possible he really thought the parents were going to come, too. It's possible, really, he didn't mean to do this in a way like that he's going to molest the boy. But obviously, you can't just tell eight-year-olds to come up, come up to your room. So he was... Indicted in August on one count of making terrorist threats and uh, he's been uh, he's been incarcerated ever since 
but uh, they finally declared on October 11th that he was incompetent to stand trial, which isn't surprising. I guess he just is as coherent in person as he is on his Twitter. He just he just isn't making any sense. He's just making no sense at all. In fact, I'll, I'll give you his Twitter. The tweets are still there, and uh, you can take a look for yourself. The Twitter is... Let's see. Let me get it for you in a second. Bring it up here. The Twitter is at kpitboy. K-P-I-T-T-B-O-Y. Hasn't been used in a few months, but you can see how nuts this guy is. And I don't think it's an act. I don't know what caused him to be this way. Because what's weird is the fact that he went from normal enough to get through a World Series event in cash to this very abruptly. He was moved to a facility near Reno. A mental facility near Reno. It's called it's a maximum security psychiatric facility providing comprehensive forensic mental health services. It's called Lakes Crossing Center. And it's for people who were court-ordered to be sent to a mental facility. So it looks like this is a place which... I I don't think they take regular patients who want to check themselves in. I think this is for people who uh, are sent there by courts in Nevada. That they're crazy and they have to go. And it's it's a maximum security place. So this is a little different than where you you go to a a mental health place to to get better and you can leave anytime you want. This this is one where you you can't leave. It's like they say in the Hotel California song. You can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. He's not going to leave until he's determined to be sane. Uh, Also, apparently, when they arrested him, on July 27th, he kept saying, kill them all. It wasn't clear who he was talking about, and he wasn't saying it to anyone directly. And he actually claimed that the reason that he was uh, asking the child to come to his room, that eight-year-old child of the Red Rock, he claimed that he was trying to warn everybody he could about danger that he perceived. He kept tweeting about that too, about the danger he thought everyone was in. But that he he really thought that the child's parents were friends of his. So he thought, you know, he he saw the child like, oh, I know this child's parents and tried to bring the child who he felt was in danger up to his room and that the parents were going to come as well. However, there was something on his phone Related to all this, and and when the police were uh, asking for his phone, they they found that he was uh, attempting to remove something from the phone about this. So maybe it's not as innocent as, uh, it wasn't innocent, but maybe there was an additional sinister angle here that wasn't just from being crazy, that uh, he knew he had to try to remove. It's not clear what he was trying to remove, though. That was never made public. Uh, 
Or I'm sorry. This, see, I, I got a little confused. It's not that he didn't believe that this woman, this reporter, was his 11 year old daughter. He believed that he. I think he was like 11 years older than this woman. That he believed that uh, he had a relationship when he was 11 and fathered a child, and it's her, which, which is totally not. This is in his head. And prior, I remember he was talking about stuff with his daughter, and like he was saying something about. I remember seeing him tweeting about that reporter being his daughter. But he kind of went from obsessing with her just in general, that he was just obsessed over her and kept wanting to meet her and invite her places, to, oh, you're my daughter. <laughs> and I guess he just threw in a backstory because he's not old enough to really be her father. He's like 45 years old, and I think she's in her 30s. So he just threw in this backstory that he was, her, he was the father when he was 11. Which I'm sure, I'd be pretty surprised if he had sex when he was 11. There are very few... Guys had sex when they were 11. So he's been transferred to this mental hospital. He'll be there for a while. He can't even stand trial at the moment because he can't coherently testify. He can't. He's not kind of useless at a trial at the moment. So there's going to hold him there indefinitely until he's able to be sane. Maybe they can find some medication they can give him. They they actually can forcefully medicate people in order to make them stand trial. So they might do that. There's nothing in the article about this, but possibly that will be what happens. The competency hearing was actually held at the U.S. District of Nevada court. So this was actually federal court where he was. It wasn't even uh, a local thing. I'm not sure why. Judge Linda Bell was the one who made the decision that he was incompetent to stand trial. And this came after psychologists, two different psychologists, recommended that he's declared this way, and she agreed. The facility is actually in Sparks, Nevada, which is near Reno. It's kind of like the equivalent of what Henderson is to Las Vegas. I actually first heard of Sparks when I was 18 years old and on my hall in my dorm, even though I went to college in California, there was a kid there from Sparks, Nevada. And I asked him, what is Sparks? I've never heard of this before. And he said, it's right next to Reno. Then of all things, I uh, met a girl on a party line who was from Sparks. And I mentioned it to him. I said, do you know her? And he didn't know her. But then he was all interested to talk to her. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I kind of thought the girl was just okay. So like, I said, all right, fine. You want to talk to her? So like, he came in my room one time and we all talked together and she gave his number. She gave her number to him. So he started talking to her for a while. I don't think they ever met for whatever reason. But I do remember that she was claiming she was going to come see me. She was going to drive all the way from Sparks to see me, which is like a 500-mile drive. And she told him, and then he told everybody in the dorm, and everyone was asking me. Everyone was so excited for her to come see me. And everyone was asking me about it. They wanted to see her. They wanted to see what was going to happen between us. It was like it was like the big gossip for that weekend. And she never showed up. <laughs> so all that for nothing. But he, he got everybody all excited. I, I was going to keep it private. I wasn't going to tell anybody. But uh, he spread the word. That's, that's my limited experience of Sparks. 
All right. Moving along here. This is a weird story, too. I need to keep the cuckoo sound effect all ready. In fact, I, I'm going to have it totally on hand for this. Just just the beginning of this story deserves a sound effect. Vanessa Russo back in the news, even though she doesn't really play poker anymore. I always enjoy following her craziness and follies and weirdness. Vanessa Russo announced that she is pregnant with twins. And remember, she's a lesbian who is married to another woman. And her wife is also pregnant with a baby at the same time. Now, by itself, it's not unheard of at all for lesbians to get pregnant. Usually the method of doing so is some form of uh, sperm donation or in vitro fertilization. And usually, of course, they have to pick one of the two women to have the natural egg. What they often do with gay male couples is they just mix the sperm together. So it's just kind of random of who ends up being the natural father of the child. With lesbians, they can't do this, obviously. It's one or the other. It's going to be one person's egg or the other. And they, they just have to pick which one's going to carry the baby. And then the sperm has to come from somewhere. Much like with gay men, the, the egg has to come from somewhere. And gay men, of course, can't carry the baby. They have to get a surrogate. But just Vanessa Russo having a child through in vitro fertilization wouldn't be a big story because we know she's married to another woman and that's what she'd have to do. And okay. So the weird thing here is the fact that she and her wife are pregnant at the same time. And that doesn't make a lot of sense at all. I was trying to figure out why they would do it this way. Now, it would make sense that maybe each of them wants to have a biological child. As I mentioned, you one woman has to choose to be the biological mother, so maybe they both said, hey, I want to be a biological mother, and the only way to do that is for each of them to be pregnant at some point. That would be fine. But why are they doing this all together? Vanessa almost surely had in vitro fertilization, and that's because there's twins, most twins you see these days, the vast majority of twins you see these days, unless they're identical, if they're fraternal twins, it's almost a certainty that it was because of IVF. The reason this happens is because they will often implant two embryos, especially if the mother is uh, over 35, but a lot of times they'll even do it when the mother's not 35 yet, with the assumption that a lot of times one of these will not take or will fail. And this way there's two, so if one fails, there's still the other. And the whole process wasn't wasted. So a lot of times they both take and they end up being twins. So when you hear of people who have fraternal twins, and I'm, I'm not just talking about gay couples, I mean a lot, they're mostly heterosexual couples who do it, who can't have kids for whatever reason. When they suddenly have fraternal twins, that's usually what they did. Uh, there's much more of an incidence of these implantations failing when the mother's over 35 than when they're under 35. So at some point, you just 
don't implant two if the mother's younger because there's a high chance there'll be twins. And unless you really want twins, then there's no point to do it. So a lot of people don't want twins because they're a lot of work. Think of how hard one baby is to take care of. And you have two. That's a lot of work, at least until the kids get a good deal older when they start to become easier. So Vanessa is 36. It makes sense that Vanessa would have had twins because they would implant two embryos typically in someone who is 36. And they both took, so she has twin boys that are expected at some point in uh, 2020, both boys. The weird thing is that her wife, Melissa, also is pregnant with one boy. It's not clear exactly when these pregnancies occurred, who is going to be due first, when in 2020 the babies are going to be born. They did post some ultrasounds, which they look at least semi-developed. It looks like kind of middle pregnancy from what I can see. They're not just tiny little blobs in there. You can see they kind of have a human form, but they also don't like look like they're anywhere near birth. And, of course, they're claiming it's a 2020, so that's at least two and a half months away, probably more. But why? Why would they do everything at the same time? Wouldn't this be incredibly difficult to have three babies at once? Even with two parents. Isn't it very difficult to have three babies at once? Twins is very tough. Think about three. And the question is why? Now for Vanessa, I thought, well, wait a minute. She's 36. She doesn't have that much time. So if they were to split this up and separate it over a few years, Vanessa would be too old. But wait a minute. I looked up Melissa's age, and that was hard to find, I, maybe because she's from Canada. But I usually I can find people's ages, but I, I couldn't find in any of my databases her age. But I did find a website, which was definitely of her. It was like an acting website. She was trying to be an actress. And the, act, the acting website claims she's 27. To me, she looks a little older than 27, but I can believe 27. But she does look younger than Vanessa. And if she really is 27... That would explain why she only has one, because in IVF procedure, they usually would not put two embryos inside of a 27-year-old, because those are uh, those eggs are much better quality, and usually they, they will take. So you're, you have a very high chance of twins if you implant two in a 27-year-old. So that would explain why she has one and Vanessa has two. But that also means that she had a long time. Vanessa doesn't have a long time at 36. I mean, she might. She might be able to get lucky and have kids till a late age, but until early 40s or whatever. But it's there are women who start to have a severe decline in egg quality after 35, to where by 37 they're infertile. That's much more common than you think. So I can understand why Vanessa felt that she had to do it now. But why can't she do it now and Melissa do it maybe in three, four years if she's really 27? But let's say the 27 is a lie. Let's say she lied on that acting site so she can get more jobs. Okay, let's say let's say Melissa's 31. She still has a number of years. There's no reason for them to be pregnant at the same time. They're creating a tremendous difficulty for themselves. It's not that they can't. They have a right to do it if they want, but it's a really weird thing to do. I've never heard of this. 
I've never heard of a lesbian couple that gets pregnant together for the reason that it is difficult to raise two babies at once, and especially three babies at once. Typically, people are not looking to have twins, especially if there's not a time factor involving the age of the mother where they... Like, sometimes a woman will want to have twins if she's 38 years old and she knows she may not be able to get pregnant a second time. But if time's not a, a factor here, which at least for Melissa looks like it's not, nobody usually wants to have twins because it's difficult. If you have twins, you love them and you uh, you deal with the situation. But it's, it's a tough thing to deal with. But three is crazy. I just don't understand it. Another problem is that Vanessa has had mental health issues. We talked about that on this show. When she had a meltdown in 2017. In what looked like had something to do with either a breakup or major relationship problems with Melissa. And you can go back to a a late May 2017 episode of this show where we discussed it at length. So I don't want to go into it too much on this episode, but basically they went on some trip together. Then something happened. They had this like DJing business today together called Nightlight. And they put like, I think on like May 20th, 2017, due to unspecified personal reasons, we were going to have to shut down Nightlight for a while. Something like that. We'll be back later. And then on May 22nd, Vanessa just returned, like almost like unannounced, she didn't mention to anyone she was doing this, returned back to Florida to visit her family in Hope Sound, Florida, and then ended up in a 7-Eleven there and was tweeting that she was in danger, that she's at a 7-Eleven in Hope Sound and that she can't get through to the police and that her family's being held hostage. And then... She had a big following because of her appearance on Survivor. So a lot of people helped get the police for her, and the police apparently called her, and she was, like, incoherent. She couldn't explain what she wanted, how she was in danger. Like They kept trying to ask her what's going on, who's in danger, what's happening, and she, she couldn't explain it. And they finally just gave up. They finally just determined she was a crazy person and uh, that nobody's really in danger. I think eventually they picked her up basically for her own good, her own protection and uh, when the whole thing was over then Vanessa and those close to her claimed the whole thing was an account hacking and it was someone impersonating her which it clearly wasn't it was clearly her she had some kind of meltdown there some kind of complete mental breakdown and this was just two days after they claimed they were shutting down nightlight temporarily because of personal reasons And also, Melissa disappeared from Twitter. She had been tweeting like several times every day. For the week prior to that, she just disappeared from Twitter, which was weird too. So it it looked like they had some kind of issue and she, maybe they broke up temporarily and then Vanessa was very freaked out about it and went back to her family in Florida for emotional support and then... After flying there and driving to see them, uh, she stopped at the 7-Eleven, had a complete breakdown, and hallucinated that her family was being held hostage and all that. So, whatever it was, they got past it, and she is together with 
Melissa and married to her and they're still together two and a half years later. So I'm great. Great that they got over whatever that was. Since then, Vanessa has also uh, passed the bar in Florida and has become an attorney. She was very close before. I guess she had uh, put that on hold while she played poker and everything else. But that uh, she was, and this was later in uh, in 2017 when she managed this. So, I guess in in a way she's had a, she had a comeback, but I, I don't know how many people are hiring her. Actually, it was 2018. It was September 2018. She passed the Florida bar exam, but. I'm. I wouldn't count on her to be someone who's like stable enough to take care of three kids. Now, from what I've seen, her wife is normal, and doesn't have any of these issues. But when you got three kids, if, if all babies at the same time, twins and one other child born at the same time, you need two parents. <laughs> this is a two-parent job for sure. It's probably more of like a four-parent job. So that's. That's going to be tough, especially if Vanessa can't keep her faculties together. Vanessa's behavior in general has always been odd in many different ways. There was the weird marriage to Chad Brown, who is much older than her, where she left him while he was dying of terminal cancer, which was very weird. Like, even if the marriage sucked at that point, why not just, you, you, know, you know he's going to be dead very soon. Why not just stay with him till the end and uh, then move on? But she actually left him while he had terminal cancer, which some people criticized her for. And then the next person she's with is another woman. So the question is, like, was she, is she bisexual? Did, was she... Uh, was she never like into Chad in the first place? Was this kind of like a marriage for show where she never really loved him and she was really a lesbian? It, it, the whole thing's weird. Is it possible that uh, she isn't really a lesbian and is just trying something different? Who knows? There's been a lot, like a lot of weirdness with her. And then her behavior at the tables when she played poker, she would berate a lot of people. And one time she kept saying, oh, this is so sick. Oh, this is so sick when she f- faced a... Uh, a raise on the river and then very reluctantly hero called and it turned out she had like like bottom pair the whole way but the whole time was very vocal this is sick this is so sick as if she got bad beat when in reality she was against queens the whole way so when the like and this was only seen because someone asked her to turn over her hand which she had to do according to the rules there uh I just always felt there was something off about her. Now, I haven't heard of her, like, doing anything really bad. I haven't heard of her scamming anyone or really getting involved in any scandal. But there's just been a lot of weird behavior from her over the years. This just is not an emotionally stable person. This is this is not who I think would be a good mother. And... I think it's going to be a challenge. So the the only upside to this is that there's the wife who I don't know much about, but from what I've seen, seems pretty normal. So at least you've got one parent there who's probably normal. But uh, 
I still have no idea why they would decide to do all this at once. Very strange. I've, I've never even heard of this. I've never heard of this once. This is the first time I've ever heard of a lesbian couple where both decide to get pregnant together. Never, I'm not saying it's never happened. I've just never heard of it. All right. Moving along here. An appellate court heard arguments from both the Borgata and Phil Ivey's attorneys regarding what should constitute cheating in the ongoing Phil Ivey edge sorting case. And this actually brings up an interesting discussion in itself, aside from Ivey in this particular case, of what really is cheating in the eyes of the law in New Jersey and what should be considered cheating regarding casino play. We've talked about this many times, so I won't go into much of an explanation, but Phil Ivey is in a battle with the Borgata, who has already beaten him in court, and currently he owes over $11 million to them, from a win he had years ago where he and a partner were doing something called edge sorting at Baccarat, where the partner, an Asian woman who had the ability to notice very, very small differences in the backs of cards, which basically gave away which cards they were, even though they were face down. This woman had to have the natural ability. She still had to practice. This wasn't something you could just do. You had to have the ability to do it. You had to practice a lot to be able to do it correctly. And on top of that, the cards have to be close enough to you and positioned in a certain way to where you can see it. If they're in the normal place they are on the table, even someone as good as his partner there was at doing this still couldn't do it because it's just too far away to see these tiny differences. So in order for them to get away with doing this, they had to talk the casino into moving the cards closer and turning them horizontally instead of vertically, which was explained by just superstition. They play the superstitious Asian card. And there are a lot of superstitious Asian players that play at casinos, which make all kinds of weird demands, which they will... uh, Casinos will give in to some of them because some of these players are very big players and potentially could uh, lose a lot of money to the casinos. So they will often give in to these weird superstitions in order to make these players happy and stay and have them keep gambling at high limits. So that's what they acted like there at the Borgata. And they also did the same thing at uh, Crockford's, which is a casino in the UK. In both cases, they won a lot of money in the Crockford's case they wouldn't pay them afterwards, and they figured out what was going on and just said, no, we're not paying you, and Ivy sued them and lost. In the Borgata, they didn't figure out what was going on, and Ivy took the money and then was sued afterwards and lost, and there's been this attempt to collect Ivy's assets ever since then, including they confiscated his winnings at uh, the World Series of Poker this year. But Ivy isn't done with trying to fight this. So he appealed the decision against him. And the U.S. Third Circuit Court of Appeals heard Ivy's arguments as to why the 
judgment against him should be overturned. So the whole discussion here centered around what constituted cheating. Now, it's pretty well accepted that if you use either a casino employee to help you or if you use some kind of device to help you while you're in a casino to give yourself an additional edge, that that's considered cheating. For example, let's say you had a mirror that could allow you to see the whole cards of the dealer as they're dealing it. That would be considered using a device. That would be considered cheating. And there's no question about that. On the other hand, if you're just using your brain, say like blackjack card counting, where you're just noticing the cards the way they come out and figuring out for yourself of how many big cards are left versus how many small cards there are left in the deck, and you adjust your strategy accordingly, while that may change the odds of the game, if you're just doing this all in your head, but otherwise the game is being played normally, then that's not cheating. And that's been recognized by courts everywhere as well. In fact, in New Jersey, they cannot even kick out card counters or force them to stop playing. They can take other measures to make it where the game's not positive expectation anymore for them, but they cannot kick them out. In Nevada, they can kick them out, but they can't arrest them. But what about something like this? This is kind of in between. They weren't using any devices. They were not in cahoots with anyone at the casino to help them win. But they weren't just doing this with their mind. Something had to be changed. They had to get the Borgata to move the cards closer to them. They had to get the Borgata to turn the cards from vertical to horizontal for them. And they lied about the reason that they wanted that done. They claimed it was just superstition, when in reality this was done so they could notice a defect in the back of the card and figure out what each of those cards were, thus giving them an edge to where the game became positive expectation. So, the question is, was that cheating? And and I've had this discussion with people as well. I've had people tell me, oh, Ivy cheated the Borgata. And I said, I I actually am on his side there. And I'm no Ivy fanboy or Ivy ass kisser. If I feel he cheated, I would say so. But I did not feel he cheated because he did not use any kind of outside devices. He did not have any inside help. He simply asked the casino, can you change the game this way? And the casino said, okay, we'll do it. And once the casino agrees to change the game that way for them, then it's the casino's problem if it turns out that these changes allow them to have an edge. So that's my opinion is this was an advantage play where they asked the casino, hey, change this, and then the odds swung to their favor favor because Borgata was dumb enough to change it. There's no deception involved. They, they lied about the reason they wanted it done, but that doesn't really matter, in my opinion. I, I feel that if you ask the casino to change something about their game, it doesn't matter what excuse you give. If they change it, they change it. And then if they're, they're willing to offer you the game in this way and it gives some vulnerability to where you can now beat them, then tough luck on them. They should have thought of that before they agreed to change it. But... The other side says, hey, the Borgata thought they were changing something just to accommodate superstition. They didn't know that they were changing something to allow Ivy and his partner to take advantage of a defect in the playing cards. 
from a legal standpoint in New Jersey, it comes down to something in New Jersey code called Section 11 or Section 115A2. Section 115A2 in the Gambling Code of New Jersey says that it's unlawful to knowingly deal, conduct, carry on, operate, or expose for any for, for play any game or games played with cards, dice, or any mechanical device, or any combination of games or devices, which have in any matter been marked or tampered with, or played into condition, operated in a manner the result of which tends to deceive the public, or tends to alter the normal random selection of characteristics of the normal chance of the game, which could determine or alter the result of the game. Now, this is mostly aimed at the casino. For example, this would make it illegal for the casino to remove all the uh, certain tens from the deck in a blackjack game, which would be to the casino's advantage. This would be altering the odds of the game. Uh, but also, it, it has to do with the player, like cards that are marked and tampered with. So, if, if somehow a player marks cards that are that have been dealt to him for use of when they come out later, and this is caught, then that's illegal. Because, again, that changes the odds of the game, and the player has done something illegal to basically tamper with the equipment of the game to give himself an edge. This is all very straightforward that that would be cheating. But Borgata's lawyer, Jonathan Massey, claimed that what Ivy and his partner did violated Section 115A2. Because they were focusing upon the phrases operated in a manner and to alter the normal chance of the game. And they say, hey, that's exactly what Ivy did. They altered the normal chance of the game by lying to the Borgata and having the Borgata put the cards in a location to where they could notice defects and then have the game in their favor. So while Ivy and his partner did not mark the cards themselves... They knew the cards had defects, but these defects could only be taken advantage of if the game was altered. And they got the Borgata to do it by lying about the reason they wanted to alter the game. So uh, they they claim that this is similar to a case from five years ago. This is called a uh, Hook versus Ferrari, and it doesn't have to do with the car Ferrari. It's a uh, but it's a it's a case which had to do with blackjack players who were detained who are doing something called hole carding. Hole carding is where you make an effort to see the cards that dealers are dealing downwards, so the ones that aren't supposed to be seen as they're dealt. Hole carding means you can manage to see the, bo- the, the card that's face down in the way the dealers deal. Like People will search for dealers who are not very skilled at dealing the cards where they're dealt high enough in the air to where you can sometimes look at it. And they, and they sit in a certain seat where they can see the cards better. So the question is, whole carding considered cheating? And that question came before the court in 2014 when players who were detained by a casino in New Jersey that they filed suit against that casino for false imprisonment for being detained after being caught hole carding. Remember, hole carding, they're not actually touching the cards in any illegal manner. They're not marking the cards and they're not using any outside devices. I'm not talking about using mirrors or anything. I'm talking about just using your own eyes but taking a lot of steps to be able to 
place yourself in a way you can see it. Sit in a certain seat, uh, hold your head a certain way, target certain tables with dealers who are known not to deal the cards low enough, things like that. So should whole carding be illegal? That's different than card counting where you're, all you're just noticing is the, the cards that are supposed to be exposed to you and you're just keeping track in your brain of, of how, which cards are left. This is actually taking, going through great lengths to see something you're not supposed to see even if you're not doing anything – you're not tampering with anything to be able to do so or using any outside device. So this came up before the court five years ago and it was decided that – Yes, whole carding is prohibited by the New Jersey Casino Control Act and that the casinos did have a right to detain and question these players. They said that whole carding can certainly constitute a scheme and an alteration in the normal random selection or characteristics of the game of chance. So they were comparing this to the Borgata. They're saying that what Ivy did is similar to whole carding. It's, it's similar here because they had a scheme to be able to basically see cards, except this time they were seeing the cards through the back rather than the front. But that it's very similar. This is already ruled in the court in 2014. You may say, okay, that's, that sounds reasonable. That sounds like, yeah, they sound very alike. In one case, the players are doing things so they can see the faces of the cards which aren't supposed to be seen and in this case Ivy and his partner were doing something to see the backs of the cards which weren't supposed to be seen but hold on Ivy's attorney Louis Barbone actually had a decent response his response is that the Borgata has some responsibility in this whole thing because they agreed to change the game. That this wasn't done without the Borgata's knowledge. He said that uh, the Borgata shares responsibility for Ivy's win because they gave into his demands and they allowed conditions which effectively altered the odds of the game being played. He mentioned another lawsuit that was referred to as Doug Grant which uh, I don't know that much uh, detail about, but this uh, Doug Grant uh, case was something that he felt was in their favor. And he said, as recognized in Doug Grant, where the rules of the game are being followed, the normal chance and randomness of the game cannot be manipulated. So he's basically saying, Ivy didn't break any rules. This isn't like hole carding where you're, you're, you're craning your neck to st- and, and, and targeting dealers who are accidentally sh- exposing cards and, and sitting in a place where you can see it. Th- this, this is something where Ivy said, turn the cards this way, put them closer to us, and I'll play the game normally. And that's exactly what he did. They, they saw uh, he wasn't that, that, yes, they noticed something on the back of the cards, but that uh, he was following all the rules. Whereas whole carding is not following all the rules. Whole carding, you're, you're, you're going through certain efforts to see things you're not supposed to see. Here, the Borgata put the stuff right in front of them to where they can just see it. So I don't know which way this is going to go. Both seem like reasonable arguments from a legal standpoint. 
from a moral standpoint, I still feel that Ivy should have been able allowed, allowed to keep his win for the reasons I already stated. From a legal standpoint, I don't know. I don't know uh, who deserves to win this one in, in this appeal. From this standpoint, I still feel I still feel Ivy should have won in court. I, I think he got a bad deal there, not just morally but legally. But in this, once we're at this point where the appeals are being heard, I, I, I can see it both ways. I can see on both sides where they're applying the law to match what their client wants. So we will see, and I'll let you know when that is decided. If the appeal will be approved or denied. But in general, I feel just personally that anything you can get the casino to do that lands in your favor, even if you're not honest about why you want them to do it, is fine. Anything that you do that uh, involves using devices or uh, anything else that were, would really alter the game, either through casino employees or, or devices, or even there was that case that came up with these guys figured out how to get video poker to pay like 10 times what they were supposed to win through the use of a bug. They got away with it because they were stupidly charged by the uh, by the uh, by the DA on it, and uh, they they got away because they were charged with computer hacking, which was the wrong charge. But putting that aside, I, I felt they really were cheating there. I, I saw it similar to like you withdraw from an AC, ATM forty dollars and it spits out four hundred, and then you just keep doing it over and over and over because you know the ATM's malfunctioning. They, they, they were, that's basically they were, they were doing the same thing over there at, at a machine, and that is cheating. That is stealing. And if they went to prison for that, I would understand it. I would say, oh, they got screwed. Oh, an advantage player got railroaded. No, that, that's, that makes sense. Now, Ivy here is not in any kind of danger for anything criminal, but I still feel civilly he got screwed. Trader Risk, you still with us? I think we lost him. See, Thursday night's hard. It's not even midnight yet, but Thursday night's hard. Mr. Trader Risky. He, he warned me of this. He said, you know what? I may not be able to make it very long. But I didn't have a choice this week. But that, that is a reason to do more Friday night shows. By the way, I got, a, I got a text here. There is no way you can go the whole fucking show without mentioning Possel. Even freaking David Tuckman did a five-hour show about it, LOL. That's from the 774. Well, I guess in a way I just mentioned Possel because I just read your text. But I'm not going to do any Possel topics tonight, I promise you. It, well, I can't promise you. I almost promise you. I can promise you that unless new information comes out during the show, I'm not going to cover it. I, I covered it to death last week, and it's one of these things we're going to sit and wait until there's further information to cover further. And I th- I think that everything that needed to be said has been said, and that if you want to see all the incriminating hands, you can watch one of Chicago Joey's like 10 different shows on the matter. <laughs> Or Doug Polk's coverage of it. There's there's plenty of coverage you can see besides mine, listen to besides mine. It's it's just something that doesn't need more discussion until we get further into it. So yes, I can, and you'll see. Won't be any possible topics tonight. But I will move on to a different topic, which is again about a casino. 
This is something that has much less exposure in the news than Phil Ivey's battles with Borgata, which have been discussed in a lot of places. This is about Ocean's Casino in Atlantic City. It's the former Revel, which was a very, very expensive property which failed miserably and closed for a while and reopened as Ocean's Casino under a new owner. That's basically been a fail, too, and they've been struggling, and they... Advantage players were hitting them for a while because they had a lot of good promotions. And when you're a struggling casino and you're trying to get business and you start offering a lot of generous free play and other promotions, Advantage players immediately find out about this and they hit you hard. And that's a fact of life of running a casino. You can do things to put a stop to it. But you have to be aware that this will happen, and this was happening to Ocean. But that's not really what this story is about. And what Ocean did was inexcusable, especially because it wasn't just targeting advantage players. It screwed the average player there, including ones who were active, high-stakes players. And they committed what I like to refer to as a negative checkoff scam. I use that term a lot on this show. And if you Google negative checkoff scam, you see a few people using it, but it's really a very underused term. Like you'll even see if you Google it, you'll see it comes up as poker fraudlers, some of their first few results. I don't know why that term is not used enough. I didn't make it up. That's why there's others that use it. But it's very infrequently used. But it's a very nasty form of a scam that seems innocent on the surface. And I have to explain it before I get into what Ocean's doing here. A negative checkoff scam is a scam which is done with the purpose of ripping off a large number of people at once and then refunding whatever you stole from them if they say something about it. But if they don't say anything about it, then you keep whatever you stole. And this is very effective. Let's say you know this can only be done if you're going to rip off a lot of people at once, but let's say you rip off a thousand people at once. And you figure you're going to get Maybe 10% speaking up about it. A lot of times it's less than that. Let's say 10% speak up about it. You still do very well. That means 90% of the people you ripped off, you, you get to keep their money. And yet the people who speak up about it, you give them a refund immediately, and they walk away happy. In fact, they may even believe they weren't scammed. They think, well, if you gave back the money immediately, then maybe it was just a misunderstanding. And typically people who are made whole don't then crusade against you. It's just human nature. People have a a selfish nature to them, even if they don't realize it, to where once whatever's affecting them goes away and is rectified, they kind of go, you know what, this isn't really my place to have to fight for everybody else. F it. I I was made whole. Screw everybody else. People even subconsciously decide that, even even if uh, they don't really reason that through their mind. That's why negative checkoff scams are so powerful. And that's why they can go on for so long without being caught. And in some cases, this gives the scammer some form of plausible deniability in that... I think... Trader Risky just came back. He came back and then I cut him. Let me put him back on here. So it it gives the scammer some plausible deniability... Hey, look, anybody who came to me that there was a problem, I refunded them. So 
Um, of course, it's not easy to scam a, a thousand people at once. It's a scam mass numbers of people at the same time. Usually that has to be done in some organized fashion or it has to be done by a company that has a lot of customers, something like that. But whenever there's a negative checkoff scam that occurs and that only the people who complain get refunded, I always point this out and I say, ah, 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 this company is not good. This company is not trying to make it right. They're only making it right for those who speak up and they're keeping a lot of money they shouldn't have because they know most people won't speak up. You know, by the way, what's a big negative checkoff scam that, that ex- has existed for decades? And it's, it's kind of hard to stop, but I'm sure it has happened to all of you. The minibar scam. The minibar scam is that the minibar charges you for items you didn't use and that the hotel takes it off the second you say something about it. But a lot of people either don't notice or don't want to say anything. And hotels that engage in minibar scams get away with a lot of money and extra revenue that they basically stole. Some minibar negative checkoff scams happen because the equipment is faulty and the casino doesn't, or the hotel doesn't try to fix it because it's to their advantage not to fix it. And sometimes it's really just intentional to just outright charge people for things that they know were not consumed. In the late 80s, when I traveled with my family and I was a teenager and I had two younger siblings, uh, my parents would get two rooms, one for themselves and one for the kids. And we kept finding over and over, especially in foreign countries like Asia, uh, the Asian countries has happened a lot, where the kids' room would often have phantom minibar charges. Now, all of us knew not to use the minibar. And we didn't. But... So many times, the kids' rooms kept coming up with minibar charges, and this is before the days of those sensors. This is when they actually had to go in and take inventory and see what was there. And and whenever my parents would say something, oh, sorry, sorry, must be a mistake, we'll take it off. But they did it because they knew the kids were in that room, and they, they figured that the parents would believe that the kids ate things from the minibar. So that was a common scam we found in Asia at the time. But I've seen it in so many different hotels where they, they have sensors that if you bump them or, or even if you do nothing to cause it, sometimes the sensors are just wrong and it detects that you've taken something when you haven't. And they always take it off very fast, but a lot of money is made every year by hotels that have many bars just because of faulty charges. Yet they will all take it off very fast if you say something. That's a negative checkoff scam. And yet when the hotel takes it off quickly, when you complain about it, you, you, you forget it quickly. You go, oh, okay, well, they took it off. They were reputable. Thank you. You don't probably think, well, what about all the people who don't complain or don't notice? So let's get back to the ocean situation. Oceans had uh, player points that people would earn from playing casino games, just like casinos everywhere, kind of the equivalent of uh, reward credits to Caesars and any other kind of player points that you can earn and redeem, which most casinos have as part of the rewards program. However, unlike Caesars and other programs, Ocean did not have any expiration date for these points. So if you earned your points, they were just going to last indefinitely. If you were to go to the Players Club and ask them earlier this year, 
when is the expiration date, they would very clearly tell you there isn't one. There is no expiration date. They don't, they, they don't expire. They did not even warn you maybe we're going to change this in the future. They said, oh, there's, there's no expiration. There, you just have them. I don't think people were promised there would never be an expiration in the future, but they said there's no expiration. They don't expire. That's what you were told. And at the time, it was true. Well, in June 2019, they abruptly decided to make the expiration date three months from last activity, and they didn't tell anyone. And also, it was retroactive. So if you hadn't been there in three months, your points immediately expired. So there are two problems here. The first thing is that they did not tell anyone. They went from a non-expiring points to expiring points after three months. And no one knew to get back there every three months to use their points. The second problem was that it was also retroactive. <laughs> so people who hadn't been there in three months just lost their points. So here's where the negative checkoff scam came in. They offered a one-time reinstatement only for those who complained. So if you went to them and said, hey, where's my points? First, they wouldn't even cooperate with you. First, they'd just say, well, it expires after three months. Then if you kept bitching about it and saying, hey, you guys didn't tell me. I had no way to know this, blah, blah, blah. If you dug into it, then they go, well, okay, well, there is this one-time exception we can give you. And then they would give you an exception where you get all of your points back. But... Reportedly, uh, people were sometimes warned that they need to use all the points that just got reinstated that same day because they'd say they can't promise that the points will be there the next day once they got reinstated. (laughs) So it's not like you have another three months. It's like, okay, we just gave you your points back, but remember, it's been more than three months since you earned them, so when our system updates tomorrow, it's probably going to take them back away, so you better use them now. And sometimes you're not ready to use them right now. Like You, you can use these points for, for hotel rooms, or you can use them for, for food, uh, you can use them at the gift shop, but usually you like to hold on to these and use them as necessary. So you use them next time you want to go out for a meal, or you want to take a few friends out for a meal and... and, and pay with your points or, or, or get a hotel room that you may not have gotten comp there, whatever. Uh, usually you don't want to blow all your points in one day. Here people who had a ton of points felt they had to, often on things they didn't want or need, otherwise they'd be gone the next day. And the, the people at Ocean were not even saying they were sure. Like the, the, they were just warned this might happen. <laughs> so, so if And we're not going to reinstate them again. We can only reinstate once per person. So we can only tell you they're guaranteed to last through the end of the day. Tomorrow you may or may not still have them, so I suggest you use them all today. That's what they told people. And it's really frustrated them because a lot of them were, had really earned a lot of points, like higher, higher limit players. And this was – it was pretty much just straight-up stealing of points. It's really bad. So some people just showed up in June and just found their points gone. Others uh, found the bad news uh, sometime after that. But uh, this was a big controversy, and, and Ocean, they never really had much of an explanation for it. They, 
they pretty much said, well, yeah, we informed people, but they, they couldn't really show how they informed anyone. Uh, whenever there's a change in policy, in fact, I just had a situation similar to this. Well, not, not actually not that similar. I had a, simulation, a, a, a situation where they changed a policy at a restaurant regarding using your rewards credits in Las Vegas at Caesar's property where Hash House, a go-go in the link, was charging two to one, basically double your credits for redemption at Hash House where it's stupid to do because you're, you're wasting your points and you're only getting half value out of them. And it had been full value all the way through May 2019 and then all of a sudden it just changes to two to one and they don't inform anybody. So then they put this one little sign in a place that a lot of people aren't going to be standing or ever see so I went in there, didn't see, ordered, charged me two to one, and I said, oh, crap, and then they didn't want to back it out. And I, and I had a big argument about it with total rewards, and they, they tried to say, well, look, they changed it back in May. You should know. There's a sign there. You should know. And I, I had to like physically demonstrate – like I had to talk to the total reward supervisor and physically demonstrate by like pretending like, okay, now I'm walking into the place, and here's where the sign is, and here's the direction I walked, and this is why I wouldn't see the sign. Like I had to do like an act for her. To finally convince her, and then she like really was pissed at me and snatched it out of my hand, snatched my card out of my hand, and, and fixed it for me very reluctantly. But but that was an example of well, those them's the rules, them's our rules. You you you've got to keep up with the rules. Not knowing the rules is not an excuse. I hate that type of shit. I hate people who say that. I hate employees who say that. I I hate customers who defend things like this even more. And this is a good example. Like you can't be expected to constantly check with Ocean to, to to see if they've added an expiration date, or constantly be checking the fine print on their rules. So if if they have a policy that there's no expiration date, and then they abruptly change it to a three month retroactive expiration date, they've got to make it super clear to everybody that they've done that, or they're stealing your points. Now here's something that is very similar that happened to me. Bellagio, their poker room, they did this exact thing. They went from no expiration of the poker points, which could be used for food comps, to a rolling year expiration where anything you earned more than a year ago is just gone with no warning. It just got dropped on you. Apparently, upper management demanded this, so the poker wasn't thrilled about it, but that's what they – I don't know if it was upper management of poker or upper management above poker, but someone decided this at Bellagio. And people lost hundreds or thousands of dollars worth of points they'd accumulated. I lost about 200 bucks worth of points there. Same thing. Nobody was informed. And that's just very dishonest. So a lot of people were very angry about this. And again, this wasn't just advantage players. There were some people who were really angry about this who were just regular players there. A guy named Jim from New York, that's what he calls himself on Twitter, it's at Chauncey Street, that's C-H-A-U-N-C-E-Y Street, at Chauncey Street on Twitter, tweeted this. Imagine how delighted a high-limit customer at Ocean Casino is to see all their earned comp dollars wiped out, and then have the rewards club and supervisor Nick Viola give you the runaround for four days. Kindly fuck off, Ocean. So this is a guy who watched all his comp dollars disappear um, what 
And, and then uh, yeah, others were tweeting uh, similar stuff. Someone named Sandy Best Dog, S-A-N-D-Y Best Dog on uh, Twitter, wrote, In June, my $4,000 in comps was wiped out. I was so mad at myself for not reading the program rules. Talked to player's desk and said that I thought they didn't expire. Oh, they changed that. When? Two weeks ago. Okay, when were you going to let me know that? So I have to burn them somehow. So what he's referring to is he got that one-time exception made. But then he has to spend $4,000 worth of comps in one day. Hope Sandy had a lot of friends. That's what you got to do at that point is call up every friend you know and say, come on down, we're going to have a, a gigantic meal here at, at Ocean. All on me, my $4,000 to spend. It's a lot harder to spend $4,000 in comps in one day, unless you can convert it to free play, which you can't here. So unless you could do that, it's hard to spend $4,000 in one day at a casino if it's only to be used for, for food or for the gift shop, especially if the gift shop doesn't have expensive items, which I don't know if it does. Uh, one guy named uh, Eric Rosenthal actually uh, bought bags and bags of candy from the Rocket Fizz Soda Pop and Candy Shop, which was one of Ocean's shops. He said, I have kids. I bought hundreds of dollars worth of garbage candy just not to leave anything there. I walked out. It was worse than Halloween walking out with bags full of candy. My wife was not pleased. (laughs) So they told Rosenthal that he had a day to spend it all. He had several hundred dollars worth. He, He was there by himself. He had nothing that he could really do with it. So he just went to the candy shop and bought bags and bags of candy. And he comes home and he says, oh, Good news, kinda. I, I have hundreds of dollars of candy for our kids, and his wife's like, "What the hell? I don't want our kids eating hundred dollars, hundreds of dollars worth of candy. I don't care if it's free." But he's like, "But no, no, no. I, I had to do it, or they're gonna keep my comps." His, his wife probably thought he was crazy. I actually did something similar. Um, I but this wasn't. I did something similar, but under different circumstances at Harris Rincon, known as Harris Resort, Southern California. I had a lot of food credits, which could also be used uh, at this thing called the taco truck, which was right outside their Mexican restaurant. It's like a the fake truck they have that's like sitting right outside the restaurant. It's kind of like a to-go portion of the of the Mexican restaurant there. But they also were selling candy and Mexican soda. Mexican soda, you know what that is with uh, – like the soda with real sugar in it. It's actually pretty good. So even though it wasn't a very good deal, it was like $2 for a bag of Skittles. But I, I had a lot of food comps I couldn't use because I was there by myself. And I just had a, way more food comps than I could use. So before I left, I, was, I, was, I had like $70 worth of comps still. I wasn't going to just leave them on the table. These weren't points I had earned. This was an offer that expired after I checked out of the hotel. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to leave the $70 on the table. So I went to that food truck, and I just said, okay, I want this soda, and this soda, and this, ca- this candy, this candy. And I walked out with a big bag of soda and candy. And, and I brought it home. <laughs> My girlfriend was like, what the hell is this? But she understood it. Like she, uh, she knows I do this, and she understands it, and she actually approves of it. But, yeah, this is for me, though, at least. It wasn't for, for Benjamin. She probably would have been angry if it was for Benjamin. Probably didn't do wonders for my weight. <laughs> Probably 
helped me along the path of, uh, of weight gain over the years, but, but still, I'm, I'm not going to have them keep my comps. Anyway, back to Ocean. Uh, they, aren't, they aren't budging on this one. They do this one-time exception, and that's it. And this, this is a big problem. They just decided they're doing it. And they, they don't care if there's some people are pissed off. They've just decided that they're keeping some of the comps. And the thought is that the reason that they're deciding to do this is because their revenue drops in the fall. Atlantic City in general does pretty well in the summer. If we think about it, there's a good reason why. They are on the beach. So think about Atlantic City in the summer. You've got the boardwalk. You've got the beach. People go swimming. It's not just about gambling. It's a destination for a lot of people on the East Coast that they enjoy going to. But what about the fall and the winter and the spring? It's kind of cool there. though. The water's too cold to swim in. It's not even good beach-going weather. It's just a different environment. And people's kids are back in school. It's just Atlantic City, really, the, the, the summer crowd leaves and they, the casinos don't do as well. In 2018, Ocean Casino saw that occur. They had their revenue drop 24% from August, August to September in 2018. So they realized probably in 2019 that this drop in revenue was going to be a killer to them if people are redeeming all these comps and uh, costing the property money like this. So by changing this in June, this made it to where the comps would rapidly expire once the summer was over. For example, people who had earned comps in June, those comps would be completely gone by September at the same time of month. And the not telling the players, which they easily could, they have everyone's email address, they, they didn't tell the players on purpose. I'm, I'm, we can't say that with 100% certainty. It may have been oversight, but I think that this was done on purpose. As I said, a negative checkoff scam where they just change the terms. They know a lot of people are going to find their comps expired. People will be upset. I feel sorry for the people working there who have to deal with angry players about this, who who had no say in the decision, but they figure, hey, they're going to save a lot of money on these comps that can't be redeemed. Because there, there is a real hard cost to these comps. And whatever people use them for. Yeah, some of the stuff may be marked up. Maybe the restaurants are expensive. Maybe the gift shop's expensive. But, but still, these are real items that Ocean had to purchase that are being given away for free whether it's food, whether it's gift shop items, whatever, this has to be given away for free to people with these points. So think of all these people together that now can no longer use these points to get these free items that Ocean had to pay real money for. They save a lot of money. So they may have worked this in as a way they can save money during the fall months when things are leaner. And if you tell players about it, then they make sure to run down there and use the comps before they expire. So that's pretty bad, pretty dishonest, and unfortunately, I'd love to give you advice on this sort of thing, but there isn't. Uh, the only advice I can give you is if this happens to you, uh, go to the Players Club and complain. I'm saying anywhere, not just Ocean, and, and see if there's an exception that can be made. 
because most people will just see it's gone and kind of just give up on it. And, and what happens is people find their comps are gone. They go to the desk and they it's not like they're told, oh, we can reinstate them right now. You, you say, hey, where'd my comps go? Oh, there's a three-month expiration. Didn't you know? No, I didn't. Oh, well, you know now. Oh, that kind of sucks. Okay, well, bye. That's, that's how most people are. Most people, they believe it was their fault. And, and unfortunately, customers in general have been brainwashed into believing that if you don't know every single rule or term of service of the company, that it is your fault. And I, I always try to beat this into people's heads. Just because you don't know all the rules, it does not mean it's your fault. It may mean that the company was either hiding the rules from you or just was incompetent with informing people properly. And the, the rule of thumb is if most people are confused by it, then you're in the right. If most people are not confused by it, and you just should have known, then you're in the wrong. But if there's a, a, a real good reason why you would not have known this rule, then that's the company's fault for not communicating it to you. It is not your responsibility to know every single rule a company has internally. And also, by the way, rules are not laws. Rules can always be bent at the company's will. So there's no such thing as, well, that's the rules. We have to follow it. No, a company can always change their own rules, and they can always make exceptions for people. That's a crappy thing that Ocean did. And this, this type of thing will happen when casinos are not doing well. They'll start to do shady things. And the funny thing is Revel, which is different ownership but same property, they did something shady when they weren't doing well. They had a, a promotion with a, a, a gigantic uh, loss return that advantage players started to take advantage of until they realized how vulnerable they were. And then they just cut it off and didn't reimburse these players what they were supposed to get. And there was little the players could do. Really, really shady. This is what Revel did. You can't blame Ocean for this. Different ownership. Same property, but that doesn't mean much. It's, it's, it's almost like a, a restaurant does something shady, goes out of business, someone else rents the same location and also acts shady. <laughs> like They're not related. It just happened to be in the same place. But it shows you what will happen when businesses, even large businesses, start to struggle. They will sometimes act in an unethical manner. you got to watch out for that. So I just want to give some publicity to that and think twice before giving business to Ocean Casino when they're pulling shit like this. This is also why if you have a chance to advantage play against casinos, you should take it. You should never feel bad for beating a casino. You should never feel bad for finding ways to turn the tables on a casino because they will screw you at any opportunity. I'm not saying go as far as cheating them or break the law. I don't do that. But you you find ways to have an edge on them that's legal, do it. Because they're constantly looking for ways to do that to you too. So what if they incorrectly pay you, Jeff, like on a blackjack hand? I, I don't say anything. That's uh, because that's – it goes the other way too, and if if I don't notice, um, I lose too. So, and there's people who this this happens a lot the other way too. Now I catch it, but a lot of people don't. They make a lot of money from people who don't catch it. So, uh, um, I I take the Bill Clinton approach here, which is don't ask, don't tell. Um, now, if they ask for it back, let's say they overpay me, and then as I'm going to cash out, they go, whoa, 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 whoa. We actually, we just reviewed the tape. Or forget the review thing. We just heard from from the dealer that they realized that they overpaid you by by one hundred fifty dollars in one of the hands. 
provided I know that really happened, I'm not going to go, no, no, you didn't. You can't. This is my money. I'm not giving you back. No. Like if they catch it, then I'll give it back. If they if they don't catch it, I'm going to keep it. And, and the truth is, because they, this is something they did, and they 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 just did with, without me trying to do it. It's not like I did something like slid extra chips in to pretend I had a higher bet, which is illegal, by the way. You can go to jail for that. But let, let's say I did that, and I won $150. Doing that is different than if I just they accidentally overpay me for $150. And again, I, I, I take this very similar to. I take this attitude similar to what I do with, with errors on, like, phone bills or, or other bills. For There are so many times I have to waste hours and hours of my time to correct errors on things like phone bills. And very infrequently, there's an error in my favor. But you know what? When there is, I don't call up and go, oh, yeah, you guys, I should have owed you $45 more this month, but you made some mistake and gave me a double credit on this. Uh, uh, you should take that off. And I don't do that because... The amount of time I have spent doing the reverse, I'm not even making minimum wage. If you take, if you take the credits I've gotten that I shouldn't have gotten, and, and spread that over all the hours I've had to fight for correcting billing errors, I, I'd probably be paid like like ten cents an hour. I mean, it's a, I'm not even kidding. So I, I don't. Uh, again, uh, just like I have to fight hard to get uh, what's billed incorrectly on me, and get that removed. Uh, I don't need to do their job to discover. But similarly, if they say, hey, we, we gave you two credits last month, so we're reversing one of them, so your bill's now an extra $45 this month because we, we gave you one, an extra $45 back last month, I don't call up and go, what? How dare you? And I go, okay, well, that, that happens. So that's that's basically my the way I deal with these large companies. Uh, if Now, if there's an error where I feel an individual is going to suffer from it, then I will correct it. Like, a, like at the supermarket, if the cashier gives me twenty dollars too much change, uh, which which I had happened about two years ago, where I had paid cash and I walk out and I see I was given an extra twenty. And what happens if I just keep walking and and uh, and leave? I won't get in any trouble. But the cashier, they'll find their drawer came twenty dollars short, and they can, they're not going to be facing any criminal penalties, but they could deduct $20 from their paycheck or fire them or, or who knows what. So I realized that I got $20 I didn't deserve. I realized that an in, the individual who made this mistake is going to get in some kind of trouble for it or have to or have to pay for it. So I walked back and, and gave them the $20 back and uh, told them, hey, you gave me this change too much. Uh, however, if let's say this was done in some, let's say a machine did it or something where, where no one was going to get in trouble for it. I was not. I would not walk back in because, again, with supermarkets, I, I'm finding myself like standing on customer service lines to to fix errors in the, in the scanner and stuff that, that have happened that I catch as I'm walking out. So I've I've spent a lot of time with that too. The really tilting ones are the ones for like a few dollars, where it's not really worth your time to do, but at the same time, like the principle you want to do it. Uh, so, like, if if there's an individual that's going to be affected by it, then I will just voluntarily return it. And of course, like in dealing with any individuals that I owe money to or whatever. I, I won't ever keep something that's a mistake in my favor. I will I will always go correct it for them. Like if somebody some guy says, uh yeah, hey, I, I owe you uh I, I owe you two hundred dollars and they they actually send me uh, three hundred dollars. Then I'll, I'll send them the other hundred back and they don't know you sent me three hundred, you you only owe me two. So it, it depends on a lot of factors. And these, these are everybody's got their own 
standards of what they do with this. And a lot of people will like to posture on the Internet, oh, I, I'm always honest at all times. If there's ever a mistake uh, that, that's in my favor, I will always make sure to return it because I'm a great person. But, you know, number one, a lot of people are bullshitting about this. They're just trying to look like they're great people on the Internet. And if it actually comes down to it, they won't do that. Uh, sometimes these are actually people who claim this sometimes are even much worse than that. They're actually like people who, who scam, who say this on purpose to make themselves look even more honest. Uh, but usually it's just someone just trying to posture that they're more moral than they really are, so everyone can see it. Uh, but but there's really other things to consider. You, as I said, you consider how much time you have to spend on billing mistakes against you. And who's paying you for that? So you got, you got to think of things like that. So with casinos, there's I, I've seen it all the time when I'm like at the blackjack table and they short me. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not, not on purpose, but, you know, they, they make a mistake. And I go, no, no, I'm supposed to get the supposed to get $100 more. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. And they give it to me. So, like, it's uh, – and I'm sure there's times I've missed it. And I've just gotten stiffed. So that's uh, that's that's the way I – how do you handle a trader risky when this happens, like at a casino, if you get overpaid in blackjack or something? What do you do? Um, no, I mean, I'm the same way. I think if it's a, if it's an individual that's going to get harmed and I guess I don't think I've ever had to deal with a blackjack situation, but as far as, you know, the cashier at the market or the waitress, you know, I think it's definitely good to call their attention to it, but a machine or a company, I mean, and that would be a good law to pass, but they have to pay you 25 bucks an hour for dealing with this yes. shit. I mean, and, and, I mean, the amount of hours you put in, it's like they don't give a fuck. Yeah, and some of them are awful, too. I've had, I've had, I've had two different situations, one with a, with a, a, a landline slash internet uh, provider that, that took me literally 20 hours on the phone to, to fix. And it, I, I'm not talking about like over a matter of like 10 bucks. I mean, it's like a major recurring billing error that I couldn't just ignore. Uh, and so there was one that took 20 hours about a decade ago, and then I had a 20-hour mess uh, involving AT&T about uh, three and a half years ago, where they they outright stole my dad's phone and and weren't rectifying it. It was a, a super tilting. I mean, I can't tell you how frustrating it was to keep running into people that were telling me I'm just wrong, and that uh, and were denying what I was promised, and uh, and then all the times that. They claimed it was fixed, and then it would be overruled by the corporate office and reversed. I mean, it, it actually took the person who was the like VP for the entire Los Angeles area of AT&T stores to finally overrule the, uh, the, the, the main corporate office who kept rejecting it. And just he just overruled it and, and, and fixed it for me because everybody who tried to fix it, Got overruled. It was, it was the worst thing ever. Every time I think it's done, it's like, nope, it's not done. Every time I had to wait like two bill cycles for it to show up and it, it was never showing up. I mean, it was the worst to deal with. And like I go shit through shit like that. And, and yeah, afterwards I bitched about it and they gave me a little bit extra credit on my bill because of the fiasco where they admitted that the whole time I was right. But I didn't get I, I'm, the, my hourly wage on that. I, I would have done better working at McDonald's by far. And it would have been far less frustrating. So yeah, like so. So, so on the next, on another bill, if they accidentally give me a, a, a double twenty dollar credit, I'm not going to go whoa, whoa, whoa! You, you guys, you gave me too much credit. Like no, I, that's that's the least I can get back from uh, from all the other bullshit I went through. And again, there's something they did. It's not like I'm stealing money back because I feel they owe me. They they accidentally give me a credit. It's the reverse of when they accidentally screw me, and I have to fight twenty hours to get it off my bill. Moving on, Steve Wynn. Really, 
fell pretty hard during the old Me Too, the Me Too movement that began in 2017 because of Harvey Weinstein. And then women everywhere in the U.S. came forward about various powerful men, in some cases famous powerful men, who had uh, sexually harassed them and gotten away with it, in some cases many years ago. Even in a few cases, men came forward about gay men who sexually harassed them, such as uh, Kevin Spacey, whose career was pretty much ruined. Uh, From everything I could tell, all these high-profile accusations against these rich, famous, or powerful men seem to have all been true. It's funny, because I kind of expected some of them to just be people BSing, either for attention or for money or who knows what reason. But it seemed like when all the facts came out, like every time we'd hear about one of these, they turned out to be true. Uh, and, and, and the truth is, if these things were really happening, then these guys deserve it. Even if at the time the culture was more permissive about it, that the truth was that they were only getting away with it because there just wasn't it, society was allowing these women to be victimized. And uh, these guys knew they could get away with it and did. And then the culture changed later and then they had to answer for what they did before. Uh, this is a little different than something that that the entire culture of the U.S. was that this was okay, and then they're being blamed years later. I'm talking about, uh, um, like, 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 for example, if making gay jokes was very mainstream and accepted until fairly recently, until this decade. Like, even as recently as, like, the mid-2000s, like, pe- a lot of people were making gay jokes, and there was no, nothing was really said about that. Even people who were like like pretty liberal and uh, and considered themselves very tolerant and progressive were making gay jokes. Uh, so I, I don't think it's fair to go back to someone's Twitter, even for like like 2009, or, or 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 go back to things they wrote on a forum in 2004 and go, oh look look at them, look at this this homophobe, they should lose their entire career. Like I, I don't think that's fair, especially if they were like in high school then. Uh, on the other hand, if you, if you did things like like rape or even sexual harassment or just you know, really obnoxious things, which you shouldn't have been doing, just morally wrong things where you're using your position to take power over another human being that you really shouldn't have even if at the time you can get away with it because of of, uh, society not pressing as hard to right these wrongs uh, that doesn't mean that anyone should feel bad for you years later if uh, eventually this comes home to roost so this is what happened to a lot of rich and powerful men including many who were famous and Many had their careers ruined over this. Harvey Weinstein was the first one and kind of got the ball rolling. Steve Wynn then had his moment. And it turned out that, yes, Steve Wynn was a serial sexual harasser. And the accusations against him ranged from ones that... uh, I thought were very credible to ones that were kind of semi-credible. Like, I believe he was a sexual harasser, and I believe the most of the allegations against him. The ones I thought were a little bit doubtful were the, uh, there's like a massage girl who claimed that she was pressured into giving him hand jobs and having sex with them. And I'm like, you know what? That whole industry, that whole massage industry, a lot of the girls actually do this. So if he suggested it and she went along with it, like, that, that happens all the time in massages. So that's not quite the same thing as like harassing a blackjack dealer or other things that uh, you know, are making 
uh, the repeated sexual overtures. There, there was one story with Wynn that was kind of funny. That not funny, but it's kind of you, you wouldn't expect it. You when you think of this like like sexual harassment towards a, a blackjack dealer, you kind of picture like a, a young, pretty blackjack dealer that this old pervert's harassing. Um, there was one where he had a grandmother fetish. So he heard that a certain dealer who obviously wasn't young was a grandmother. I think she was a younger grandma. She was in her 50s or something, like around 50 or something at the time. But with that, when he heard she was a grandmother that turned him on and he kept over and over like hassling her to have sex with him, saying that he's always had fantasies about, about banging a grandma, <laughs> which, is, which is weird. I believe it, though, but, but apparently that, uh, that was one of the women he harassed. So, like ones like that, I, to me, were the most egregious rather than the massage where – uh, because that's a big part of that industry that you could understand. Maybe there was a misunderstanding that he just kind of thought that certain massage girls will do it and certain ones won't, which, which is true. But uh, I've even had a few massages. Like I, I, I've had some massages in casino environments, you know, like at a, a casino hotel where I get some kind of comp for a massage. And, I've had like one or two where it's kind of it seems like it's being implied to me that 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 more could be done than just a massage, and uh, I, I pretty much shut it down. Like I don't even want to take off my underwear uh, or things like that, where they, they it's clear that I'm not there for that. But the ones where I kind of get the idea that if uh, if it were to be like a naked massage, which they offer right away. Like I, I sometimes just get the vibe. I had gotten the vibe that if I had uh, mentioned that, that they would have done it, at least like a hand job or something. But uh, I've never done that sort of thing. So I, I could understand that type of environment where Steve Wynn could have thought that maybe they would do this for him, especially if, given all the money and power he has, that he you could pay them a lot extra for it. But as I said, like the, there were so many different stories about him, especially like the the that blackjack dealing grandma and stuff like that. I don't know if she's a blackjack dealer or cocktail witch, whatever she was. It was something where he just decided out of the blue that since she's a grandma that uh, he's got to have sex with her. So anyway, big fallout over this. Uh, the the wind got in some trouble because they were not taking these allegations seriously for many years. Most of these dated back to over a decade ago. Uh, there was talk about wind possibly losing their property, their, their license to operate in, in Boston, which would have been a disaster for them. But they, they, they kicked Steve Wynn basically out of the win. And that, that, that happened a while ago. The reason we're talking about this now is because there's a new thing that's being attempted by the Nevada Gaming Commission. And that is to remove his license entirely in nevada if you work in any kind of gaming related job you need a gaming license in fact uh in some positions you wouldn't even expect you need a gaming license and if you don't have this license if it gets revoked by any reason you can't have certain jobs so steve Wynn, obviously being the uh, ceo of Wynn Resorts, obviously had to have a gaming license. And even though he got stripped of his position, he still had a license. He wasn't using it at the moment, but he still had a license to uh, 
operate games in Nevada, even if he's not doing so at the moment. So what's kind of unexpected, because Steve Wynn seemed like he was kind of out of gaming after what happened here, and this is not like a young guy who's going to reinvent his career. This is an older guy where he has a ton of money, and this obviously it's over for him. The Nevada Gaming Control Board ha- has filed a complaint this week in order to take his gaming license away permanently. <laughs> So even though he stepped down from his position of CEO of Wynn Resorts, knowing that he would be fired if he didn't step down, the Nevada Gaming Control Board filed a complaint regarding the sexual harassment allegations and stated that his misconduct and overall character was cause for him to lose his gaming license, which would basically ban him from the entire Nevada gaming world. The complaint states that Steve Wynn is not a good person, uh, is not a person of good character, honesty, and or integrity, and he is, quote, unsuitable to be associated with a gaming enterprise or the gaming industry as a whole. They brought this complaint to the Nevada Gaming Commission and if the Gaming Commission agrees the Nevada Gaming Control Board and the Nevada Gaming Commission are two different uh, entities in Nevada but if the Gaming Commission agrees then they can revoke it in the complaint it's mentioned that there are multiple accounts of sexual harassment And also, they are attempting to fine Steve Wynn for each of those counts. Also, apparently there was an an in-person investigatory hearing last month, and Steve Wynn refused to appear appear at that hearing, so that is in the complaint as well. Wynn's lawyers said that he didn't show up to the hearing because he hired attorneys to to uh, proceed with a defamation lawsuits against those who made these allegations against him. And they said he cannot be reasonably expected to waive any of his privileges except at the appropriate time and in the appropriate judicial forum. Basically, they're claiming that since he's got these defamation lawsuits against these women who claimed he harassed them, that... Uh, him showing up at this hearing would would be conflicting. I think it's kind of ballsy to file these defamation lawsuits if you know you did it, by the way. Like, if these women are really making it up, then fine, but I don't think they are. I just think it's kind of adding insult to injury here. You, you, I mean, it sucks when you, you think you got away with sexually harassing women in 2005 and paid some of them off, and you think it's all passed, and you're not even doing it anymore. <laughs> and, and then you, the, the hammer comes down a decade later. It sucks, but you did it. Like, if you're really guilty of it, and the hammer comes down a decade later, then so be it. Still you. You did it. You weren't a kid. You were still an older dude in a position of power. So you got to just... Deal with the consequences of your actions. 
the company of Win, the Win Company, they, they were fi- they were fined fifty five million dollars over all this. Twenty million by Nevada and thirty five million by Massachusetts, but were able to keep their license, which was the big thing that they wanted. They, the fine was something they were able to deal with. That's not that much money for them. The main thing was they didn't want to lose their license to operate. That would have been a disaster. Then they would have had to sell. This complaint was filed uh, just a few weeks after, uh, earlier in October, nine female employees of Wynn Resorts filed a lawsuit that... uh, uh, against Steve Wynn, or sorry, was it against Steve Wynn or against the Wynn Resorts? It was against Wynn Resorts. But it was claiming that uh, Steve Wynn joked about the sexual harassment allegations he's facing. This was we, we didn't cover this because this was during the time I wasn't on, but apparently uh, nine women are either current employees of the Wynn or Encore, and that uh, there is a meeting at a mandatory meeting for the salon staff. I guess the salon is a, a, a business there at the Wynn, and they have one at the Encore too. But that they they had a, a mandatory meeting for the salon staff right after the misconduct allegations came out, and at the meeting. All of them were asked to raise their hands if they felt they were sexually harassed by Steve Wynn and they felt that they were afraid to raise their hands. They were afraid that there's going to be retaliation if they did so. And then at the end of the meeting, they claimed that Steve Wynn came into the room with a camera crew to celebrate the birthday of an 80-year-old employee. And while they were in there, Wynn then still initiated physical physical contact with uh, group hugs and kisses on the lips. <laughs> he just never learns. Uh, there's other lawsuits involving this matter. So it goes on and on. And apparently, Wynn Resorts didn't take any of this seriously for years. So they, they paid some people off, but they, they didn't stop Wynn from doing it. They kind of just paid people off and help these problems go away if if, uh, if if you know if they couldn't pressure these women to back down they would pay them off and hope the whole thing would disappear which for many years it did so how do i feel about taking away wins gaming license uh you know i i think it's kind of overkill because i don't believe he's coming back to gaming definitely he's not coming back to win resorts and if, if he were to make an effort to do so, then I could see, okay, maybe at that point, uh, take it away. But, uh, or at least consider it. It just seems like this is more ceremonial than anything else. And this was really more of uh, workplace misbehavior than gaming misbehavior. This wasn't like he was caught uh, cheating or directing employees to cheat people who were uh, who were gaming there. This was uh, this was misconduct with his employees, which has its own set of remedies, and these are being taken. He's already been let go, and 
now he's he and the company are facing civil suits and whatever happens from these suits is what happens and i don't hold it against anyone who's filing such suits as long as what they're alleging is really true but i feel that this is just kind of an unnecessary extra step that's being taken when there's really no indication that he'll ever work in gaming again. Steve Wynn is disgraced at this point. He is old. He, his eyesight is failing. and has been. He's uh, almost 78. This is not someone who is going to say, okay, well, I'm going to have a comeback. Steve Wynn might be down, but he's not out. I'm going to, I'm going to start a new casino hotel and uh, take Vegas by storm. No. no. No one's going to work with him at this point. He's damaged goods. And he's, he's too old to start something like this anyway. It's just, he's, he's got a lot of money, a ton of money. He's, uh, his net worth is said to be $3 billion. Okay, so when you're facing something like this, when your reputation has been destroyed, when no one's going to want to work with you, when scandal is going to follow you the rest of your life over this matter, when you're almost 78, you say, okay, I have $3 billion. I will just enjoy my $3 billion and pretty much hide from public view as much as possible. This sucks, but it's my own doing, and... The last thing I could do at this point is start another another casino. It's just not going to happen. So I don't really see the point. And if they were if they were to see that by some fluke he's deciding to try to make a comeback, okay, then at that point uh, consider maybe revoking the license. But that's it. Just seems like needless symbolism to me. So that's it, it's. Just there's a lot of politics involved in all this, and those that are involved in doing this, they they get points for oh look look what we're doing look look what we're fighting for the rights of those who were abused, and we're getting justice for you by taking away his license. I think it's kind of a waste of time. But at the same time, I don't feel sorry for Steve Wynn. He made his bed with this, and there's enough allegations to where it seems credible that he was just a serial sexual harasser. And the truth is that some men over time who are in positions of power just got it in their heads. They can do whatever they want and get away with it. And they did. And when you behave that way and mistreat other human beings and figure, hey, I'm more powerful than they are by a wide margin, so there's nothing they can do about it, well, one day you may have to face it. One day, maybe years later, when you never thought you would ever have to face it, you have to face it. And the only people I'd ever feel sorry for this occurring are ones who were falsely accused or where the accusations are grossly exaggerated. Like if it was just like a massage girl accusing him of no one else. I, I would have a big problem saying, oh, Steve Wynn is this terrible guy. But so many different stories here, it's got to be true. Well, here's something else that is true. I'm going to state it right now. 
that Virgin Trains USA, which is going to start work on their train between Vegas and Southern California next year, that they're working on a fail train. And this thing is going to be a disaster, at least for the first several years of operation. I'm, I'm really surprised they're going through with this. Let me tell you about the project again. I've talked about it before on this show. It's getting more attention now than when I talked about it last time because last time it was kind of a small background story. Now this is being reported everywhere many months later because the company has made more of a statement involving what's going to happen. Virgin Trains USA is going to be building a high-speed train between what they call Southern California and Las Vegas, but that's misleading, which I'll explain in a second. They just announced, this is the new story that just came out two days ago, or actually a day ago it came out, that they're going to break ground on the project sometime in 2020, and that it should be completed towards the end of 2023. So it's going to take somewhere between three and four years to complete, according to their current scheduling. This train will go very quickly. It's a high-speed train, and it will travel 180 miles in 75 to 90 minutes meaning that it will be going in excess of 120 miles per hour. But wait a minute, 180 miles? That's not how far L.A. is from Vegas. It's it's almost 300. So what about the rest of the miles? Where is that coming from? Why is it only 180? Well, it's because what they call Southern California is really Victorville. <laughs> Now, if you don't know what Victorville is, maybe you're not from the area or haven't been to Southern California or haven't driven between L.A. and Vegas, Victorville is a desert community which is northeast of Los Angeles. And it's not directly northeast of Los Angeles. It's pretty far out of the L.A. area. It's not in L.A. County. It's in San Bernardino County. It is north of the Cajon Pass. It's not considered the L.A. area. It might be considered the greater L.A. area if you really want to stretch it. Like if you meet someone from New York and they ask where you're from and you're from Victorville, you could kind of say Los Angeles. You could kind of say the L.A. area, but it's a good 100 miles or so from... Los Angeles. So that's not the L.A. area. And there isn't really much around Victorville. There's Victorville, there's Hesperia, there's Apple Valley in that same area, and that's about it. Then if you go down the Cajon Pass, then you arrive at San Bernardino and there's that area. But the truth is that most people don't go to Victorville other than passing through it if they don't live there or work there. 
This is not a place you're just going to be. Furthermore, if you've driven between L.A. and Vegas, like take a Friday, for example, that you're going to drive to Vegas, you're going to find very bad traffic getting to Victorville in the afternoon. And once you're past Victorville, then the traffic, it's not light, but it's, it moves. You kind of feel like you've made some progress once you get to Victorville. Even though you're about a third of the way there to Vegas, you feel like you're more than a third because you're finally past the awful traffic. That's because Southern California traffic is what you have to get through to get to Victorville. And once you get to Victorville, then you're kind of out in the desert where there's not much beyond that of any consequence. So that's why there's not much traffic other than people who are going to Vegas. The problem with putting a train that starts in Victorville or ends at Victorville, depending on which way you're going, between that and Vegas, is how is that practical? So let's say you want to use the train. Let's say you live in Los Angeles. You say, okay, I want to take this train. Well, they say, yeah, it takes 75 to 90 minutes. But wait, hold on. You have to get to Victorville first. And that is not very easy to do. The drive to Victorville will take you some time. It's 100 miles from many parts of Los Angeles. So you've got to drive that in traffic. Get there. Park your car, take your stuff, drag it from the car to the train, then take this train, and of course you can't be there the second the train leaves, you've got to buy the tickets and board and wait for it to start, then it'll take 75 to 90 minutes, then it'll get to Vegas, and where will it drop you in Vegas? Is it going to drop you right on the strip? No. It's going to drop you... Actually, south of the airport, right by the 15, it'll be on Las Vegas Boulevard, but a part of Las Vegas Boulevard that otherwise you're probably never going to be at, which is between Warm Springs Road and Blue Diamond Road. (laughs) So then at that point, you either have to rent a car or take a bus or an Uber or find some other way to get to your hotel. So it's not even like it drops you at your hotel or something that's very easy to get to your hotel from there. It just drops you at this station and, okay, what now? So is that really worth it, just to cut a little time off this drive? Why not just keep driving? Once you get to Victorville, you why not just keep driving at that point? You're only 180 miles away. You can cover that if it, if the traffic isn't too heavy. You can You can cover that in, what, two and a half hours? Maybe two if you're speeding? And the, the train takes between 75 and 90 minutes? What, what, are you, what are you saving here? An hour? An hour you're going to lose back in the whole time of, of stopping, getting out, moving your luggage, buying the ticket, getting on the train, waiting for the train to start, getting there, getting off the train, having to find a way to your hotel from the train. In fact, it will take you more time. I bet if I left and my neighbor left at the same time, and let's say the train was complete, and he stopped in Victorville to take the train, and I just kept driving, I bet I would get to the door of my hotel first. If let's say we're going to the identical hotel on the Strip, just pick any hotel on the Strip, Bellagio, Caesars, whatever. I bet I would get into my room, or into the front desk to check into my room. I bet I would get there first, just driving straight. Unless it was like really heavy traffic, then, then he would beat me. 
Also, I would get there with my own car, and he would get there with no car. So, this is a failed train. Now, if you live in Victorville, great. Then, then it's then it's a different story. But Victorville does not have a high population, nor does Hesperia. San Bernardino, yeah, it's, it's a bigger population over there, but they've got to, they still have to drive. They have to drive over the Cullen Pass and park. They've still got kind of the same issue. So I can't see who's going to want this. Now, if this train could leave from somewhere in L.A., that would be a different story. The more distance this train travels, the more advantage it gives especially if it travels through otherwise high-traffic areas. This is one big problem, is that Victorville to Vegas and back, aside from a few peak times, uh, there's not much traffic. The, the real backup occurs between Victorville and L.A. Now, yeah, Sunday night or Sunday afternoon, yeah, it, it sucks going back. You get stuck at the state line for some time. But aside from that, you, it, it's pretty smooth sailing between Victorville and Vegas. Most times you drive both ways. Now, if you could leave from L.A. and the thing goes at 275 miles. And if they could complete that trip in, say, two hours. Yeah, that would be nice. Wouldn't it be nice to just get on a train in L.A. And two hours later, you're in Vegas. That could be useful. In fact, I've thought about this before. Let's say somebody calls me right now and says, Todd, it's an emergency. You need to get to Vegas. Forget what the emergency is. Let's just say I agree it's an emergency. I need to get to Vegas as soon as I can. What do I do right now, today? Let's even say it's early. Right now it's 1255 at night. Let's say it's earlier and I have the option to fly. Well, I don't know if I'd want to fly. It may actually be quicker for me to just jump in my car and drive there as fast as I can. Because to fly, I have to, first of all, I have to go buy a ticket. Second, I have to drive to the airport, park at the airport, bring my luggage from wherever I park to check in, go through security, get there far enough in advance of when the flight boards so I can make sure I make the flight, then fly for an hour, Maybe more if there's delays. Then I have to wait to get off the plane once it lands, get my luggage, bring my luggage through the airport, either get a rental car or have an Uber or taxi drive me where there's usually a line. I don't live particularly close to the airport, so it takes a while to drive there. I think if I had to get to Vegas right now, even if it's earlier in the evening or earlier in the day, I probably could get there faster driving than flying. And if not, it's very close. So there is no option right now for me to just get to Vegas in two hours or anywhere near two hours. It's not possible to do. So this will give people an option if it leaves from L.A. But if not, it's leaving from Victorville. Now, is that it? Are they going to stop at Victorville or are there plans to expand further? Well, there, there are plans to extend it first to Palmdale, which is also not going to help very much. Palmdale is about 30 miles northeast of the Santa Clarita Valley, which is the very 
northern outskirts of L.A. It's actually not L.A., but it's it is L.A. County, and it's uh, well, so is Palmdale. So that's but it's uh, so it's L.A. County, but it's let me describe the L.A. area to you. There's, it's it's a pretty it's pretty big geographically, but there's the downtown L.A. area, and if you go kind of like northwest of there, you get to the San Fernando Valley, and then directly north of the San Fernando Valley is the Santa Clarita Valley, and that's where you have Newhall and Santa Clarita and Canyon Country and all that. And then there's nothing past that, and then what you have to do is go northeast from there on the 14, and then you get to Palmdale about 30 miles later. Now, Lancaster and Palmdale, they're together out there, and, they, and they're also west of Victorville, but though it's not that close. But if you keep going east from there, you get to Victorville eventually. So Palmdale is a little closer to L.A. than uh, than Victorville is. But it's probably still like 60 miles to get there. So it's still the same issue. Still a lot of traffic getting there, especially in the afternoon. Because a lot of people work in Palmdale. Or a lot of people work in L.A. and live in Palmdale. So there's terrible traffic in the morning going from Palmdale. And terrible traffic in the evening and afternoon going to Palmdale. But then they are going to extend it to Union Station in downtown L.A. But these are far away. And the problem is it's harder to build a route that the train can take through populous areas. It's easy to build in the desert. There's there's nothing you have to worry about uh, getting in the way. But I, I have to think they have to build... These, uh, I know there are train tracks going through Southern California, but it may not be suitable for this this high speed train. I I'm not sure, but I think they will have to worry about having to clear space for these tracks, and they may have to buy property and knock things down. It, it, it could be a long time away. So who, who knows when we're going to see this in downtown L.A. And that's that's two phases away. For, at the end of 2023, it's planned it'll go to Victorville. Then at some point, they claim they'll bring it to Palmdale, and then they'll bring it to downtown L.A. Yeah, good luck. That's provided the whole thing isn't an epic failure, which it probably will be. So my prediction is if they get this done, nobody's going to want to ride this thing because there's no point, except for a few people in Victorville. It's going to lose a ton of money, and they're they're not going to get the funding to extend it to Palmdale and downtown LA, which is going to be expensive to do. But until it gets to downtown LA, it's, it's useless. Now, if it can even get to the valley, that would have some use because the valley has a, a high population. There's a lot of people in the valley who go to Vegas, and there's a lot of people from other parts of LA who would travel to the valley, provided they had somewhere to park. And if you could take a train the rest of the way, it'd be fine. It's just, it's just too far, far along. To show you how ridiculous this is, let's think of it a different way. Let's say they had a high-speed train from the state line of Prim for the final 40 miles of the drive to Vegas. So let's say it's a, a Prim to Vegas high-speed train. Would you ever stop in Prim 40 miles away from Vegas and say, okay, time to get on the train and park my car here, leave it here and, drive, and take the train to Vegas? You'd never do that. You'd say, screw it, I'll just drive the f- final 40 miles, right? Like nobody would do that. Okay, let's move it a little bit further. Let's say to, to Baker, ni- uh, like which is about ninety miles from Vegas. Would he stop in Baker? No. Why? Because you're, you're you're still you're too close at that point. So 
this is 180 miles away, but it, it's already too far within the journey, and you already passed the traffic part for the most part. So, so why bother? Why would you stop and hassle with all this when you've already gone this far? It's not going to save you much time. It'll, in fact, probably cost time. However, this is going to be a $5 billion project. And the financing is still up in the air, which is a problem. So that's why it may not come to be. However, Virgin Trains does have a successful project in Florida, where they have connected Miami to Fort Lauderdale and West Palm Beach. But that's different. That's totally different. That's Those are two places that would make sense to connect with a high-speed train. Victorville to Vegas, no. They're also saying that it will employ more than 1,000 construction workers and that it will remove 4.5 million cars each year from Interstate 15. I don't believe it. I don't believe 4.5 million riders will come on this thing per year. And stop in Victorville. you got to be kidding me. So it would be nice to have such an option. I have to admit that, and also you don't have to drive, so that's another nice thing if you're kind of too tired to drive to Vegas. Like think if it actually was in L.A. That could kind of be cool. You're in L.A., you live there, and even if you don't live close to downtown, you know, if you could drive half an hour to downtown or something from wherever you live and you go, I'm kind of tired tonight, but uh, I just kind of want to relax and get on the train and just have it take me to Vegas. And I'll just kind of sit there and I'll play on my phone or take a nap and get on the train. Two hours later, I'll be in Vegas and just get off and uh, take an Uber to my hotel, take a bus to my hotel, and there I am. Easy. Easy and not very time consuming. Okay, I could see that. Even I could see myself possibly doing it, though probably not. I really love having a car and just controlling my own schedule. But you do control your own schedule somewhat because this is supposedly going to go over like 45 minutes. So it's different than a flight where you got to book in advance and you got to make sure to get there and not miss it and not miss it on the way back. So this would have potential if it could get to L.A., but I, I don't think it's ever going to get there. Trader Ruski, are you still there? Did we lose you? I, I see your picture here on Skype. In a way, I feel your presence, but I also feel that you may not be here. Well, since it's after one, I will assume you are no longer here. So that will drop you. But you're welcome to call back if you would like to join me again. Somehow our readings are going up. The last two weeks, as we're going through the evening, I don't understand that. How, how are our ratings improving since it's one in the morning? Aren't people going to sleep? Don't you guys have to work tomorrow morning? Don't some of you live in New York and it's 4 a.m. there? Does anyone here ever sleep? I understand more of the L.A. people, Vegas people. It's only 1 a.m., but come on. You degenerates, or did you, are you, you're actually joining me at this time as opposed to 9 p.m.? Come on. No, actually, I'm happy to see this. 
Usually I check this as the show goes and I see, I see the numbers going down, 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 down. I go, okay, well, you know, who's going to listen to 2.30 in the morning live? But no, we're getting more people as it goes on. We're almost at our highest listenership for the evening right now at 1 a.m. That's good to see. By the way, speaking of ratings, we, we had the best ratings of this show in a very, very long time. One of our top listened to episodes ever was last week because of the Mike Postle coverage we had and the interest in the prank call we did and the Veronica interview and the Eric Bensamokin analysis. I want to thank all of you people who uh, made that possible and want to welcome any new listeners that have started listening to this show as of last week. And I hope you stay. I'm always happy to take suggestions. And if you want to make contact with me, you can text me 775-372-8355. You can call the phone number during the show, or you can text that number anytime, and I will answer you. Here is a text from the 440. Druff, do you have a Drexel update? Also, a big shout-out to TMMLK. <laughs> yeah, I kind of miss TMMLK, but I, I don't really have an update for Drexel. Uh, I, I talked to him about a week ago, a week and a half ago. And I don't really have an update. He's not going to be coming back to the show anytime soon. Uh, it's not due to anything personal between us. We're, we're still friends. We had a, a, a nice uh, conversation. And it, it's been this way for years where he's has his time where he's really into doing these shows. And when he's here, he does a great job. And a lot of people love it. And then other times he's kind of just uh, not feeling it as much. And that's understandable, because not not everybody wants to do this every week. Some somehow, somehow I do. <laughs> so, somehow uh, I, I'm here every week. Some weeks I want to do it more than others. But I'll tell you, when I'm away for a few weeks, I get to miss it. When I'm away for a few weeks, I go, oh, I, I so badly want to get back on the radio and talk about this and this and and like I picture in my head like what I'm going to say about certain topics that I know are coming up and I'm going to talk about when I'm on the show. Then sometimes what I say in my head sounds a lot better when I'm saying it in my head than when I actually say it on the show. And then I say to myself afterwards, oh, why didn't I say it like I did in my head a few days ago? But that's what happens from a live show. I can't just keep re-recording until it sounds perfect. But hopefully it sounds okay to you, especially knowing I'm just talking, talking, talking for very long periods of time talking straight through six hours. All right. I'm going to move on to the next topic here. And talk about the Bicycle Club. I'm going to take a break at some point. I don't know if I should do it before or after this topic. Maybe we'll do it after this topic. Take a short break after this and then finish off the last two things I want to talk about. So here's what's going on in Southern California with the Limit Hold'em scene. And before you fast forward past this segment in the archives or turn it off if you're listening live, just hang on, stay with me. This probably will be at least somewhat interesting to you, even if you don't like Limit Hold'em. Limit Hold'em was a very big game in poker for quite some time, from like the late 80s all the way through the early 2000s until No Limit Hold'em took over and now, to some degree, PLO has also taken over. But prior to that, Limit Hold'em 
was the game, and prior to that, Stud was the game. Limit Hold'em has died in most of the country, but it does have a scene and still in some places in the U.S., at the Canterbury in Minnesota, at the Borgata in Atlantic City, at Bay 101 in San Jose, and in a lot of casinos in Southern California. Limit Hold'em was very big in Southern California for a long time. It was big at Hollywood Park. It was big at Commerce. It was big at the bike. There's some very big card rooms in Southern California. And there's also some smaller ones, even ones that go back quite a ways, where Limit Hold'em was very big. And even when No Limit started to become more popular, Limit Hold'em persisted. And a lot of people still show up to L.A. card rooms to play Limit Hold'em. So even though most tournaments are no Limit Hold'em, even though in some areas of the country you won't find a Limit Hold'em game other than low stakes, Limit Hold'em for medium and high stakes exists in Southern California and are nice money makers for the casinos. Why? Because each hand finishes quickly. There's no tanking. There's no sitting there forever what to do on every street when you know big bet, all in, raise. It's very fast. Bet, raise, call. Bet, raise, re-raise, call. Bet, call. Okay, showdown. Like it's, it's so fast because since the bets are a fixed size and never that large compared to the rest of the pot, there's never a, a huge decision you have to sit there thinking forever about. In fact, the few times I sit and think what to do with Limit Hold'em, uh, people yell at me. They go, come on, it's limit. This isn't no limit. Stop tanking. That's like when I'm tanking for 20 seconds or something. But you'll never see someone tank for like three minutes in Limit Hold'em. This doesn't happen. And a lot of these hands just play out super fast, even once they get to the river. So you get a lot more hands in per hour at Limit Hold'em live. And this allows them to collect a lot more rake at a Limit Hold'em table than at a no-limit hold'em table. And they still rake these games pretty high, especially in Southern California. In fact, they're higher than the limit hold'em counterparts in Las Vegas. High rake in Southern California. Commerce, which once had a huge limit hold'em scene, it's declined some as poker has declined, but they still have usually five tables on a typical night of 4080 and 6120 limit hold'em, which eventually dwindled down to about one of each. So usually it'll be like two 60 games and three 40 games. It really, it'll dwindle down to one and one in the very late hours. But usually they will survive the night in commerce until the later morning when they start to fill up again and additional tables get created once again. It is very unusual to go into Commerce and find that neither 4080 nor 6120 is running. Sometimes one of the two will die and only one of the other will be going, but it's very rare to come to Commerce like at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. at a, the deadest time and, and not be able to find either a 40 or 60 game going. But if you look at the fact that for a lot of the day there's five of those going and just generating rake every single time with these hands that move very fast, this makes pretty good money for Commerce. So it's important to keep these alive. Well, commerce has been king 
of everything in Southern California, but especially Limit Hold'em. And for that reason, the other casinos have basically given up with running anything of a level of like 40, 80 or above. The highest regular game you'll see going prior to 2019 at a Southern California card room other than Commerce, at Limit Hold'em that is, is 2550 at The Hustler. All the other casinos, they had like the occasional higher game go, but it was rare. There was no regular game of 4080 or higher going in Limit Hold'em in Southern California except at Commerce, and it's been this way for many, many years. Well, this year, the Bicycle Club decided to try something new. They decided that they are going to attempt to take a lot of that action from Commerce. Bicycle Club is not very far geographically from Commerce. You can drive between the two of them in about 10 minutes and sometimes even less than that if it's late at night and there's no traffic. So they're close by geographically and they're both very large card rooms. Commerce is bigger, but the bike's pretty big too. They've both been around a long time. The bike had given up on running anything above 2040 limit hold'em. But they said, hey, we think there's an opportunity here. People don't like the fact that Commerce charges high rake. People don't like the fact that Commerce is just uh, very player unfriendly these days. It's high rake. They, they don't treat the customer like they're always right. There's not any kind of realistic poker rate for the hotel. Often the poker rate's even higher than the regular rate of the hotel. The hotel's also kind of old and run down. It was built in 02, but it's aged pretty quickly. And still, it's getting close to 20 years old. But even putting that aside, it's just the hotel isn't nice anymore. Once a decent hotel is now kind of a, a kind of looking run down. Not a complete dump, but not a nice place. And it's still expensive despite that. And there's no decent poker rate to stay there like there used to be. It used to be $79 no tax. That's long gone. And people were just kind of getting frustrated with commerce. And commerce, just the clientele is always pissed off there. It's a very stressful environment. There's all kinds of argument. The dealers get mistreated. It's a a stressful environment there. I've said before, at commerce, it feels like everyone's always pissed off, even if they're winning. There's just a lot of arguing, a lot of just stress and anger at commerce. It's a place that I couldn't go to every day. It's fine to go to on occasion to play, but I couldn't go to commerce every day. It would be depressing. So the bike said, hey, maybe we can take some of that action. But you can't just snap your fingers and do it. You gotta, they, they knew they had to do something to get people to leave. So they hired what they call hosts, people who would get these 40, 80 games going. One of the people they hired was 2000's poker pro Gene Gluck. Jean Gluck is a pretty girl who had some success in poker in the 2000s. I don't know how well she did, but she she, she got to be known in poker. I think she's like half Asian. She's pretty. Uh, as a pretty nice, you know, nice, agreeable personality. Nothing really bad to say about her. Um, decent poker player when I've played with her. The bike hired her to be a host to get games going. And they empowered these hosts 
to give out certain perks to people who would come down. They were giving out free hotel rooms in their new and nice hotel of the bike, or they they built a hotel pretty recently, way nicer than the Commerce is at this point. They were giving the rooms for free to people who'd come down and play this limit hold'em. Uh, and they they give them other perks. They give them food. They 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 had reduced rake. They were much more player friendly. And not only that, the games were better because the best players in Southern California were going to commerce and the bike was getting a lot of fish, including people who just were at the bike who weren't really limit hold'em players that just kind of take shots at it. And as I've said many times before, the absence of good players is more important than the presence of bad ones. That is something I will scream over and over from the mountaintops about poker that you guys must all understand. You must all understand this. If you if you take one thing from this show, please take this from me. The absence of good players at your table is more important than the presence of bad players at your table. If you are the best one at the table, even if there's not any kind of outright big fish at the table, if you're just the best one, and really the best one, not just you think you're the best, but you really are the best, provided you run average or better, you're going to do very well because you will be kind of the one running the action there. You're going to be the one who uh, isn't afraid of anyone. You're going to be the one who's really best at knowing what's going on in every hand. There's not anyone who's going to take control of you. And that's very big. That's a lot better than having people at the table who are better than you or equivalent to you and a few guys who suck. So the bike had that going on. The bike had an absence of a lot of good players and the very best limit holding players in Southern California who still play regularly in those games were staying at Commerce for the most part. So the games were better too. I, I kept hearing about this, but for whatever reason, maybe out of habit, maybe because I just wasn't going all that often because of all the traffic and other crap I have to deal with going to these rooms. I just didn't make it out to the bike, even though it's about the same distance for me. It's a little bit farther, but it's about the same distance for the most part. I just kept going back to Commerce out of habit. Until a few weeks ago, I took a late night trip to Commerce. And I got into the room and I said, put me on the board for 40. Oh, yeah, we uh, we just broke a game. There's only one game running right now. You're sixth up. I go, oh, my God, sixth up. Are the other five people here? Oh, yeah, they're here. Okay, put me on the board for 60. Yeah, you're 11th up there, but not all the names are live, but uh, some of them are. Okay, can I play 20? Oh, uh, 20? Yeah, you're fifth up there. And uh, I know all those names are live. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm never, I'm just going to be, it's like it was already late at night, and I couldn't stay for all that long. I was planning to just be there maybe four hours. I, I, I pictured that I could be sitting two hours before getting to any game. And I was sitting there all pissed off. And I'm like, do I just go home? Like, what do I do? And I go, wait a minute. What about the bike? So I called up the bike. Hey, do you guys have a 40 running? Yes. Okay. Are there seats open? Yes, there's one seat open. Okay, I'm coming down. And I jumped in my car, drove down to the bike, walked in. And yes, there was a seat open. And I sat down. It was a good game. It was a good game. A lot of fish in the game. Even the better players at the, play, at the table weren't all that good. 
there were a few pretty good players there, but even like even some of them that I know are probably regarded as like fairly good there actually aren't that good. <laughs> like if you put them in commerce, they're probably losing players, but there they're probably winning players. So it was definitely a better game than what I typically see at forty eighty at commerce, which is kind of hit and miss. Sometimes good, sometimes it sucks. Sometimes in the middle. This was definitely a good game. Uh. But then the game deteriorated quickly in that people started to leave. And within about two hours, the whole thing was broke. It went from full table to broke in, as I said, two hours. It actually broke down to me and one good European guy who I'd seen in commerce before. And we didn't even bother to ask each other if we want to play heads up. We're like, no, no point. Like we, we didn't ask. We kind of just quit. Like we, we both knew that the game was done and that playing each other heads up is just kind of a run good contest. So I left and went back to commerce anyway. But I, I did get a sample of the game. Now something else I should point out here is that commerce, starting in March, began to panic about this because they were losing players to the bike. I'm going back a bit. This game I played in was a few weeks ago, but let's go back to March. Commerce was panicking, and they actually cut their time charge of their 60-120 game in half in order to compete with a bike, in order to discourage people from going over there. So they had this uh, half-rake promotion, half-time charge promotion for 60-120. And that especially made the time charge a better deal. The time charge is usually a better deal anyway in limit holding because the hands go so fast and because the rake has gotten so high that unless it's moving really slowly, you're you're paying less on the time charge at sixty one twenty than you are in the rake at forty eighty, even though the time charge is almost double typically at sixty one twenty compared to what it would be at the Bellagio. Which sixty one twenty doesn't really run there, but compared to like forty eighty eight one sixty, it's like it's probably like seventy five percent more. So it's pretty brutal that rake at commerce in all of Southern California casinos. So that was commerce's way to try to fight what the bike was doing, and they claimed it was a one month promotion in March. Well, the pro- promotion kept continuing in April, in May, in June, in July, in August, in September. They kept up that half-rake promotion until finally they realized that the half-rake promotion was killing the 40 game because people started to realize more and more that that 40 game rake was way higher now than the 60 was because the time charge was so low with the 60 and the 40 still had its regular rake so that people were uh, were, were quitting the 40 to go to the 60 and the, four, and the 40 was starting to deteriorate and they said we got to stop this and they just raised it back I believe at the beginning of October to its normal rake that it has been prior to this. So they put everything back to normal at Commerce. Well, unfortunately, the bike heard about this, and they, you know, I don't know if you guys remember this. A lot of you are too young to remember this. But in in the 1970s, there was this rental car war between Avis and Hertz. And... Hertz was beating them. So Avis had to come up with a way to try to take Hertz's business and maybe become number one. 
So they came out with an ad campaign in the 70s called We Try Harder. And We Try Harder, what they mean by that, or what they meant by that, was that they're number two. And the slogan was basically – it eventually became We Try Harder, but it read, originally was when you're number two, you try harder. So it's, it was an interesting campaign because they were actually telling the customer, yeah, we're not number one. We're actually number two. But you want that because we're trying harder. We're trying to get to number one, and Hertz is just resting on its laurels. They don't give a crap. That, that's what they were trying to say in these commercials. Here's one of them that, that aired in 1977. Huddlemeyer, uh, Mr. Huddlemeyer, Mr. Huddlemeyer, Mr. Huddlemeyer, Mr. Huddlemeyer, excuse me, but I understand you've reserved an Avis car in Buffalo. Uh -huh. Well, not only is your car going to be there, oh. but even now, Avis is checking the engine, tires, even the ashtrays. Nobody beats our car care program. So relax. Avis wants you to enjoy your trip in the air and on the ground. Oh, good. We try harder, Avis. Avis, we don't know another way. Have a nice trip. So you couldn't. Huh. This commercial wasn't that good to play on the radio. It was actually a guy who worked at Avis who followed a guy in a plane to tell him all they were doing for him. And even after the plane took off, he was still on there. And then somehow he got outside the plane, and while the plane was flying, popped out in the guy's window and said, "Have a nice trip." So, it, as I said, it went from originally when you're number two, you try harder. Just we try harder. But that was Avis's campaign in the 1970s. And that became the situation here with Commerce and the bike, where the bike was number two and they were trying harder. But once Commerce stopped trying to prevent the game from being stolen, once Commerce is like, okay, screw it, we're just going to put the 6120 back to the original rake, the bike's like, okay, well, now we don't have to try harder anymore because people aren't going to stay at Commerce for that lower rake in the 60 game. So they started to change some things at the bike, which I discovered on my visit there a few days ago. So I went to the bike a few days ago, and this time instead of going to Commerce first, I just went directly to the bike. I just uh, first, first of all, I was frustrated because I was trying to call the bike and ask what games they had running, and there was no way to call them. No one at the bike, either in the hotel or the casino would answer the phone. <laughs> Which in all the years I've gone to Commerce has never happened once. I've never seen it where you can't get someone on the phone to Commerce. I've had it where like the top section won't answer the phone. I've never had it where you don't have an operator on the phone. You can't reach someone. Here the entire property of the bike, nobody would answer the phone. Maybe if I knew a certain extension, I could call it. But the, the, any number that was publicly available would not answer at the bike, which was insane. So I, I just drove there. I figured at worst it, nothing's running and I'll just go to Commerce. It's not that far. So I get to the bike and there's two 40s running. And uh, sorry, there wasn't two 40s. There was one 40 running. And they told me that I would be first up for it. And that I said, well, what about the 20? They said, well, you're first up for that too. So I had to sit and wait for one of these seats to open. I really wanted the 40. The 40, by the way, the other stupid thing about it there is it's a half kill. And for those of you that don't know what that is, a half kill is something that changes the limits of the game temporarily based upon someone winning two hands in a row. So a half kill means if the same guy wins two hands in a row, that the game becomes 61-20. Plus, the guy who just won two hands in a row has to post a blind $60. 
and it doesn't matter what position he's in. The regular small and big blind only have to post the normal 20 and 40. But if they but but all the bets are multiples of 60. So like the big blind can't just check if he posts 40 uh, if, if if someone's a kill. Like let's say the kill is is uh under the gun plus 1. So that guy would post 60. Uh so under the gun would go first. Let's say he folds and under the gun plus 1 already has 60 in, so his options are either to check or raise. So let's say he just checks. And let's say a few people call, and it comes back to the small blind. The small blind, with 20 in, he, he has to complete for 40 if he wants to stay in. And the big blind, with 40, actually has to complete, compete for, complete for another 20 if he wants to stay in. Which, of course, you always would at that point. And then it plays as a 61-20 until the end of the hand. And then if provided the same guy doesn't win again, it goes back to 40-80 normally. The problem with these half-kill games is that it induces more variance and it it's an advantage, actually, for fish because it forces everybody to play more trash hands. And a big advantage a good player has over a fish in Limit Hold'em is better preflop hand selection. And once you screw with that, once you price someone in to coming in with trash hands by making them the kill, then... You're, you're pretty much forced to come in. You're, you're pretty much pot committed to come in in some ways with hands you otherwise would never play. And that takes away a lot of your edge by smarter pre-flop play that you could otherwise engage in. So the, these kill games actually are a disadvantage for the most part for the better player. So that kind of sucks. I'd much rather have a straight 60-120 than a 40-80 with a half kill. But that's, that's what they have there. But there's a reason I'm mentioning this. Um, I ended up getting the 40 first. And it was a good game again. And there were a lot of fish in the game. But they started leaving pretty quickly. And then you had certain fish that were uncomfortable playing shorthanded. So very quickly we went from a short, from a full game that I actually had to wait for a few minutes to get into to three-handed. And unfortunately the other two people were pretty good. So it's not even like three-handed, but one of them's a fish. I, these are like me and two other guys who who were pretty good. One was better than the other, but they were both pretty good. There wasn't much value in staying in that game. I stayed around because I, I had come all that distance, and I, I figured, well, I might as well stay, and I kind of like shorthanded anyway. I kind of just stayed for fun, and I said, okay, well, maybe we'll get a fish fish or two joining in. And we only got one. We got one guy who was kind of a fish who joined and short-bought and busted very fast, and he was gone. That was it. The rest of the night it was just the three of us, and I finally announced to them, hey, I, I've got to leave by 5.30. This is 5.30 a.m., so I gave them warning, which is the etiqu- etiquette of what you do if you play with, like, just if you're playing heads up or three-handed for a long time, it's always etiquette to warn the other players when you're going to quit. Otherwise, it's seen as, like, hitting and running. And so I told them I'm quitting at 5.30 and we agreed we'll quit at 5.30 and we played till 5.30 and I left I, I was never way up or way down in that game most of the time I was like a little bit up I finished a little bit up and that was that but here's what happened that pissed me off uh, when it was just the three of us we didn't want the kill anymore we just wanted straight 60-120 the kill's kind of a pain in the ass especially at, at, at three handed you're going to have a lot a lot of times the same person wins twice so it it just creates a mess. Like who who wants to deal with it? Just make it straight sixty one twenty. 
So keep in mind, they, they used to do this all the time there, where they, late at night, in situations like this, that provided everyone at the table agrees, they would convert it to 6120. And that's what it was. If one person objected, then they wouldn't switch it. But if everybody agreed, they would switch it to 6120. And they are able to run 6120. That's a game they can spread. That's a game they have a placard for, for the table. That's a game they do spread. So there's no reason they couldn't convert it to 6120, and they have spread it fairly recently. We asked if R4080 could go to 6120. All three of us were in agreement, and they denied it. Why? I had never seen that before in my life, where a game that they do spread and can spread, where they won't convert it to that, even with every single person at the table agreeing to do so. Usually, if people come into a card room and want to play any limit they offer, they'll do it. They'll start the game. Here, they wouldn't. They would not convert it. Never seen that before in my life at any card room. There are certain games they just simply don't spread. Like, I can't just say, hey, spread 75-150. If that's not a game they spread there, then they won't spread it for you. But if it's a game they do spread, which 6120 is, they should... Do it if everybody wants that. They would not. Why? Because 6120 is a time charge. 4080 is a raked game there. And shorthanded, they make a hell of a lot more money on a rake game because the hands move a lot faster. So you get a lot more hands in three-handed than you do nine-handed. So they know they're not going to make as much money, and the thing that they don't like is not so much about us playing late at night and generating less rake, they were seeing it where sometimes the 6120 would persist overnight and that when people are joining the game again, it's still 6120 and at that point they can't force anyone to change back and then they don't like that they're only getting a time charge instead of a rake. And then they got complaints from people that uh, they don't like the fact that it's there's no 4080, why is it 6120, that's too high. So they just said, screw it. We're just not doing it. They refused it, which is very non-standard. Very obnoxious to refuse to do it. I understand where it's not ideal for them if it survives overnight and then there's no 40 game, but the, all cart rooms deal with this. It happens all the time. It happens all the time at Commerce where they'll up something, for the, they'll up the 60 to 100, 200, and then there's no 60 game. Well, it eventually resets itself. Eventually the, the higher game they move to breaks and then everything, or, or, or the ones that people are interested in playing, uh, a new one starts. So this happens. They, they, they're being just needlessly petty. And greedy here, and they just wouldn't do it. And I was very disappointed because it's very non-standard to refuse this. But we we tried. We even had them talk to the supervisor at the time. Nope, wouldn't do it. So we were stuck with that stupid forty eighty with a half kill. And one of the two players there, who was a regular, they were both regulars there. One of them told me that the reason they're probably being difficult is because. Commerce gave up on the half rake at the 6120. So they feel, okay, if commerce is going to be difficult now, then we will be too. <laughs> so they've just kind of settled. I, I think after all these months, a bike has just settled that they're not going to steal most of commerce's action. They're going to have some 4080 action, but it's not going to be, they're not taking most of commerce's business. They're kind of just uh, a side game to what the main thing going on in commerce is. You know, commerce has five tables when they have two, or sometimes one. And that's kind of what they're stuck at, so that's just what they're going to keep at, and 
be happy they got this much. And from what I heard, the perks of the giveaway are gone away too. You can't get the hotel room anymore. It's just, it seems like the bike is deciding to become another commerce for that game. So that's, that's not going to do very much. So that's disappointing. I was hoping this was going to create a situation where all the rakes went down at these limit holdup games and there's going to be some real competition, but no, they just kind of decided to revert to both being crappy. So that's that. I think it's a mistake. I think if they had persisted with this game being the better option in many ways, the game's better. They were treating people better. They're giving the free hotel rooms. They were, they were uh, more flexible. The rake was lower. Like all, all these things they were doing there, I think it, the word would have gotten around. And especially given the proximity of these two rooms, the fact that they've both been around for a long time, I think I could see the commerce action moving there. I really could. But it takes time and they kind of just gave up. They, they went from trying to be the anti-commerce to just being another commerce. And that's really a shame. Okay, so I'm going to take a break here. I'm going to play our, our usual Eric Benzamokin ad. Eric Benzamokin started off as a sponsor of this show, and I made this ad for him about his law practice, where he, he does arbitration and mediation, but he's also a, a fully licensed attorney, and he can do a lot of things. He, is, he doesn't just do arbitration and mediation. He can do a lot of things, so you can... Uh, email him at the address you will hear on the ad. He's not an actual sponsor of the show now, but actually he's better because he's been giving a lot of money to the free roll. And if you've been paying attention at all on this show, you've seen how much he's given. He's just just been so generous. And then he's been generous with his time. And, And so many weeks he's been giving us his legal expertise. And even last week he stayed up till midnight to do it and he doesn't go to bed very late unlike me so he's become a a great friend of the show and even on nights like this where he's not on the show and where the free roll was not sponsored by him in any way um i still want to out of courtesy for everything he does for us on a regular basis i still want to play his ad and it's it's a good thing to play because something i decided when i came back from my problems last year and the show was off the air for about four months. I decided I, I do need kind of a little break in between. Just a few minutes, but you know, I talk all these straight hours and it's nice to rinse out my throat with a with a with a biotin rinse I have and to go to the bathroom. Because what I used to do, I just talked through the whole thing straight, wouldn't take a single break, wouldn't go to the bathroom. I'd, I'd, I'd have to pee. I just hold it the whole time. Think, think about it. You know, think you just sit here and talk and you, you don't do anything else. You don't go to the bathroom. You, you take a sip of water every so often. That's, that's all I've been doing. So I decided I'm going to take breaks and I will be right back. Okay. Now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew. And it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money. He's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. 
The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally. And he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar. And he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. A lot of people do video shows these days. And I don't. This is an audio show, and I'm not going to change that. But there's some advantages to doing an audio show. Before I did the show tonight, I had kind of a weird hot flash. And I don't usually get those. I usually have a very consistent uh, perception to temperature, where it's very... With me, I, I can always feel temperature the same way. 74 degrees feels the same way to me just about all the time, unless I'm sick. But for whatever reason tonight, I had some temperature perception issues, and I was feeling really hot, even though it was not hot in here. So I took off my shirt, and I've been doing this show, the entire show I've been doing with no shirt on. And think about that. If this was a video show, you would have been watching me the entire time with no shirt on. Are you sure you would want to do that? But instead, you just hear me and I sound the same as always. I mean, for all you know, I could be wearing no pants. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dolph, how are you? Ben from Australia, Melbourne, Australia. How are you? Good. Thank you for calling. Uh, What do you say your name is? Uh, Ben. Ben. Okay. Same name as my son. So, Ben, what's going on? Oh, nothing. I'm just a bit of a fan of the show when I um, finish work. I just wanted to ask, are you um, familiar with the Aussie Millions? Yes, I am. Any chance of you coming down? No, I'll I'll tell you, I don't travel for tournaments uh, except to the World Series of Poker. I'm just not a tournament guy. I I do it every year for the World Series, and that's it. Then I shut down my tournament play until... Until late May of the following year, aside from like a, a few little tournaments I'll play maybe in, in L.A. somewhere, but anything I have to put out any effort to do, oh. I, I just don't do. Even after your effort in the World Series this year? 
you wouldn't change your schedule. No, no. And you know what? Australia is so far, too. I would like to go back there. I've been there once in my life. I was there 25 years ago, and I would like to go back there. Oh, well. Yeah, it's been a long time, but uh, I, I would like to see it again, but uh, not, not really for poker. It would be like a family trip where I take the family there. Okay. I'd, I'd just like to comment on how good the, I suppose, the Crown Casino in Melbourne do with just with the satellites to get the numbers up. Well, we had 700 and, don't quote me, 785 runners in our um, main event this year, which I reckon it's a great effort for the amount of people we've got in Australia. They're running, they had a weekend two weeks ago where they all they did was run satellites for the main event. I think they just do a great job. I think they could, I think the rest of the world could probably take a bit of a, a leaf out of their book of, promoting and how they do their uh, satellites throughout the year. The numbers are quite good for Australia. So so, what, so what, what you're saying that they could learn from them, the rest of the world, what are they doing differently? They're just running satellites for a long time prior to the event? Well, yeah, we had a weekend last weekend. They guaranteed, oh, it was probably two weekends ago, they guaranteed 10 seats. So it was a $550 buy-in. Um which is probably not, obviously not as much as US, but $550 buy and guaranteed 10 seats. You did a bit of an add-on, and and that's seven months out from, six months out from the actual event itself. Um, I think we're pretty lucky in Australia, especially we don't have online poker at all. And I, I think we're pretty lucky. Yeah, well, yeah, as long as you have uh, poker going there. Now, is, is, do you have regular tournaments in Australia besides the Aussie Millions? Yeah, at the moment, we're, uh, I think we've got the Vic- Victorian Champs, which is where I live, in Victorian Champs. And they, they have a main event, I think, that starts tomorrow. That'll be uh, maybe a 1500 or $2,500 buy-in main event that's been going on for a week. And they've had pretty good numbers for that. Um, but it's like, pretty good, and we had... Uh, we actually had WPT in um, the Gold Coast, up on the beach in the north, north part of Australia uh, last week. And that had really good numbers. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, I was more asking if, uh, like, just throughout the year, are, like, is there, like, a tournament every weekend people could play, even a small one, or is it only just big ones every so often? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we do have every week. Every week there's an actual schedule. Um, probably the most expensive for a weekly one is probably uh, $200. And then once a month, they have a $550 buy-in, which is that's still pretty good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you have some poker scene there in, in Australia. And you said you, you can't play online right now at all, right? No, we can't. Not legally, no. Um, it's uh, pretty tough at the moment yeah, here well. for all us. Online vegans, so, but um, we we find our ways around it. Yeah, well, the U.S. is the same situation. We don't have much choice, as, as I mentioned tonight, which is why uh, the, the choices that exist are so flawed. So, anyway, uh, how, how yeah. long have you been listening to the show? Sorry? How, how oh, long have you been listening? I've been listening probably two, three years. I actually rang up once before. I actually saw you at the... I saw you wearing a hat or might have been a T-shirt at the World Series of Poker, probably uh, 2016, maybe. Uh, I flew over to play and um, 
not in the main event, but I played in a few a uh, few other events and um, actually ended up against Phil Hellmuth on one of the uh, events, uh, which wasn't fun. And did you? So it was wasn't fun to play against. Was was he was he obnoxious at the table to people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just uh, yeah, he was not fun to play against, and uh, uh, I used to like him till then. Yeah, that's that's what happens. People people like him, and then they they they're at the same table as him, and then he gets in a hand, and you bad beat him or something, and then he just berates you, and you go, "I can't believe this! I'm I'm being berated by by some like top poker pro. Like what? The, I thought this was just an act, but no, yeah. no, he's he's just going off on me. I can't believe it. That's a, I, that's what I that's what happened when people played at my table. In fact, when I had a when I had a incident with him and we went back and forth there was a guy who tweeted him like oh don't worry don't let these guys get you down these like like the guy kind of put me down in the tweet and then like a few minutes after that tweet then phil went off on him and the guy's like oh i understand <laughs> oh it's just uh yeah it was just i'm not a great player but i love i love going to the world series every year but yeah it just got me down on him and i, I thought this bloke's just a dick yeah, you, you know what? They should be should be should be encouraging people like me to play more. You know what? Um, Whenever I my own fault, I, my own fault. I, <laughs> I late reached for a tournament. Yeah, I'll I, never do that again. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't ever berate anybody for their poker play there. It's only if they're mistreating me in some way. Like other than that, if if they're playing their hand a certain way and put a beat on me, like sometimes inside I'm really frustrated. Like, oh, I can't believe this just beat me, or I can't believe this. You know, the luck was so bad, or this guy made some terrible play and he got rewarded for it. But I never say anything. I, I and I think you know, there's so many times when these people make those same awful plays and just hand me chips because they're doing something so dumb. I go, I, you know, what do I want? All pros here who do all the right things all the time? No, I, I want the people making the stupid plays, and 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 occasionally it's going to work out for them and 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 frustrate me but i never say anything i just uh i i just keep my mouth shut and yeah it's stupid to berate anybody that's what i, I want people at the table who don't play well so uh anyway i, I don't of course you want yeah of course you want people who don't play well to be involved in the game yeah and and phil <laughs> and, as that. And, and and phil helmuth like he, he's not just doing this to other pros he's doing this to just amateurs at the table i can't believe it it just it's really bad so yeah. Anyway, so you saw? Were you playing with me at all, or you just saw my hat somewhere? Nah, nah. I just saw you through the hat, and then um, I just saw your hat walking through the hallways. Okay. Probably looking at one of those, you know, those guys in the uh, in the hallway trying to sell you a charger for your phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try to walk past them real fast. Um, but yeah, I was. If I'm walking through the hallway yeah. there, I, I'm I'm always. Uh, I, there's always somewhere. I don't just kind of wander around there because there's so much anyway. So I'm either just walking to a tournament or on a break from a tournament or walking to go buy into something. That's that's the only reason I'm walking through there. Uh, it looked like you were on a break, but I saw poker fraud a lot, and I went, what's that? What the hell is that? And I've been listening ever since. Well, I'm glad the hat translated to something, and uh, glad you got a, I got a listener here for a few years from Australia, and uh, I hope you keep listening. And uh, yeah, what, right now I, I, I'm guessing it is uh, it's like seven o'clock p.m. There. Uh, it's actually eight o'clock. We have daylight savings in Melbourne. Oh, so, so it's oh kind of just wow! Like the... This is weird. This is a weird time where you're only uh, six hours difference. 
because yeah, yeah. what's going to happen soon? Eight o'clock at night. Yeah, what's going to happen soon? I, I forgot that there's a small window here. Usually, uh, most of Australia, at least the big cities like Sydney and Melbourne, are either five hours or seven hours earlier than me, but the next day, and it depends on daylight saving. So, like in the winter, it it is a difference of five hours, and in the summer. It's a difference of seven hours because what happens is we go on daylight savings and you guys go back and then vice versa. But this is this weird period where we're both on daylight savings, but we're going to be off daylight savings. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're going to be off daylight savings okay. in, in a few weeks. So in a few weeks, we'll only be a five-hour difference, but you're, you're always the next day. So you're uh, like I, – I actually, I just started October 18th right now, and, and you're coming near the end of October 18th. Correct. Yeah, so I, Correct. I mean, I hope to get back there at some time. Uh, with with that, that's somewhere I've been thinking of, of going back to with the family. It's just it's it's a very long flight. It's a very very long flight, and there's no, there's no stopping either. You just fly across the ocean the whole way. Well, one of the flights from I was just reading online that one of our the Australian Qantas is just testing today a new a flight from New York to Australia. Wow, New York. Twenty hours. That that is very long. I I know because there was a when I was in the tournament in St. Kitts back in two thousand six, there or two thousand five. In two thousand five, I was at a tournament in St. Kitts that I got bought into for free by the site I was that was putting it on, and I actually yep. finished I finished fourth in that one. But one of the other people at the six handed final table was from Australia, and I said, "Wait a minute, Australia seems really really far from here." And he said, "Yeah, it is because you know, St. Kitts is it's in the Caribbean. It's 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 east. It's kind of southeast of the U.S. So that that yep. he said, oh yeah, this is a brutal flight. So far, but yeah, New York is also extremely far. Yes, no, it's a it's a long way away. But Las Vegas puts on the best show in the world, so we all go. A lot of us go over. How how long is the flight to Vegas if if it were to be nonstop from?" Uh, from Australia, how uh, long would it be? 13 to L.A. 13 hours to L.A. 13 to L.A. and then one more to Vegas. Wow. That is pretty long. Yeah. See, at least I, I, I thought about this the other day. I wasn't really thinking about other countries, but I was thinking about how in the L.A. area, it is nice to just be able to drive to Vegas and get there in like four to five hours without having to hassle with flying or anything. Like like people in New York, they can't do that. They've got to take a flight. And then people in other countries, they've, it's got a real big deal to get over there. So... At least that that's one one good thing in L A. You're you're close to Vegas. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And we've only got one casino in every state, so we can only we can only go play at one place. We don't have a choice. Oh wow, that does suck. You, you know, one and thing no, I, one thing I will no say poker rooms. I, I will say though for New York though is they're a lot closer to Europe than I am. So to, for me to go to Europe, I haven't been to Europe in a very long time. I haven't been to Europe since the early 90s because uh, it, it just to have to take two long flights or even just one very long one. It, it's just it's just so long. To, it's like 10 hours to get to London. I, I, it just it, it just becomes so long. I don't want to do it. I'm going to do it eventually. But um, for New York, it, it's, it's about the same distance to go to London as it's to get to L.A. So they're they're much closer to Europe. It's a lot easier for them to do that from there, and I'm, I'm kind of jealous about that. Um, but yeah. it, a, anyway, uh, it's good hearing from you, and uh, I always like hearing from from listeners no from around the world. 
I might be able to do uh, in January, or I might be able to do, maybe do some reports, report from the uh, Aussie Millions for you. Okay, yeah, great. Go ahead and do that. And if, you, if you're in uh, Vegas in 2020, are you going to go to the, to the World Series there? Yeah, yeah, I will. I will actually go. I probably won't be there around the main event. Um, that's where you just peak yourself, but... Um, I'll probably go at the start of the uh, main of uh, the start of the series. Yeah, well, uh, you know, if, if you're there, you want to text. You can text me on the the phone number of the radio, and uh, yeah, if you if you want to say hello, I'll tell you where I'd I am. I'd love to catch up. That'd yeah. be fantastic. Yeah, it'd be nice to meet you. Okay, well, thank you for calling, Ben. No worries. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Australian listener, a live Australian listener. This, this is what's good about being on late at night is that. Uh, for Australia, it's it's they're like they get right off work and they go look, look poker fraud alert is live. I know the World Series is a while away from now, but uh, when it comes back up, if you listen to the show and you want to you want to say hello to me and meet, you know, it's no problem. Just text me on the radio phone number. But yeah, some people wrongly believe that I'm a tournament player, especially after I got the 128th this year in the main event. You just kind of picture that I'm probably a tournament player or that I'll play more tournaments after that. And no, if I, even if I won, I probably wouldn't play more tournaments unless I was just bought in for free. Even if I won the thing, I'd probably just go, okay, well, thank you for the 10 million and I'll be back next year. So, okay. Moving on to our second to last topic. This one is a story that uh, is not going to be very lighthearted, but must be told nonetheless. Three people were killed and a fourth person died, that being the gunman, at a shooting in a New York City underground card room. Pretty bad story. And I don't know, I kind of felt like this sort of thing was bound to happen at some point. New York City does not have any legalized poker rooms. New York City is the biggest city population-wise in the U.S., so a lot of people there want to play poker, but there is no legalized poker room. For a long time, these private underground clubs have existed. Some of them are pretty nice, actually. I've never been to one, but I've heard of them. And they've existed for many years. There was one that was fictitious, but not too different from the real ones that was depicted in the movie Rounders. And there's said to be hundreds of them in the New York City area. Well, Chester Good, a 37-year-old New York City resident, opened fire at the game at the AAA Aces private and social event space which is an underground game there in the, and I hope I pronounced this right, I don't know New York that well, Bedford-Stuvisant neighborhood of Brooklyn. Three people were killed. Terrence Bishop, age 36, John Thomas, age 32, and Dominic Wimbush, age 47. Dominic Wimbush was an employee of the club. He was a bouncer. He had a gun, and he exchanged gunfire with Chester Good, 
And both of them basically shot each other dead. Wimbush hit Chester Good, and Chester Good hit Dominic Wimbush, and they both died. They both suffered fatal wounds, and so did uh, Terrence Bishop and John Thomas. Three other gamblers who weren't named were also shot, but are going to survive. So it's not known why Chester Good opened fire in this card room. Supposedly, he was someone who had played there before. There is some belief that this was just a robbery attempt that went bad. There's some consideration that this wasn't a robbery attempt and that he was mad at someone there, maybe at other gamblers there in the past, maybe with the staff there and just decided to come and shoot people. The shooting occurred at 7 a.m. on Saturday and what happened was that uh, the the first thing that occurred was that uh, Chester Good fired one shot into the air and told everyone to lie down on the floor. But somehow from there, he ended up shooting two other people. Then the bouncer, this uh, Dominic Wimbush, started shooting at him. They started uh, shooting at each other. And when it was all done, those two died, as did uh, two people... Yeah, as did and five people, five others were shot, two of whom also died. Uh, Terrence Bishop's brother said that uh, Chester Good actually felt that he was being cheated and that he was mad about it, and that he came to the club with a gun to demand his money back, feeling that he got cheated. My guess is that he wasn't, and that he probably just wasn't a good player and was explaining his losing all the time that everyone's cheating him. In the past, there was only one complete there was only one time that the police were ever called about this club. And that was just about the fact that it's an illegal gambling club. I don't know who reported that and why, but someone basically snitched on them at some point in the past and said, ah, there's illegal poker going on there, but that was it. There was never any complaint about any wrongdoing there, aside from the gambling itself. However, after the shooting, the police went around to neighbors of this private club and said, what have you noticed about this place? And the neighbors said, well, to tell you the truth, there's a lot of people showing up in flashy cars all the time. And that people just basically thought the place was a nuisance, that a lot of guys would show up in flashy cars, who were been a lot of bad elements showing up there, and they just, they kind of didn't want those sort of people coming into their neighborhood. But, except for that one report, that nobody had bothered to tell police, they just kind of grumbled about it and wished it wasn't there. Which, which you can understand having people coming at all hours of the night to play in these clubs, who uh, many of whom 
might have drug money or it's not always the best quality of people showing up. Some people showing up are just regular poker players. Like if I lived in New York, I'd probably have played in some of these. And so some people are just normal poker players, but there's probably also people showing up who are drug dealers and others like that who just have cash to burn and neighbors probably don't like seeing these people show up to the games. So the NYPD is said to know about these rooms, but it's generally told to them not to bother enforcing the anti-gambling laws in the city. It's just they've been there so long, they're usually not a problem, and they just let them be. So it's not like these are these rooms are really fooling the NYPD. Now, they can't go overboard. They can't put up a big flashing sign saying casino. Then they'll get in trouble. But provided they make some effort to stay underground and under the radar, the police stay out of their way. And the police really only get involved when something happens like this. It's not clear if the two people shot dead or the three people who were shot but not killed were the ones that he thought cheated him, if that is why he shot people. Or if they were just unfortunate victims in the gunfire exchange, you know, when there, when there's two guys shooting at each other in a room like this, unfortunately, others can get shot who are not even uh, involved at all. I understand what the bouncer is firing at him, especially if uh, he already shot two people before the bouncer started shooting at him at all. So it sounds like Chester Good walked in, said everybody lie down on the ground, shot a, shot the ceiling, and then shot two other people, and then the bouncer pulled out his gun and started firing at him. I do wonder if the two people he just shot were two people he felt had cheated him. I have always wondered, number one, if these... you know, when it, I went to one of these in L.A., and... I felt safe, but I also felt unsafe. I felt safe in that it just kind of felt like a regular small card room. And it didn't have a shady feel to it once in there, but getting up there was kind of shady. I went to this office building. They led me in. I had to ring up to get in there. Uh, I was escorted out. I was worried someone's waiting there to mug me on the way out because they know I'm walking out with cash. It's, it, it wasn't a very good neighborhood. But I also wondered, like, is someone just going to burst in at some point? Not burst in because you have to be let in, but someone's going to come in and then quickly whip out a gun. Because they don't frisk you when you come in. You could easily have a gun on you, and they don't know. So someone's going to show up there and then whip out a gun and rob me and everybody else. So I always felt like these things were too easily targets for robberies. And also... I think these are more likely to have incidents like these where someone feels they're being cheated. If someone loses at a regular card room, they can suspect that too, but it's easier for them to believe it's legitimate when it's a regular brick and mortar casino licensed by the state. It's kind of easier for them to say, okay, maybe the game was on the up and up. But in in these private underground rooms, they, they can think all kinds of things are going on because there's no regulation of them. So they could believe that there's some conspiracy to cheat everybody. That the cards are marked, whatever. So it's possible this guy was just a fish and kept losing there. And it's like, 
why am I always losing? And he's like, oh, I know what, they're cheating me. Well, I'm going to get back to those cheaters. Maybe he came in and maybe the two people he killed were, were the two he thought were cheating him. And it's just these people were better players. You've all seen when people sit at the table, there's certain players that are so bad, you know they're going to lose almost every session. Aside from tremendous luck. Some of them are so bad, they're almost destined to lose. And a lot of them don't even realize they're bad. A lot of them just think they're unlucky or think they're being cheated in some way. So I, I could see this happening where someone's convinced that certain people have been cheating them and they're going to get them back. What's interesting, there's no reports that this guy directly demanded money. There's the rumor that he thought he was being cheated and came back to get the money, but it sounds like he just said everybody get on the ground and then just fired into two people after that and then the gun battle with the bouncer ensued. So this is always a risk. It's more of a risk there than at a brick-and-mortar card room. The same thing could happen there, but I think between the greater presence of officers there, of, not officers, of, of security personnel who are armed, and just the greater legitimacy these regular brick-and-mortar rooms have where people won't feel cheated as easily. I think it's less likely that someone will just show up with a gun like that, either to rob it or to... Um, and also, uh, like a brick-and-mortar room, usually if someone's robbing it, they're going to rob the cage. They're not going to rob the each, each player there. Where When there's robberies at these underground rooms, they usually like just rob everyone. <laughs> or they will rob all the money that's on deposit, which came from everyone. And then you, whatever chips you're holding are worthless. So that that can be a problem too. Where at, at, at a casino, even if they rob the cage, you can still get paid. So there are risks in playing these underground rooms, but I, I know in New York you don't have much of a choice. And this is unusual. It's not like there's robberies or shootings all the time, but unfortunately there was one here. Let's see if I can find any more information that's uh, on the web about Chester Good, the shooter. So I'm looking at the, the New York Daily News claims it has nothing to do with a dice game. Maybe this is wrong. Let's see. It says that uh, he turned a Brooklyn gambling den into a bloodbath and started shooting because he lost a game of dice and his deadly rampage came to an end when the bouncer fatally shot him. Uh... So I suppose this is a dice game going on there. I'm surprised they let that go on. The underground poker I understand more, but the, I'm surprised that a dice game was allowed to continue there without an interference from police. Um, so is it possible this was just the guy playing dice and it wasn't even a card game? Well, I don't know. Weird. Maybe it was like more of an underground casino than a card room. Who knows? A lot of times these things are wrong. When the media reports them? I don't know. That's sad. At the very end of this article, it mentions about how some kid was in front of the place. It was closed down, but if the, the uh, kid was in front of the place the next day, he kept saying, I want my dad, I want my daddy. My dad, please, please. That's too bad. Let's go to our last topic. This is about Vince Van, Van Patten, but not what you would normally think of involving Vince Van Patten. He is a longtime World Poker Tour commentator 
But now he's doing something different. He made a movie called Seven Days to Vegas. And it's a comedy, but it's about prop betting. It was originally called Walk to Vegas, and Van Patten also stars in the film. And his character is an actor-turned-poker player who ends up in a big prop bet. Whether he can walk 280 miles from Las Vegas, from Los Angeles to Las Vegas in seven days wearing a suit during the summer, when, of course, it's very hot. So he has seven days to walk 280 miles wearing a suit the entire time. And uh, I guess he has to average 40 miles a day. In the blistering heat, can he do it? There was a similar bet that was made a long time ago that was chronicled in one of the books. I forgot what it was, when it was. May have been positively Fifth Street. I'm forgetting which one it was. One, one of the older school poker books uh, wrote about a similar prop bet where uh, it was actually walking from Vegas to L.A. And that was a real story. But the person who was betting he could do the walk actually bailed out. <laughs> Forgot who it was. It may have been Ted Forrest. Someone, uh, or maybe it, it could have been... Uh, let's see here. It could have been the professor, the banker, and the suicide king. Maybe that's what it was. I, I forget which one it was. It was one of the older books about poker. And as I said, the, the prop bet about walking to L.A., the person who said they could do it gave up. But in this fictitious version I guess you have to see the movie for what happens Jennifer Tilly who is a poker player and also actress and also inherited a shitload of or not inherited but she uh, got a shitload of money in a divorce from Sam Simon co-creator of The Simpsons that's where she has most of her money by the way I mean she did decently acting too but she's super rich Jennifer Tilly She's in this film. Chad Lowe, not Rob Lowe, but his brother Chad is in this. Willie Garson is in this. And Vince Pen- Van Patten's wife, Eileen, is in this playing his wife. His... Uh, Younger brother, James Van Patten, is playing his brother. The reviews of Seven Days to Vegas are actually fairly good. Not great, but decent reviews. Overall, it's kind of on the good side, but not great side. But they could not find any kind of deal to get it released to theaters. So it's a straight-to-video movie. It's 92 minutes long. 
You can also stream it on Amazon Prime, Hulu, YouTube, or Google Play for four bucks. So you can either buy this, uh, I, I guess. Right, I guess right now that may be the only way to get it. it. It's straight to video, but I don't know if you can get it on DVD. But I know for sure you can get it on uh, Amazon Prime, Hulu, YouTube, or Google Play for four bucks. Vince Van Patten claims that this is actually inspired by real-life experiences that he had. Including just hearing stories from other poker players about prop bets that were made. And uh, the funny thing is, they claim that they decided to make this movie when they watched another poker film a few years ago and were disappointed with how it turned out. <laughs> I, I don't even know which poker fo- film that would be because basically every poker film since Rounders has been trash. Every single one. C- can you name one good poker film since Rounders? I, I guess Molly's Game, if you want to call it a poker film, was pretty good. But like films that were really just about poker or mainly about poker, ha- have there been any good ones since Rounders? They, they all were complete garbage. So whichever one he watched, he must have thought this is terrible, and I bet I could make a better poker film. Now, it seems to be more about prop betting, even though the main character is a poker player. But we will see. I don't know anyone personally who's watched it yet. Vince Van Patten said it was probably four and a half years ago because I had a poker game in L.A. in the 90s. Uh, it became a very, very big game, you know, where the stakes got higher and higher. But the funny, th- the fun thing about it was the people. It wasn't about poker. We would bet on anything and everything. It's true that we came up with this bet whenever I could walk to – whether I could walk to Vegas at seven days for a large amount of money. That was the storyline which we came up with myself and my writing partner, Steve Albert. Um. When he says we came up with this bet, I don't know if he was really challenged. I know he didn't actually take part in this, but is it possible he was challenged to do this and didn't accept, but then they wrote that into the movie, like, you know, where someone does accept? I don't know. The film was acknowledged, at least, by Richard Roper, former reviewing partner of Gene Siskel, and not Gene Siskel, of Roger Ebert. Gene Siskel was the previous partner of Ebert. Then he died, and then... Roper was brought in, then Ebert died. But Richard Roper gave it three stars out of four. He said, gambling insiders will recognize the authentic representation of that world throughout the movie. But even if you don't know a a busted straight from a royal flush, and you've never heard of a prop bet until now, Seven Days Until Vegas works as a broad and funny comedy about some truly bent but hilarious characters. So, looks like the film was done fairly well. You know, if Richard Roper watched it and thought that it was pretty good and it was easy enough to follow to where it would be appealing to people who don't understand poker very well, then I think that says it would be entertaining to watch. So, I know he's very proud of it. I know he just came on Mattis House show and interviewed about this, promoting the film. That's funny. Of all things to inspire him was that he watched another poker movie and it sucked. 
I don't know how much money he'll make from this. If it's only a straight-to-video film and that nobody's going to really pay much attention to it aside from fans of poker, like, who's going to really watch this? Who's going to search it out to watch it? I don't know how much he spent on it. And it became kind of a family project where a lot of his family were playing the various roles on it. And I I think it's funny. of, Of the professional actors in it, that have any kind of uh, notoriety of Jennifer Tilly, who probably just did it because it has to do with poker. And she knew she, she probably did this more as a favor to Vince Fat Patton and just to be in something. And just because he's a fan of poker. Uh, Chad Lowe is someone who hasn't had the career his brother had. He was married to Hillary Swank for 10 years. So I guess he can say that, but that's, uh, he hasn't done very much. He's had a bunch of guest roles on TV over the years. And he did have some roles in film over the time, but he was he he really has never become a big star. He's best known as Rob Lowe's brother. I saw Chad Lowe for the first time in uh, 1984. He was in actually a pretty well-done comedy called Spencer, which is not to be confused with Spencer for Hire, which was an action drama, which is around the same time. This was just Spencer. And it ran from uh, 1984 to 85. You can find a few Spencer episodes on YouTube. And I actually watched them about two years ago again. And I remembered why I liked the show. Because like this is one of these things, like, I really liked it as a 12-year-old in 84, but I thought, well, I'm not 12 anymore. And um, a lot of things I, I liked back then, like, I, I'd watch now and go, this kind of sucks and just was impressive to a 12-year-old. But now as an adult, it seems stupid. But I actually thought Spencer was done very well. Like, like watching it as a 12-year-old, not only did I relate to it well because I remembered being uh, – I wasn't – the characters in that – were a little bit older than me. I think they were supposed to be like 15, 16. But, you know, I remembered being that age in the 80s so I could relate to it. But also I thought it was just well-written and it was funny. Uh, but Chad Lowe was playing a high school student named Spencer Winger. And he was kind of like a class clown type and kept always being sent to the principal's office. They... It, it was funny because, they, like... Every single episode started with him being sent to the principal's office. He'd say, yeah, I, I know the way. And he'd, he'd stand up and walk to the, then his, the theme song would be his walk of shame to the principal's office. So he was kind of like a class clown type, but it was actually a very well-made show, but it just didn't catch on. And then Chad Lowe had some kind of, I don't know, some kind of disagreement with the production of the show. Like he, he didn't get along with those who were making the show. There were a lot of disputes and he quit. And keep in mind, he was only like 16 at the time. He wasn't like one of these 25 year olds playing 16. Like he was really 16. So I don't know how much a 16 year old could fight, but you know, how, how much could he really feud with, with the adults making the show, but he did and he quit 
And then they remade the show under a completely different name and really retooled it to be quite different, and they called it Under One Roof. And I remember noticing that was really weird. Like, I watched Spencer. There were six episodes of it. It disappeared. I figured it just failed and, and vanished, as many shows did at the time. And then, like, a few months later, Under One Roof appears, and there's a Spencer character, and some of the characters from that are there, but then there's some new ones. And I'm like, I don't understand this. <laughs> is this the same show, or is it not the same show? I, I didn't understand it. But that failed, too. So there's six episodes of Spencer and six of Under One Roof. I thought Under One Roof sucked. Spencer was funny. I, I, I think that under different circumstances could have been very successful. I, th- I thought it was a very well-done sitcom of, of the mid-'80s. It even holds up well watching these days. Like, go find it on uh, – if you have, like, a half an hour to burn, go find it on YouTube. It's called Spencer. You can type in Spencer Chad Lowe. That was, the, that was the first time I ever saw him. That's, uh, so, and then there's this Willie Garson who, I know he appeared on some episodes here and there of uh, Hawaii Five-0, the new version of it, not the 70s version, but the, uh, the current Hawaii Five-0. And he's kind of like the bald, nebbishy Jewish guy. That's basically his role. That's uh, kind of like a character actor. But he's been in a lot of TV shows over the years, dating all the way back to the mid-80s. But you've probably seen him around, even if you didn't see him in Hawaii Five-0 lately. He's also been in a lot of films with small parts. He's just like a character actor. So he's in this. I don't know where they found him, but... <laughs> anyway... Be interesting to see this. Maybe I'll plunk down the four dollars and watch the movie. So that's it. That's all I got for you guys. When will we be on next? Well, I think it will be either Thursday or Friday. It could be either one. Probably more likely Thursday. Because I have something to do in the morning on Saturday on the 26th. So I probably don't want to do a late show on Friday. I'm thinking I'm going to do it on Thursday. Can't be sure, but I I think I'm going to do it on Thursday. That is what it looks like. Of course, I have something to do tomorrow, and I'm doing the show right now for you guys. But at least it's 2.30, and I can wrap this up, and then... uh, there's always some extra work at the end. You know, this is, it's not just I slap this up in the archives in two seconds. There's actually some work involved after the show's over. I've actually been post-producing recently. Not a whole lot, but, but a little bit. When the show's over, uh, what I do, I, I don't ever remove anything that I'm ashamed of or that I wish I didn't say. Unless The only time I would ever do that is if I let something slip that's not supposed to be known publicly. And I say, oh, crap, I shouldn't have said that. Like, I say that to myself. I don't say that out loud. Then, once in a while, I'll go back and remove that so the majority of listeners who listen in our archives don't hear that. But that's very rare. I'm usually pretty good at controlling myself with what I say. Otherwise, what I do at the end is I will go back and remove dead air. I'll go back and remove, like, fail with Skype where I'm trying to connect something and it's just not working. I'll go back and... Like, if something interrupts something, I'll I'll sometimes move things around in the show so everything's easier for the listener. Like, someone mentioned last week, they said, 
that Tyrone call near the end of the show, it kind of seemed like it was just inserted there. It seemed like it didn't occur naturally. I said, well, you're half right. The Tyrone call actually came in the middle of the Apostle discussion, and we just stopped it for about half an hour while we talked to Tyrone about something totally different, and then we went back to it. And when I was post-producing the show, when it was over, I said, you know what? I'm just going to move the Tyrone call to the end of the show. So this way, the whole Apostle discussion has no interruption. Because I, I, I can see where this is annoying as a listener to be listening to something, you're, you're into a certain topic, and you're waiting for the next thing to be said about it, and then someone calls in and interrupts the whole thing, and then i got to go back to it, and it kind of loses momentum. So this way, I just picked up the phone call and moved it to the end of the show when there is no such interruption. So I, I do little things like that to improve it now at the end. So it's an easier listening experience for those in the archives. But you're, you're mainly hearing the exact show as we recorded it. There's no second takes. There's no full segments re-recorded. Uh, I don't go and remove things that I wish didn't happen or I wish I didn't say, except in those rare cases where something I wasn't supposed to say. So you're really hearing a very, very similar version or sometimes identical version to the live show. But recently I've done a little post-production at the end just to make it an easier listening experience. So I've, I've been doing that the last few weeks. Just because I, I want the show to sound better. So it all takes time. i got to go through it and, and note the timestamp of all the different portions of it so you can jump around so you don't have to listen to six hours to hear the parts you want. All that stuff takes time. And the amount of money I'm paid for doing so after seven and a half years of doing this is... One million dollars. It's actually... Zero point zero. But I still want it to sound good. All right. That's it. We're done for the week. We may have more possible news next week if something gets revealed. Otherwise, we really won't talk about it again until something new comes up. I only want to talk about things on this show where there's something to say. And sometimes even a big story, you need to take a break for a while and not just repeat the same things over and over or people get sick of it. I'm going to give you a teaser of something that might happen. I didn't want to make this a topic because it may not occur and then you'll be disappointed. Remember there were two scammers who ripped off cancer patient Kevin Roster, also known as Kevin Rax, in his final days. Turns out Apostle did that too. But uh, really like in his final days, two people ripped off Kevin Rax in ACR trades, two totally separate people. One of them is a career scammer and a piece of crap who actually sort of knew 10 years ago, just by coincidence. That guy is never going to do anything to make it right, but the other one, who I actually thought was probably not that bad of a guy, but just a young kid who did something stupid, he's felt really bad about this, and he's been in contact with me. And just recently, he sent me a message that even though Kevin is dead, that he still wants to give back the $500. So, of course, I've got to wait to actually get the $500. <laughs> but provided this kid really sends me the 500 obviously I'm not going to be keeping it. And uh, we will find a way to spend this $500 in some way that 
would be helpful or something that Kevin Rax would have wanted and maybe do something in his name. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to come up with it. But that's something we'll do. If he sends me the $500, we'll find something to do with it. It won't be a free roll, by the way. I can't give it away to listeners of this show. But something charitable or something along those lines that will be done in honor of Kevin Roster, a.k.a. Kevin Rax. So that 500 that was scammed from him at least can go to a good cause. Or maybe I can try to track down his family and see if they need it. Something like that. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there if he sends it to me. Check twitter.com slash pokerfraudler to see when the next episode will be, probably Thursday or Friday of next week. Good night, and shalom.